Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am your host, Todd Dandruff Wittellis. This is being brought to you live and recorded live on October 13th, 2022. The time right now, 9.20 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. We have a free roll tonight. The free roll started... Actually, it hasn't started yet. The free roll is starting in 10 minutes. That is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. We are giving away $50 real cash money this week. And you just need to go on there and register by 9.55, which is the 25 minutes of late registration period. Or you can start on time if you like. You still have 10 minutes to get in there. It is found near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. And you need a separate account on the poker room. And it needs to be validated and verified in order to be able to play. And also, you need to know the rules to win the free money. So go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, to understand the rules of winning the money. 25 for first, 15 for second, and 10 for third is the prize distribution this week. We got $10 from Country978, $27 from Singles Hitter, and we have some more money behind from him to use in future weeks. So thank you to Singles Hitter. And Joe D, we're using the remainder of his money, $13. We also had 12 from him last week that I split up. So that makes 50. Thank you to the three of you for sponsoring this free roll. Just about every week, the money comes from our listeners, not from me, which is good to my Jew wallet. My Jew wallet stays fat thanks to the generosity of you listeners who contribute the money for the free roll. And that's really cool. This is the only show that does that, to my knowledge. I know it's the only poker show that does that, but I don't know of really any show that has the situation going on. So that's really neat. And you can play a free roll every single week and win real cash money that I can send you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by various cryptocurrencies, and by other methods you might be able to think of where money can be sent online. If you win, PM me. I'm Dan Druff on the forum. That's Dan, then a space, then Druff on the forum. That's the best way to claim your prize. Alternately, you can message me on... Uh, you can send me a text message, which I'll give you the number shortly, or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. But I prefer the forum PMs. I send these out in batches, so it may take a few months to get paid, but you will always get paid. It's just a bit delayed, just because it's a pain to do. But I do it every few months, and in fact, another batch is coming up very soon. So if you claim your prize for this one quickly you might be in that batch. Otherwise, you'll have to wait until the next time I send out batches. But don't worry, you'll always get the money. And I have a running tab right there on the forum of who has won and who has gotten paid. So I'm not pocketing any of it. And if you don't claim the money within six months, doesn't matter when I pay you, but it matters when you claim it. If you haven't claimed it and six months or more have passed, then I may roll it back into the prize pool. So keep that in mind as well. We had a very long show last week. We spent the entire show, over seven hours, covering the cheating scandal on Hustler Casino Live, where there were cheating allegations against Robbie Jade Liu, who was formerly an unknown player prior to this incident, and the one who was accusing her was very well-known player and very big winner on these streams, Garrett Edelstein. And we really delved into it. I took it apart as well as I could with the information I had at the time. Now, keep in mind, that was recorded on October 2nd, 
today is October 13th. So it's been a week and a half and things have changed. New things have happened. So if you go listen to last week, some of the things I said, I don't agree with anymore. And that's what happens with an ever-evolving situation. So obviously, there's a lot to update this week. Last week, I thought after spending seven and a half hours on the topic that we would have very little this week. But no, so much more has happened. So we're going to have a lot of coverage of this again. And it will be our main topic. How much more we will do beyond that about other topics, I don't know. For sure, we are going to talk about Eric Benzamokin's new lawsuit against Amazon, very similar to the PayPal lawsuit where he is the lead attorney. But we're definitely going to have him on and discuss that. Other than that, I don't know. We definitely have some big stories to cover beyond Robbie Jade Lou. I'll try not to take seven hours this time, so I'll have some energy to talk about these other topics. But there's a good chance we won't get through everything tonight, and we'll probably have to table it again for next week. Now, you might think, well, what if this just keeps going on? What if this Robbie Jade Lou thing just keeps having twists and turns throughout the weeks here, and we don't get to cover other topics? Well, I'm not going to let that happen. This is the second week in a row that this has happened, and if I have a long segment to do on Robbie Jade Lou again next week, then what I will do is make a separate show covering the other topics, and this way, those other topics, which I know you guys have interest in, will get coverage as well. So we'll figure it out. This is one of the biggest stories all time in poker, and unlike the Mike Possel cheating allegations, where just about all of poker was in agreement and where what happened seemed pretty obvious to most of us. Unlike that situation, this one still has a lot of debate, a lot of disagreement, and a lot of unknown to it. So that's what makes this one more interesting to me than the Postle situation. But don't worry, if you like hearing about Postle, you will hear about him tonight because he commented on this situation, and that has not gotten any play at all because he commented on Facebook and most people couldn't see it. But I was sent a copy of it and I'm going to read you what Postle said on Facebook about this. Kind of interesting, actually. That'll be one of the many things we cover here. And in the archives, where you can find this show, you can find this show, if you're not listening live, you can go find it on iTunes, on Google Play. Sorry, it's Google Podcasts, not Google Play. We were on Google Play, now we're on Google Podcasts. Then we're on Stitcher. We are on the TuneIn app, where you can, also, you can also use that to listen to the live show as well. We have two entries on there. The Bullhorn app, we have iHeartMedia, Spotify, and you can also download or play an MP3 of the show. You know those MP3 files that you've heard so much about over the last two decades? We have one of every show, and you can play it with any device without downloading any kind of app or player, or you can download it and keep it. A lot of different ways to listen to the show. We also have Audible and Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast. Exactly those words. Say it slowly, and it will play the last episode. So a lot of different ways you can listen. And if there's another way you'd like to listen, please let me know, and I will add it, provided that it's not too much trouble and not too much expense, because there's two things. Number one, I'm cheap, and number two, I don't feel like adding a lot of extra effort 
to providing another listening platform since we have so many already. However, I do want to make it as easy to listen as possible. So if it isn't that hard, I will add it. We do have the most ways to listen of any podcast I know of. Not just poker, not just gambling, but I don't know of any other podcast that has this many ways to listen. There might be some out there, but I don't know of them. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is that number. We have the Mount Charleston line, too. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston in a cabin I have there and forwards to me wherever I go. Mount Charleston is about 30 degrees cooler than Las Vegas at all times. It does get snow in the winter. I recommend visiting there at some point if you visit Vegas. If you live in Vegas, you've probably been there. And that phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. If you want to text me during the show, you can do that, or you can do it before the show, or you can do it after the show. You can do it anytime. It's our main phone number, 775-372-8355. Don't ever feel bad about texting me. Don't worry about it being too late or too early. Anything like that. Don't worry about the text being stupid or frivolous. I don't care. Text me anyway. Totally fine. That's why I give out the number publicly. I expect there will be some weird people texting me. That's fine. Please keep it at least respectful. Now, you're allowed to criticize the show if you want to say, Druff, I don't like the last episode. I thought it was terrible. Or I think such and such segment is boring. Go ahead and tell me. I like the feedback. I like the feedback of the good and the bad, and then I know what direction to take the show. I can't guarantee I will listen to you, but I will read it, and I will take it under consideration. And you know, I program this show based upon what people want to hear, not what I want to talk about. 775-372-8355 is the number to text the show. There's the call to listen line. It's a very simple thing. You call up and you listen. You just call up and you listen, and it works without an app, without a smartphone, without a data plan, without a computer, without the internet. I mean, you can have those things too, but you don't need them. All you need is a phone that can dial. And if you can call US numbers for free, then it's free and it'll work. And if you have T-Mobile, it'll be one cent per minute, which I don't keep. I don't get that. T-Mobile gets it. But the number is 518-931-1189. 518-931-1189. You just call up, you listen. And the best thing is it never buffers and it never freezes. It doesn't matter how bad your connection is. It will just work. It will never freeze up, which is great because streaming media when it freezes is the worst. So I made sure this does not. 518-931-1189 is the call to listen line. More than 2 million minutes have been listened to on it, and that number grows every day. We have a chat room. You can go in and chat during the live show with other listeners. I don't read it very often when I'm broadcasting, but I take a look every so often. If you're not listening live, don't bother. Remember, we have streaming reruns. You can go to the radio tab at any time and hear either the live show or whatever reruns are going, which broadcast on our live broadcasting outlets, such as the radio tab, such as the TuneIn app, such as whatever you use to listen live, like the call to listen line is another one. If we're not live, there will always be something on there, except a few hours before the show, I turn it off so people understand that a live show is coming. Otherwise, it confuses people. 
whether they're hearing something live or not live. So like a few hours before a live show is going to start, I do turn that off. Other than that, 24-7, it just picks a random show from our past 10 and a half years and runs it as if it's live. So I'm going to give you the possible agenda of things we can talk about besides the Robbie Jade Lou thing, and then we'll get going. Remember, whatever we have time for is what we'll do. So we have the Robbie Jade Lou coverage, a lot of different things to talk about with that. Eric Benzamokin is going to come on and tell us about his new lawsuit against Amazon. We're doing that for sure. Then if we have time, the Watauka Social Lounge in Texas. Remember that guy got thrown out and called it a rat hole? That is back in the news. It got raided by police during a 100K guaranteed tournament. And the players there were ticketed. Hmm. Jeffrey Morris, who murdered poker player Susie Zhao has gone to trial and the trial has concluded. I'll tell you how that went and what the verdict is. We do have a verdict. There have been some ghosting allegations about a WSOP online high roller event. The winner was a former low stakes player who seemed to not be likely to enter this. And yet he played masterfully at the final table and beat very tough player Jeremy Osmus heads up to win that bracelet. And there's a lot of outrage on Twitter right now about that. So we'll talk about the ghosting allegations on WSOP. Then we have our older topics, such as Poker Sasha getting fired from GG Poker and the Lodge in Texas, which is partly partially owned by Doug Polk, had a robbery in the parking lot of a high-stakes poker pro. IGT prevailed in a lawsuit against the DOJ. And Poker Go had someone win one of their events that they'd rather was not going to be the winner. Kind of embarrassing for them. Sean McCormack, who was the longtime head of the Aria Poker Room, has left that position and has moved up the MGM chain. And there is now a WSOP poker site in Canada. So those are some topics we may talk about. We will get to all of these eventually. And if we don't tonight then we'll do it either next week or I'll do a special show where we cover those as well. We may have some co-hosts tonight. Cal Watt is actually traveling at the moment, but he said that he might be able to come on. He's still awake last I heard, even though it's well after midnight where he is. We're going to try to put on Trader Ruski right now. He's supposedly awake too, which is good. I like having co-hosts. What's happening, Jeff? Trader Ruski, glad to have you here. How late do you think you can stay up tonight? Man, I I popped the the Indian in my mouth, and then I saw your tweet that the show was starting. So I'll probably be out soon, but I'll I'll be on. I'll get up early and, and try to give you a couple hours before you end. Okay, right now you're not very clear. By the way, it's kind of uh, garbled. Uh, is that better? No, it's worse. <laughs> oh, that's worse. Shit. All right, you know what, Jeff? I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be on. I'm gonna sleep for a bit, and then I'll come on towards the end. Okay, okay. We'll talk to you later. Oops, I hung up on him a bit before he finished, but I get the picture. He just gonna go to bed because he's probably lying in bed, and he was about to go to sleep, and then he realized the show's coming on because I told him kind of late, and he said he'll come on later when we're further into it. So, okay, no problem. 
let's start talking about Robbie J. Lou. So I'm not going to rehash everything we talked about last week, or that would take another seven and a half hours, and I can't do that. So if you want to know that whole story, you want to know the beginning of this, if you want to understand all the different issues surrounding it, then either Google it, Robbie Jade Lou. That's Robbie's R-O-B-B-I Jade Lou. And you'll find plenty of stories, including the mainstream media, covering this. Or you can go back and listen to the last show. Whatever. A lot of different ways to find out about that. In a nutshell, Robbie Jade Lou was in a hand on Hustler Casino Live, which is at Hustler Casino in Gardena, California. The live streaming game, which is run by Ryan Feldman and Nick Vertucci. It's been going for about 14 months now, and it's been doing very well. It's blown away all other live-streamed games, including Live at the Bike. It is the leader and has been pretty much ever since it started. She was a fairly new player to the stream. She wasn't very well known in poker. This was a very high-stakes game where six-figure pots are not uncommon. And she got in a hand with Garrett Adelstein, who's the biggest winner in that game, not just that day, but I'm talking about overall in that Hustler Casino live game. And Garrett had seven, eight of clubs from the small blind. She had jack four offsuit, jack of clubs, four of hearts, I believe, in the big blind. The flop came nine of clubs, 10 of clubs, 10 of hearts. So great flop for Garrett, though he still had eight high at the moment, but a gigantic draw, open-ended straight flush draw. And she had nothing. She had jack high, no draw. Normally, Garrett would bet that, and she would fold, and they'd move on, and that would be that. It would be a very unspectacular hand. However, she called the flop, then min raised the turn. He bet into her 10000 on the turn. She made it 20000 which is the minimum she could raise it. And then he went all in for another 109000 and she thought about it and called. That turn was a three, an offsuit three, so she had absolutely no draw. Not a straight draw, not a flush draw, nothing. She had no pair, no draw with jack high. Not just jack high, but jack four high. So it made no sense. She called all that money. Huge pot. Each person put in about 135K total. And they ran it twice, meaning they put out two different rivers. And they split the pot between the two rivers. And both of them missed Garrett, and she won the entire pot. And Garrett was furious. Garrett thought he got cheated. Garrett pretty much said so. Then he went to go complain to Ryan Feldman, who is the executive producer of the game and also the co-owner of Hustler Casino Live. And they called her out to go talk to Garrett in the hallway. And Garrett proceeded to tell her he thought she was cheating and he was pissed off. And she gave him the 135K back that he put into the pot. And she claimed that she gave it to him because... He was really, really pissed off, and she said, Garrett, what can I do to make this better? And he said, well, you can start by giving me my money back, and he got the money back, which was amazing. So then he claimed afterwards that this was proof that she was cheating. Otherwise, why would she give the money back, he claimed. And then she supposedly gave it to him if he were to come back, not talk about it, and stay in the game. However, her friend named Rip, who turned out that he was also staking her in this game, which wasn't known at the time, He got really pissed off when he saw that she gave the money back, so he got up and started screaming at Garrett, and then Garrett decided not to keep the promise about going back to the game, but he did keep the money, and he packed up, took his chips, and went home. 
And ever since then, this happened on September 29th, so it's been two weeks. Ever since then, Poker Twitter has been debating whether or not there was actually cheating because there was no physical evidence of cheating. There was no proof or even circumstantial evidence that cheating occurred. And when I say circumstantial evidence, I really mean any kind of evidence which is inconclusive, but at least is evidence that there was cheating. There was no such evidence. There was no evidence, circumstantial or otherwise. It was a weirdly played hand, and she said some weird things, and she couldn't give a coherent explanation for what she was doing, and she's changed her story several times. I guess if you want to call that circumstantial evidence, you can, but I don't really call that circumstantial evidence. To me, it's just people don't trust her, but that's not circumstantial evidence. There may be evidence that she is a liar, but not necessarily a cheater in that spot. Last show, I spent a long time pretty much making the case that while I was not sure, I thought it was likely that she wasn't cheating and that she was just a fish and that she really just wanted to find a way to stay in the game because she was winning that night over six figures. She was winning the previous time she played, which was uh, like about a week prior, and she won like over 100K. And the other time she played, she broke slightly above even. So to her, I thought it just looked like she could print money there. Even though she was the worst player in the game, she didn't know that. She was delusional and thought she could just print money there. She thought she was a great player. And my theory was that she just didn't want to lose access to that game and felt that Garrett, who has a lot of influence in that game as to who gets into it, she didn't want to get shut out. She thought it was worth giving 135k back in order to stay there. That was my theory then. Well, we've had a lot of complications since then. And the poker world went from initially believing she was probably cheating to then more and more coming around to believing that it was kind of 50-50 and then eventually coming around to believing she probably wasn't cheating. And most people, though not all, in poker, by the end of my last show, not because they listened to my show, but just that was the general sentiment that was going on, though I was contributing to that because I was making a lot of tweets at the time about the situation that were getting a lot of exposure. If you go take a look, you'll see a lot of likes, a lot of engagement. I can tell you that some of my tweets about the matter got more than 100,000 views. One of them got 200,000 views. So I got a lot of engagement and exposure from uh, talking about it, which wasn't my intention. I just was talking about it because it's a scam and scandal in poker. And well, that's what we do here. But anyway, I was putting out there that I had believed that uh, she was innocent, basically, and I explained why. And around that time, people were coming to believe that. Again, not because of me, but they were coming to believe that. And most of poker thought she probably didn't cheat, though nobody was saying they were 100% sure, except for a few people. So it was very much on the side, I'd say around October 2nd, October 3rd, that she didn't cheat. And then, I think it was on October 5th, a bomb dropped. And that's going to be our first topic, subtopic of this in our continuing coverage of the situation. The bomb that dropped was that a Hustler Casino Live employee stole 15K off her stack that same night, just hours after the alleged cheating hand occurred. Now, why is that shocking? Why is that a huge deal that just someone stole that wasn't related to her? Well, 
this can mean a lot of things. First of all, let's stop and think what conditions would have to exist for any cheating to occur on a stream like Hustler Casino Live. Aside from people physically marking the cards, which probably didn't happen here, the way cheating would need to occur would be either someone intercepting the RFID signals from the cards that are going to the control room so they can display the graphics, someone intercepting that and then signaling a player in some way, or an insider who already has access to the cards signaling a player in some way. Well, when we did our broadcast last week, there is no evidence that anyone at Hustler Casino Live had any kind of part in this. There was no evidence whatsoever. Some people suspected, hey, you know, even if you trust Ryan Feldman and Nick Vertucci, what about the other guys working behind the scenes? Who are they? How can we know we can trust them? So there was some suspicion, like what if someone there might have been getting the whole cards because they do see them in real time over there. It's just a matter of uh, whether you can trust these people not to communicate them in some way to a player that they're in cahoots with. So how do we know that wasn't happening? And how do we know how much we can trust the people who had access? And also there was a question as to who did have access to them. But we had no evidence that anyone there had done anything wrong. Well, this all changed because Hustler Casino Live actually put out a statement that in the course of their investigation that they found on video. Remember, it was the same night. It was on video. It was not something that was broadcasted to the public because they had turned off the stream already. But with the camera still running with it off stream, they actually put out a statement that one of their own employees stole 15K off of Robbie J. Lou's stack. And they were able to see it because the cameras were still rolling. I don't know if this guy knew it, but... The cameras were still rolling, and they had proof, and they said the guy admitted it. So the reason that's so significant is because that shows that a player had chips stolen from them on that stream, and it happened to be the same player who's at the center of this controversy, and it shows that an employee of the stream, Hustler Casino Live, is willing to steal. And if he's willing to steal, then of course he's probably willing to cheat. It's all hand in hand. Either you're an honest person who doesn't cheat and steal, or you're a dishonest person who does cheat and steal. Well, once you've been caught stealing 15K, then it's very clear that you are someone who will cheat and steal because you've just been caught stealing. So obviously, if you could cheat, you would do that as well. So that changed everything. Now, did that make Robbie guilty? No, because there's no proof that Robbie was involved in any kind of cheating scandal. There's suspicion that she was, but there's no proof that she was cheating with this guy. And there's also no proof yet that the guy actually did engage in a cheating scandal. Now, do I think he would? Yes, of course. If he would steal 15K off a stack, then obviously he would also signal hole cards to a player who is willing to do this. Obviously he would do that. Like, could you picture a employee who is willing to steal 15K on the same night all this controversy happens saying, oh, no, yeah, I'll steal, but no, 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 I'm not going to help someone cheat. Like, there's no chance that that guy would not do it. So now we know for sure the character of somebody working at Hustler Casino Live, and he's admitted it. 
This is according to Hustle Casino Live. He admitted it. They wouldn't put it out there if he didn't admit it. So this is a huge bombshell that came out last week. And boy, did that change everything. Boy, did that make people think, all right, now we have to think that cheating is much more likely here. And also, what can we trust now about Hustle Casino Live? How do we know that there wasn't stealing on other nights? The only reason they caught this stealing is because they went back and reviewed that whole stream and the after stream because of this whole controversy. If this whole controversy hadn't occurred, then they would have never caught it. So how long has this guy been stealing, of course, is a big question. And also, what access did this guy have? And is it possible that if he could see the whole cards, that he would then also cheat? And of course, I think he would. It's obvious he would. Here is what they put out at Hustler Casino Live. This was on October 6th. Update on investigation is the title. High Stakes Poker Productions has assembled a team of experts to conduct a thorough investigation of the Robbie Garrett hand and to audit our technology and security protocols. We have retained Bulletproof Gaming Laboratories International, which is called GLI, a leading provider of testing and certification of gaming systems to conduct a thorough independent audit of our technology and protocols. The investigation will seek to determine, number one, if there's evidence that any players used any compromising technology in our streamed games, and two, how secure our systems and protocols are. If there are improvements that can be made, we will implement those changes immediately. Now, I mentioned on the last show that it's very possible that even if there was some sort of interception of the RFID signals or hacking into the system, that it's very possible they will not be able to find this. This isn't like on TV where you just get an expert in there who catches everything. It's not that simple. It's possible they could find something, but it's also possible that there was cheating and they will not find it. So a clean bill of health from this company does not mean that there was no breach. So that's something you need to know. And also, remember, these people answer to Hustler Casino Live, who has a very big incentive to show that their stream was safe. So that's another big problem. I talked about that last time. This really needs to be completely conducted and directed by an independent party. You can't just hire independent companies to report to someone who's very biased. You have to have the independent companies reporting to someone independent or this is useless. Anyway, going on. We have also retained international law firm Shepard Mullen to provide legal and investigative guidance during our investigation. With the support of these industry-leading consultants, players and fans, and the poker community should rest assured that we will leave no stone unturned in our effort to get to the truth. But again, this Shepard Bolin law firm is reporting to Hustler Casino Live. They're working for Hustler Casino Live. So that's, again, not good. If the person at the very top of this whole thing is someone who owns Hustler Casino Live, then this is not going to be a very independent investigation. Even if the ones working for them are independent, if they're answering to the owners, then this is not an independent investigation. That's not what an independent investigation is. Going on, they write... We have promised that this will be a transparent investigation. With that in mind, we have a significant development to report. So here's the big part. I already told you what it is, but I will read it to you. During a review of the September 29th hand between Robbie and Garrett, our investigators observed an employee of High Stakes Poker Productions, meaning Hustler Casino Live, removing chips from Robbie's stack after the broadcast had concluded and while Robbie was away from the table. Today... During our investigation, the employee Brian Sagbigsall, that's S-A-G-B-I-G-S-A-L, and Brian is spelled with a Y, admitted taking $15,000 in chips from Robbie's stack. 
Uh oh. We immediately terminated Mr. Sagbixall's employment and contacted Robbie and the Gardena Police Department to file a criminal report. Robbie told High Stakes Poker Productions and the Gardena Police Department to file a criminal report. Robbie told High Stakes Poker Productions and the Gardena Police that she does not wish to pursue criminal charges against the employee. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, that does not sound very good. Why would she not pursue criminal charges for someone who stole 15K off her stack? Without a victim, Gardena police told us they do not intend to pursue a criminal prosecution at this time. Our investigation team is ongoing. Respectfully, Nick Vertucci and Ryan Feldman, High Stakes Poker Productions. Well, as you can imagine, this really made Twitter blow up. This changed the whole face of the entire situation. Because now there was 100% proof, provided they're not lying or exaggerating about what they found on the video, which I doubt they are. I'm sure that they're telling the truth here. Otherwise, they could be putting themselves in huge legal jeopardy if they were to write this. So I'm sure they really did find evidence that Brian Sagbixall stole 15K off of Robbie Stack, and he admitted to them, and they fired him. There's no way they put that out there otherwise. So let's just assume that's what happened. Well, that's huge, because that is proof that one of their own employees was stealing from players on that stream. But did he have access before? Well, the answer is yes, because Brian Sagbixall also put out a statement on September 30th, and this was before this was found. He put out a statement talking about how he works for Hustler Casino Live and that everything's very safe, that there's no cheating, and that he works in the booth there. He works in the production booth with a few other people and that he trusts everyone there, blah, 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 blah. But basically, he confirmed in his tweets on September 30th, which are now gone because he deleted his Twitter, but he confirmed in his tweets on September 30th that he had access to the booth, to the production booth. He could see the whole cards, 100%. And not only that, since they put out this statement and Hustler Casino Live has been under fire for a lot of things, as you might imagine, Ryan Feldman and Nick Vertucci have not denied that he had access to the whole cards. So it's pretty clear that this guy who stole 15K off of Robbie's stack after this all occurred also had access to the whole cards. Not just that night, but every night since the beginning of Hustler Casino Live in August 2021. Isn't that pretty big? Isn't that pretty big that a guy like that has been able to see the whole cards since the beginning 14 months ago? So not only is it possible that he was helping Robbie cheat, but even if Robbie wasn't cheating, even if that hand was totally fine and Robbie has been falsely accused, which is still possible, by the way, it's possible that other cheating has gone on all this time, that this may have accidentally unearthed a bigger cheating scandal. Can you picture a guy like that having access to the whole cards For all that money, these are high-stakes games on that stream every single day, five days a week. Can you picture a guy like that having access to all that for 14 months and not taking advantage of it? Here's what he tweeted on September 30th, which was fortunately saved because he didn't immediately delete his Twitter. It was uh, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N-L-V-C, Brian LVC. It is now gone. He had a picture up of... 
someone, but the picture was not of him. The picture was of an older Armenian guy who plays on these streams. I don't know why he used that picture, but that's not him. If you see a screen cap of that, it's not him. He's actually a young guy, and we'll get to his background shortly. But anyway, fortunately, he didn't delete his Twitter right away. So some smart people, such as uh, Melissa Schubert, who is on Matt Berkey's show, she saved this stuff he put out on September 30th and then put it out when he did delete his Twitter. So that was some forward thinking on the part of Melissa Schubert. So this is what he wrote on September 30th. Hello, Poker Twitter. My name is Brian. I'm the longest tenured employee at Hustler Casino Live. I've started working for Hustler Casino Live as an audio tech, but at this point I've moved up and done every job from audio to graphics and even cameras. I've poured my heart and soul into this. Now, when he says audio to graphics and even cameras, graphics means that he was working where he could access whole cards. Those are the graphics. Think about the graphics on one of those streams. It's mainly the whole cards. The situation is extremely upsetting considering some people in the community want to try and drag Hustler Casino Live's name through the mud. He types in all caps, when I know for a fact nobody in production is in collusion with any of the players. Again, this is before he was caught stealing. Our game integrity is the, inputs in all caps, most secure in the industry. Not a single soul has access to the control room or information that production has. The production team is a tight-knit group of guys, thoroughly vetted and processed. By the way, that's a lie. They were not thoroughly vetted, as we'll find out shortly. But notice he's including himself in this. There is a 0% chance, he types, that production was involved because we, notice he says we, not they, were all up there doing our jobs. Let me read that again. Very important. Not a single soul has access to the control room or information that production has. The production team is a tight-knit group of guys, thoroughly vetted and processed. There is a 0% chance that production was involved because we were all up there doing our jobs. Basically, there's only a few guys with access to this whole card information in real time, and all of us were there, and we're very tight-knit, and none of us did this. Well, <laughs> one of these tight-knit groups of guys there was stealing off of stacks in the stream, or at least of one stack. So that's pretty much confirmation. This is a September 30th. He's trying to defend the integrity of Hustler Casino Live. The only way Robbie could have cheated would be on her own. And at that point, or at this point, nobody can confirm nor deny without damning evidence. I'm not going to get into it, though. That's what Joey Ingram's for. Anyways, just wanted to speak my piece. Carry on. So he ran to Twitter the next day from when the scandal began. Began on September 29th. He commented on September 30th. In fact, less than a day. He commented at 345. So maybe like five, six hours after this hand happened, he ran to Twitter and put this up there. The theory now is that he was worried that he was going to get caught because he knew by 3.45 a.m. on September 30th that he had just stolen 15K off of Robbie's stack. And he probably was hoping that there would not be enough scrutiny on what was going on after the stream to where he wouldn't get caught. That's the theory here. So he ran out there and put out, oh, no, no, nothing to see here. It's totally secure, everybody. We're, we're very trustworthy. We're great guys. All of us. All of us in the control room. You can trust us. No, nothing happened, guys. Nothing to see here. No cheating. But the most interesting thing in that whole diatribe there he put on Twitter was that he has access to the whole cards. He's in the control room. He's saying, 
No one but us can see it. Well, I guess you don't need hacking. With a guy like him in the control room, you don't need hackers. You don't need guys who can intercept RFID signals, which it's tough to do. They're not very strong. They don't transmit very far. It's hard to do it without being noticed. A lot of reasons it's hard to intercept an RFID signal and then translate it properly to where the information is useful. You don't need to do all that if you've got a dude right in the booth who's seeing it all in real time. Then you can have a low-tech version of hacking because you don't have to have any hacking at all. You just have a dude there that with his own eyes sees the whole cards and just has to signal in some way to a player who is at the table as to what their opponents have or at the very least whether they have the best hand at the moment. Now, that does bring up the question, how could he signal them? Because they are ordered to turn in their cell phones prior to sitting at the table. You have to have your cell phones locked up while you're playing, and then you can only get them back when the play is over. So how could you signal someone when they don't have a phone with them? Well, there's a lot of ways. Uh, They could have a second phone on them. They could have some other hidden device. And there's even a theory that since everybody is uh, wearing a microphone that they could even change the color of the light on the mic because I guess it's like green if it's on, red if it's off, if your mic is on or off, that they could just turn on and off the mic to signal someone whether they have the best hand because you don't need to send a lot of data. You could just send a signal you have the best hand at the moment that's agreed upon beforehand. Now, this is all just speculation. I'm just telling you how it's incredibly easy to come up with a way to cheat if you have a guy on the inside who can see the whole cards. Coming up with a method of signaling is not very difficult. There's a lot of ways you can do it. There's tons of ways. You can even find a way where that person could relay it to a third party who is in view of the player, and then they just give hand signals. I mean, there's just so many different ways it can be done. Even if the people in the production booth are completely locked off and they cannot be seen by people on the outside. You can still, as I said, you can have so many different devices that could be hidden on your person that could show you in some way, even with very crude signals like a buzz or a beep or a light or just anything that could show you you have the best hand at the moment. The hardest thing to do as far as cheating on one of these streams is to get someone who is with access to the whole card data to give you that data. That is the hardest thing to do. Why? Because number one, on many streams, you won't be able to find someone like that. And number two, if you were to approach people and ask them if they'll do it for you, one of them will probably rat you out and then you will be exposed and not only be kicked out of the game, but uh, it'll get around that you were looking to cheat and everyone in poker will hate you. And it's even possible you could be arrested for asking about this. So obviously it is not easy unless you have someone that you know for sure is willing to do it to be able to cheat on one of these streams. But once you have an inside man who gets a hold of you and tells you that he will do it for you, well, then it's incredibly easy, provided that you are a piece of shit who's willing to cheat and steal. The hard parts are already over. Once the whole cards are seen by someone willing to cheat with you, all you have to do is get in that game, and it's pretty damn easy to cheat at that point. And there's a lot of money at stake. These are very, very high-stakes games where you know, a lot of people will find it very much worth it to attempt to cheat to win that kind of money. Even if there is some risk, they're going to get caught. Think of the risks some people take to rob liquor stores to get like 
600 bucks out of the cash register. Think of people who do that. Now, imagine what there is to gain by cheating a game like this. And because we just don't ever seem to see prosecutions for these type of cheating scandals in poker, often it's poorly investigated or not investigated at all by law enforcement, and nobody gets in trouble anyway. So as far as schemes to cheat people out of money, this is actually one of the safer things you can do as far as not suffering criminal consequences for it. It's not a guarantee you won't, but you easily could get away with it. So like right now, uh, nobody's been arrested, not even Brian Sagmixall, who actually was caught on video stealing chips. So you see how this is lucrative and the consequences are light, if any. Once you have an inside guy willing to do it, it's very easy, very easy. But it does require someone on the other side. So let's say Brian Sagmixall is willing to do this. He sees the whole cards and he wants to give you the information in exchange for a piece of the proceeds. Well, he can't just approach every player he sees and say, hey, would you like to cheat on stream with me? Because a lot of players there are good people. And not only would they say no, but they'd report him and he could get in trouble. At the very least, he'll get fired and he could easily get in a lot more trouble than that. So you can't just approach randoms and say, hey, you want to cheat with me? But, you know, there's a lot of shady people in poker. There's a lot of people who are quite willing to engage in scams and in cheating in this game. And we talk about this every week here. That's why it's called Poker Fraud Alert Radio. So if you're around these people every day, you get an idea of who the Boy Scouts are and who the guys are you think might be willing to do this. And you don't have to blatantly say it. You don't have to walk up and say, hey, John Smith, you seem kind of like a shifty guy. Would you like to cheat with me? You don't have to say that. You can walk up and just kind of make conversation and just kind of bring up the subject without directly offering to do it and see how that person feels about it and kind of get a feel for it. And then if you think they're game, then you can pitch it to him. And if he's willing, then you've got yourself a cheating partner. It's not that hard. It's really not that hard. So this is a huge discovery. But let's talk about Brian Sagbixall. Who is he? What's his background? What's his history? I bet you had never heard that name prior to this being revealed as him being the chip thief, as stated by Hustler Casino Live. But just about nobody had heard of him before. Well, he's a young guy. I don't know his exact age, but he's under 30 for sure. He is Filipino or half Filipino or something like that. His name is Brian A. Sagbigsal, S-A-G-B-I-G-S-A-L. Well, Matt Salzberg, upon reading this statement from Hustler Casino Live, within 10 minutes or so, Googled the name and paged through the Google results and entered the name in some search engines. And within 10 minutes, Matt Salzberg came up with some pretty interesting information that Brian Sagbixall has a pretty extensive criminal history. Uh-oh. So not only was he a thief, not only was he someone that we think there's a good chance could have been cheating with the whole cards, who had access to the whole cards, but this supposedly secure stream, Brian Feldman came on here 14 months ago on this show and bragged about how secure they are, how a, a Stones casino fiasco is not going to happen here, he said. 
and that they have state-of-the-art security, they apparently hired someone with an extensive criminal record by his mid-20s. Not good. Not good at all. And Matt Salzberg found this in 10 minutes by Googling. Matt Salzberg's not a private detective. He's not the second coming of Jim Rockford. Matt Salzberg is just a poker player slash producer. By the way, in case you don't know who he is, uh, if you remember that show Weeds in the 2000s, he was one of the writers on there. Anyway, Salzberg just like found this info real fast and tweeted it out. So the, obviously Husser Casino Live, if they took the same 10 minutes that Matt Salzberg took, could have seen that you don't hire a guy like Brian Sagbixall to access your whole cards. So as showing all these different offenses that he's been arrested for over the years, this included prison escape, robbery. By the way, the prison escape was nonviolent prison escapes. I guess he didn't like beat up any guards or shoot anybody, but he, there was some sort of a nonviolent uh, prison escape. There was robbery. There was resisting arrest. There was driving on a license that's suspended. There was... A DUI. So some of these are more serious than others, but obviously the robbery and the prison escape are pretty big deals. Like, you know, you don't hire somebody to access the whole cards who by his mid 20s and is still in his mid 20s. Like this is uh, this is not a, uh, a guy who is reformed, who was a bad dude 25 years ago, but has since grown up. This, this is someone who was a bad dude like like three years ago or four years ago. And uh, leopards don't change their spots very quickly. Prison escape and robbery in 2017, according to what Salzburg found. <sighs> so anyway, that made Hustler Casino Live look really, really bad. This really reopened the conversation big time about Robbie. And there were so many different angles now to look at this. Because it was no longer just, did Robbie cheat or didn't she? It's no longer just... What was Robbie's goal with appearing on there? Why did she give back the money? I mean, these were interesting things to discuss last week, but this changed it all. Then now we have a definite thief who had access to the whole cards, who had a criminal background of things like robbery and prison escape. And Hustler didn't catch it and hired him. Something about security, something you have to understand about security. Security is only as good as its weakest link. It doesn't matter how good the security is, if there's a gaping hole, then everything else you do is useless. So it doesn't matter how secure the transmission of the whole cards is and how secure the server is, and it doesn't matter if you lock up everybody's phones, it doesn't matter if you have people watching things closely, it doesn't matter if one of the people you hire has a criminal record, a recent criminal record, and they have access to the whole cards in real time. That's it. That throws all the other security protocols out the window. It makes them useless. It's like having a car that is like the safest car ever, except you don't connect the brakes, so the brakes don't work. Would you want to ride in that car? Obviously not, because uh, you couldn't brake when you need to and you'd slam into something and die. It's the same thing here. Security is useless if there's a huge hole that you leave there. And if you don't background check your employees, especially the ones not making much money and don't have much to lose, then your security is useless. And the reason I talk about what they're making is people will sometimes not want to risk losing a very lucrative job 
and they won't screw around if they know that the downside of getting fired is a big downside. Also, if they're making a lot of money, then there's less chance that they need money. But someone who's making very little, which apparently this Brian Sagbix all was, then you have to be damn sure that you can trust these people. Because how loyal are they going to be to your stream if they can easily use the information they have access to to cheat with someone and make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars? So you have to be damn sure you're hiring people with a clean record. You have to be damn sure these people do not have anything in their background to indicate that they would steal or commit serious crimes like this. So anybody who has ever been convicted of robbery, especially in the last few years, or even arrested for robbery, forget convicted. If you find they were arrested for robbery, that's good enough. Because you don't have to hire anybody. You can decide who you hire. So if you look into someone's background and you said they had an arrest for robbery, that's it. That should be game over. Can't hire them for something like this. It's not like you're hiring them to work the French fries at McDonald's. Like, what's that guy going to do? Steal French fries? (laughs) But you cannot hire someone with access to super valuable information that can be used to cheat people out of six or seven figures. And if you do, then you have no security. So that part is a disaster. And Hustler has yet to answer for that. Hustler meaning Hustler Casino Live, not Hustler itself. It's two separate companies. Hustler Casino Live is owned by Nick Vertucci and Ryan Feldman, and they broadcast from Hustler, but they are separate from Hustler Casino. They have a partnership with Hustler Casino in this venture in that Hustler lets them be there, but they are not the same company. That's something you need to remember throughout this whole thing. But why did Robbie not press charges? Do we have an answer for that? Well, kind of. Chad Holloway of Poker News got a statement from Robbie, also on October 6th, as to why she did not press charges. This was what she wrote. I received a call from Nick Vertucci earlier this afternoon stating that an ancillary incident had been uncovered upon their extensive ongoing investigation of Thursday night's event. This incident involved one of their employees who was found to have discreetly removed and stolen three 5K brown chips from my chip stack post-stream. I asked Nick to disclose his name, at which point I could not recall having met the employee. Now, this is something you should remember. She's claiming she had not met Brian Sagbixall when she heard about this. She's like, what? Who? I don't know who that is. Upon speaking to the detective, I asked for further clarity and information that helped me reach my decision not to press charges. One, the employee's age and financial hardship. Two, the employee's history of prior offenses. Upon learning that the employee was relatively young with minimal funds and no history of prior offenses, I came to the conclusion that pressing charges was unnecessary to damage a young man's life that would already be negatively impacted by the news of his wrongdoing and termination of his employment. I was further notified that the employee had already spent the 15K, at which point moving forward with a criminal charge made even less sense to me. I want to extend my appreciation to High Stakes Poker Productions slash Hustler Casino Live for conducting such a thorough and expeditious investigation that resulted in the discovery of this incident. Basically, she's saying she talked to the detectives and they said, yeah, he's some young broke kid who doesn't have a criminal record. So up to you what you want to do. And she's like, okay, well, this is like a one-time blunder. All right, I don't want to ruin his life further. I won't prosecute him. I won't press charges. Well, first of all, that's not true. I don't know if she spoke to any detective, but he did have a history 
of prior offenses. I just told you about them. Matt Salzberg found it in 10 minutes. I doubt the police told her that unless they made a mistake, unless they looked something up wrong and saw no priors. But this guy definitely had priors. So I don't know if they told her the wrong thing or if she's just making this up. And two, this is very suspicious. This is very suspicious that even with this information that she wouldn't press charges. And three, I'm a little suspicious about this statement itself with some of the language used. Even the first sentence, I received a call from Nick Vertuti earlier this afternoon stating that an ancillary incident had been uncovered. What? An ancillary incident? That's a weird way of putting things. That sounds like something a lawyer would write. Well, guess what? You know who a lawyer is? Her husband. So I have a feeling that her husband wrote this statement for her. That doesn't mean her husband has done anything wrong here. After all, it is her husband, and she may have come to him and said, I want to put out a statement about this, and I don't really know how to write it, but I want it to sound good. Can you do it? You're better at this sort of thing. So, you know, that's not the worst thing if he wrote it for her, but supposedly these are her words. But I don't believe she wrote this. And looking at her other tweets, she doesn't type like this. She doesn't use language like an ancillary incident. Also, towards the end, we had more legal type speak. I want to extend my appreciation to Hustler Casino Live for conducting such a thorough and expeditious investigation. Now, if she left out expeditious, I would believe that she wrote that. But a thorough and expeditious investigation is exactly what a lawyer would write. Again, so I don't believe that she wrote this. And this isn't putting her down. This isn't saying she's stupid. These are just words that people who are not attorneys don't typically use. Like, I don't think I'm a dumb guy, but if I were to be writing something like this, I wouldn't write about an ancillary incident. That's just not how I talk either. That's not how I write. And I don't write like a simpleton. I don't talk like a simpleton, but I don't use language like that. This is the type of language that a lawyer would use. And I'm not a lawyer, and she's not a lawyer, but her husband's a lawyer. What do you know? But okay, let's put that aside who exactly wrote it, because again, if her husband wrote it, it's not the worst thing in the world. They are husband and wife, and people will do these things for each other, especially if one person is better at writing statements than others. But I really didn't trust this whole statement. I didn't trust that she just was such a empathetic person that she didn't want to ruin this young man's life because he already has hardship. He's already poor. He really needed the money. And this is going to ruin his life enough just from the info getting out. I don't want to have him criminally prosecuted. Well, first of all, you're not necessarily doing him a favor long term by not prosecuting because if he gets the idea that he can keep stealing and that by giving a sob story about being poor that he gets away with it, then this will encourage future behavior. It is human nature not to make the same mistake twice when you suffer in some way from the first time you make the mistake. But if you get out of consequences, then you're more likely to do it again. So if there's no consequences, you're very likely to do it again. If the consequences are minimal, then you're still pretty likely to do it again. And if the consequences are harsh, then you probably won't do it again. Sometimes it happens, but it's much less likely when there is a harsh response, something that is very unpleasant to something you've done wrong. 
then when you think of doing something similar, you think, oh, no, I don't want to go through that again. That's human nature. But even putting that aside, I just don't believe that she's that forgiving. I don't believe that she's willing to just let this go. Because it's pretty offensive that your stack of chips is sitting there and someone steals it. In fact, I'm sure every single person here who's listening to this show who has played live poker, that at one time the thought has crossed your mind when you stood up to go to the bathroom, what if someone steals off my stack? Have you thought that? Because I've thought that. I've thought that many times. In fact, I have played a lot of fairly high-stakes poker games, nothing like what was on The Hustler that night, but I've played games where I have tens of thousands on the table or even 10,000 or 6,000 on the table. That's still a lot of money. And I get up to go to the bathroom, which you have to eventually do. And I think, hmm, what if when I come back, someone stole money off of there? How will I prove it? How will I know who did it? How will I even necessarily know what happened? In fact, sometimes I'm paranoid enough to where I will count my money before getting up from the table and walking away just in case something disappears, then I can try to demand they check the camera and find out what happened. That's the only possible way, but you don't get to see the camera. You have to ask the casino to do it and trust what they tell you, and you can't demand to see it. So I've had that thought before. Now, I've never had money stolen from my stack, to my knowledge, and I don't count it every time, so I guess it could have happened, and I just wouldn't know. But I've had that thought. I've had that thought of what will happen if it gets stolen. I'm sure you've had it too. So isn't that a nightmare that you find out that, yes, someone stole 15K off your stack when you were away from the table? Wouldn't that piss off any human being who plays poker to where their first thought will be, okay, you caught the guy. Let's throw the book at him. Fuck that guy. Stealing from my stack when I'm away. I hate that. Like, I'm just so paranoid. And here it happened. Even if you're not paranoid, that's just like, it's just shitty things to find out. That you walk away, you're trained to believe by these poker rooms that you can trust their staff, and then one of them steals from you. Wouldn't that piss you off? Wouldn't you want to prosecute? So that's what everyone was thinking, that something's weird here. And obviously, the conclusion people jump to, whether it's correct or incorrect, this is what a lot of people thought, is that the reason she's not prosecuting is because he is someone who's in cahoots with her. So if they were cheating together, of course she wouldn't want to prosecute him. In fact, if she did, then he could go rat on her. Well, guess what? Guess what? I was helping her cheat. What do you guys think of that? Like, so You wouldn't want to have someone prosecuted even if they did steal from your stack, if you were cheating with that person. So that's what a lot of people in poker were saying. And you started to see the pendulum swinging right back, right back to the belief that Robbie was cheating, or at least back to something like 50-50. So for a lot of people, including me, it swung all the way to about like 90% innocent. And then it was swinging back to 50% and maybe even up to 90% the other way. Not me, I'm not 90% the other way, but some people I saw go from 90% innocent to 90% cheating, just based upon that news and the way Robbie handled it after that. Now, there's some updates beyond that regarding how she's handling it, but we'll get to that a little bit later. A picture was eventually unearthed of Brian Sagbixall. It's a picture of him sitting at a World Series of Poker table, and he is a young... Filipino-looking guy. He has sunglasses on. You can see this picture on post number 253 on the thread we have about this in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum. 
so far, he has not appeared on any of these shows. He hasn't appeared on Joey's show. He said at one point he would, but then backed out of it for unknown reasons. He claimed he had an attorney, which I kind of don't believe, but he's claiming he had an attorney. However, Bart Hansen put out a video where he said that he had gotten information from people he knows in the L.A. poker scene. And Bart knows a lot of people in the L.A. poker scene. Bart doesn't live in L.A. anymore, but when he did, and he lived there for a long time, he got to know a lot of people in the L.A. poker scene. And he said some of his friends who play on these poker apps, which I don't like and I don't trust them, but he has some friends that play on these high-stakes poker apps where they basically play on these free apps and then they settle up later that Brian Sagbixall was playing on one of those apps and losing his ass. Someone even claimed he lost as much as 200K. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that person's exaggerating. Bart says he knows these people and they're reliable. So I believe what Bart says. I just don't know how reliable the people are who are talking to him. But it's very possible. Others said that they saw him around Hustler Casino itself and that he moved up in stakes and was playing and losing there in the months leading up to this incident on September 29th. Also, remember when Nick Vertucci said that some news was coming out very shortly and then Robbie's husband, Charles Liu, came onto Joey's show and said that he chided Hustler about this and in fact was threatening them legally that they better not put out a statement about big news is coming unless there really is big news coming because it implies that Robbie's guilty and that news is coming that's going to say that. And he was saying that uh, that is defamatory towards her and he, that he told them they can't do this, which I disagreed with. You, you can't just by saying big news is coming doesn't mean that it's news about her being guilty, even if people would come to that conclusion. The big news presumably was this. It just took a little while to come out because apparently it was on October 1st when this was discovered. So I'm not exactly sure when... Nick Vertucci said big news is coming, but I think it was Ryan Feldman who said it was discovered on October 1st, but they put it out on October 5th. So they did have some time in between before putting it out there because there was no big news that came right after that, like Nick said would. Like there was really nothing and people wonder what the big news was. So it had to be that. I, I got to think it has to be that. That is huge news about the thing with Brian Sagbixall stealing. Garrett released a statement Garrett was obviously very happy to see these developments here because Garrett was taking it on the chin really, really hard on social media. I mean, really, really hard. As the tide was turning toward Robbie is not a cheater and that Garrett falsely accused her, people were getting angry and angry at Garrett. They were calling him a crybaby, a whiner, a bully, someone who demands money out of scared women and they were really criticizing that he took this money and still hasn't given it back. So Garrett is really, really taking a beating. In addition, prior to this news coming out, Garrett actually gave $135,000, the same amount that he got from Robbie after he accused her of cheating, you know, the amount that he had put into the pot that she won and she gave back to him. He gave that same amount to charity and made a statement about it. Now, he didn't link the amount to 
the fact that it was the amount he got from her. He just, and he, in fact, he didn't even say that he gave that amount. It was more that uh, he said that he was donating to this particular charity, and then people found evidence in this charity's list of who donated that he had donated 135K. But that did not help him. He probably was advised to do this by a PR firm or something. This is just my guess. He didn't say he has a PR firm. But my guess is that Garrett has been trying to rehabilitate his reputation, which was getting worse and worse over this whole thing. As time was passing before the news about Brian came out, that people were thinking Garrett was more and more in the wrong and had acted inappropriately and at worst was a misogynist and a jerk and someone who bullied an innocent woman out of six figures. So he was really trying to make his image look better. And at some point, he must have gotten the idea that he wanted to give away the money, or at least he got the idea himself, or someone gave it to him, that he would give away the money, and therefore it would make it look like this isn't about the money. Because if you've got 135 k from her that people think you shouldn't have, and then you give back the money, but not to her, you give it to a charity, then it makes it look like, okay, it wasn't about the money because at the end of the day, he doesn't have the money. Now the charity has the money. So I guess that was the attempt here to rehabilitate his image without returning the money to her, which he really didn't want to see happen. But clearly he was thrilled when the news came out about the thing with Brian. So I'm going to first read you his statement about the charity, and then I will give you his later statement related to Brian, which is much longer. This is what he wrote on October 5th, again, shortly before they released the information about Brian stealing. Over the past several days, the viral hand I played against Jack Four has spiraled in a way I could never have expected. The conversation began with the legitimacy of a poker hand and then somehow devolved into a host of baseless attacks. Anyone who has followed my career over the past 20 years knows I hold myself to the highest ethical and professional standards, win or lose. In this case, I strongly believe a hand occurred that wasn't played legitimately by my opponent. That opponent decided the best way to handle the aftermath was to pay back the money. This occurred in a public area of a large casino, all while on camera and in the presence of a neutral third party. I stand by the way I handled this very difficult situation. It's not and never was about the money for me. Now, I don't like that paragraph at all because, uh, number one, the opponent didn't just, quote, decide the best way to handle it was to pay back the money. He asked for it, apparently. Even Ryan Feldman, who's his friend, admitted that. The, quote, public area of a large casino. I mean, technically, it was a public area, but they pulled her away from the game to talk to him in the hallway when no one else was around. So, yes, it was public, but nobody else was there, and they didn't do it at the table. That would have been public. Going off stream to do this where nobody else is standing is not what I consider public, even if it's in a public place. Also, he says, while on camera. Well, there's cameras all over the casino, but I don't know if audio of this was picked up. And that still isn't known, and Hustler has not revealed this, nor has Hustler Casino Live. And the presence of the third party was Ryan, who is not neutral because he is friends with Garrett. So I wouldn't even consider him a neutral third party. It's not like just some person was there who really had no connection to either party. And he said it's not and never was about the money for me. Well, then why did he ask for it back? So I didn't like that statement at all, but let's move on. I'd like to have this spotlight applied to something better. Please join me in donating to Big Brother Big Sister of Los Angeles by going to give.classy.org slash Garrett Adelstein. 
This philanthropic organization focuses on mentoring relationships that ignite the power and promise of youth. As a big brother myself for the past six years, this organization is near and dear to my heart. I deeply appreciate every message of support I've received. It's been an uplifting silver lining to an otherwise really challenging week. Okay, well, I do believe it was a very challenging week for him. It was probably one of the worst weeks in Garrett's life, at least in many years, because he was getting clobbered on social media. He went from everybody's darling, someone everyone respected as a, as a great poker player, a great guy, a nice guy, an even-tempered guy. So many people looked up to Garrett and thought, this is what I wish I could be. And then it went from that to people thinking he was a complete asshole who took money from an innocent girl. Not just money, but 135K. And a huge winner in the game who couldn't stand losing. It it just looked terrible. It was a terrible look, and he kept doubling down on it and looking worse. So he had his fanboys that were in his corner the whole way, but more and more people were going against him and attacking him and mocking him and criticizing him, and he must have not been used to that. He's never received this level of criticism before. So I'm sure he was very, very unhappy watching all this unfold. So he gave 135K. Someone found this on the website of this uh, Big Brother, Big Sister charity. I guess they were reporting publicly who gave money, and someone found that it said Garrett Adelstein donated 135000 And the statement Garrett Adelstein made was, Thank you all for supporting me by supporting this cause that means so much to me. So this was aimed at people reading it. It's not like Garrett was hiding this. (laughs) He put this message there for you to go to give to Big Brother Big Sister and see this message there that he donated 135K and that you're supporting him by donating to this cause that means so much to him. Now, I believe that Garrett probably has donated to this before and he's given his time to help mentor disadvantaged youth who don't really have anybody else because basically Big Brother Big Sister is an organization where kids who don't really have many positive role models in their lives can go spend some time with you and you kind of try to get them on the right track. These aren't like rich suburban kids. These are like inner city kids that are living a pretty hard life and you're trying to help put them on the right track. So, you know, it's a nice charity. It's, it's, nice to have something like that out there. I have nothing against Big Brother, Big Sister. And if you want to donate to that, that's fine. But I hate when charity is used to mask wrongdoing or make someone seem like a great person when they're accused of being a bad person. That is something that isn't good. Now, there are times where donating money to charity is the right thing to do if there's some dispute about money and who should have it. And the person says, okay, you know what? I'll just donate it to charity. But if there's two parties involved, they've got to both agree. So if he and Robbie got together and said, you know what? Rather than decide who should keep the money, how about we mutually decide upon a charity we both like and we give it there? Fine, fine. That doesn't take away from Garrett's wrongdoing in taking money from someone that he says is cheating him when he has no proof, but... At least both parties have agreed to give the money to charity. Fine. But when there's 135K that a lot of people think that you should give back to the person you took from, including the person who you took it from, 
and then you give it to charity, that doesn't get you out of it. And there were a lot of idiots on Twitter saying, well, but wait a minute, Garrett's worth way more than 135K. So yeah, he donated 135K there, but that doesn't mean he won't give another 35K back to Robbie if it turns out she's in the right. And I said, yes, it does. <laughs> Not 100%, but that's basically what it's saying because he didn't donate 100K or 200K or 150K or 95K. He donated exactly 135K, which is what he got from Robbie. So the message there is I'm taking every bit of this money, but not a penny more or less, and donating it to charity. The fact that he donated exactly 135K, which is exactly what he got from her, shows that this is what is being done with the money. And had he decided that this is a separate donation from whatever happens to the 135K he received, he would have said so. He would have said, okay, I made this donation, but just to be clear, that doesn't mean that I won't return it if it turns out she was innocent. He didn't say anything like that. He just said, join me in making this donation. So he thought that by just taking this money and donating it to charity, we'll get the heat off of him. And it really didn't. A few morons thought, okay, that's great. But Everybody else said, no, you really can't donate money to charity that you took from someone else that you shouldn't have. (laughs) You can separately donate to the charity, but you can't just say, okay, I've given it elsewhere. I've given it to a good cause, so I'm off the hook now. That's not how it works. What if I robbed a bank and then I gave that money to charity? Would that mean I don't get in trouble for robbing the bank? Would that make it okay? No, because it's not my money to give away. If Garrett separately wants to give 135K to charity, fine. But that does not mean that it has anything to do with the 135K he took from her. And if it is a separate donation, then why is he bringing it up now? He could donate it where the hell he wants it to charity. He could go to Big Brother, Big Sister and say, you know what? I love you guys so much. I think you're such a worthy cause. I'm going to donate $1 million. And that's great. And that'd be very generous if he did that. But it has nothing to do with this. Just like him donating 135K to that organization means one of two things. Either it means he just likes donating to this organization, in which case, fine, but then why are you announcing this to us? Or he is donating her money to that organization, in which case he should not have the right to do that. It's one of those two things. So this did not go over well, and it backfired. But fortunately for Garrett, I mean, this guy runs so well. Fortunately for Garrett, he didn't have very long to take a beating over this because he was taking a pretty big beating over this on social media. Didn't go the way he was hoping. Whoever gave him this advice to do this was stupid, unless he gave himself this advice, in which case he was stupid. But whatever it was, fortunately, nobody even thinks about this charity anymore because of the Brian Sagbixall stuff that came out a very short time later. Like, nobody even remembers this 135K he donated to charity because now that is very, very secondary. So now let's get to Garrett's statement that he put out there after the Brian Sagbix All News and he processed it and then he put together what he called a report regarding the entire cheating allegation matter. And spoiler alert... He still believes he was cheated, and he is continuing to press very hard on this belief. And he tweeted out a link to this report, which he posted on 2 Plus 2. 
Garrett actually started in poker on 2 plus 2 before anyone knew who he was. In fact, he was a young man back then. I believe he was only like 20, 21 years old when he made this account. I think he's like 36, and this was an account he made in June 2006. So he was just a young buck back then. Gman06 was his name on 2 plus 2. It's definitely him. The account has existed for 16 years. It's posted about a thousand times in that time span. Definitely the same guy if you go back to the old post. So in case you think it's a fake Garrett, it was not. Also, he tweeted a link to it from his Twitter account. So 100% it was him. This is what he wrote. Garrett Adelstein report unlikely cheating on Hustler Casino Live. First, I hope everyone can understand the delay in finalizing this document. Between, coming, uh, between compiling all this information and getting everything approved by my legal team, everything was bound to take some time. Please forgive me for the overuse of the word allegedly and other similar adverbs. Legal team is the boss. And by the way, unlike Brian Sagbixall, I actually do believe that Garrett Adelstein has a legal team because he has a lot of money, he can afford to hire a lawyer, and this is one of the worst things that's ever happened to him. So I'm sure he has a legal team advising him here. Going on. I can say with great confidence that Robbie was very likely a part of a cheating ring of at least three members, including her, Rip. Remember, Rip was the guy with the cowboy hat at the table with her that turned out to be staking her. Brian and potentially others. Of course, Brian being Brian Sagbixall. Although I have strong suspicions of many hands that were cheated and the specific methodology and roles of each member of the cheating ring, my legal team has advised me to leave this information out of this initial report. I may choose to disclose additional information in the future if this story continues to be derailed. Based on the evidence presented below, what I can say about the methodology is that it is highly likely there were instances where Brian had access to the hall cards, signaled information about those hall cards to Rip, Robbie, or potentially both, and Robbie likely used this information to cheat in several hands over her three sessions playing on Hustler Casino Live, I can also say with great confidence, based in part on the evidence presented below, that Robbie and Rip very likely worked together as a team in the two streams they played together on to cheat the rest of the table. The video evidence will show several instances of them using verbal and nonverbal communication to accomplish this goal. Additional camera footage beyond what's shown in the live stream will likely go a long way in further implicating the two. Although I was able to secure my 135000 in losses from the Jack Forehand, I believe that I have very likely been cheated in several other hands as well. The same is true of several other regulars on the show who too have likely been the victim of illegitimate hands, and we may never be reimbursed for those hands. I understand there are messages being shared that imply Brian was acting alone, but based on everything I've discovered, that theory isn't credible for many reasons that many of you are surely putting together. Highlights from the report. This is his words, not mine. Video evidence of Rip and Robbie allegedly working together to cheat during these games and other suspicious activity. Robbie likely lied about several aspects of her relationship with Rip. Beans, remember Beans was on the show last week, Darren Atterbury, also known as Beans, likely lied about his relationship with Robbie, including an exchange of money a few days prior to the Jack Ford game. We'll get to that shortly. Rip Robbie and Nick Airball dined together for seven hours on September 28th, which is the night before that fateful stream. The next morning, Airball agreed to give Rip a 175k loan to play in the game that Jack Forehand took place. The financial relationship between Robbie and Rip was not made known to other players until after the Jack Four incident. That part's true. I remember that. 
Bean's own recollections and information from many others suggest he may have had a, a criminal record and is a known scammer. Beans has been referred to as the King Scammer of Kansas City and was a person of interest in a 2017 robbery of the Bellagio Casino. He refused a polygraph in that case and admitted he has a colorful past. Let me pause right here. First of all, that information came from none other than PokerFraudAlert.com. Garrett actually posted a link to his appearance on Poker Fraud Alert in 2019 related to that Bellagio robbery. But hold on, hold the phone, stop right here. Stop. Don't move. Garrett, I don't like what you did there. You used the Bellagio incident, which had nothing to do with beans, to make it look like that he might have been the robber there when he wasn't. Why? Because there is no question, there is no question that beans was innocent in that robbery situation. You know what the chances are that Beans was the Bellagio robber in 2017? 0.0. And I know that because the 2017 Bellagio bandit is dead. He was shot dead as he was trying to escape on his second attempt in 2019. And we had Beans, a.k.a. Darren Adbury, on this show to talk about how he was a suspect in that robbery because he had a physical resemblance to the guy committing the robbery. And someone from poker noticed that resemblance and reported him. So the police looked into it and thought, hey, this guy does kind of resemble the Bellagio robbery. This is before they actually caught him and shot him. And... He just lost a lot of money playing poker the night before the 2017 robbery occurred. And that was also true. So he had motive. So I understand why the police were looking at him. And apparently he had a criminal record before that as well. So it makes sense why they were looking at him. But it turned out he didn't do it. He had nothing to do with it. The person who did commit that robbery was a man named Michael Cohen who, to my knowledge, had nothing to do with poker, even though he was robbing the poker room. He just did this because it was a soft target. Michael Cohen had a history of bank robbery. I believe he'd been arrested twice in the past for bank robbery. And he had always worked alone. So you can't even say that Beans maybe was his accomplice. The only reason Beans Beans was suspected here was because he kind of looked like Michael Cohen. That's it. He just was unfortunate enough to look like Michael Cohen, and to have the night before lost money playing poker. And you may think, well, is it possible that Beans did it the first time and then Cohen was a copycat robber? No, because Cohen was wearing the exact same disguise and had the exact same MO as the first time. 100% was the same guy. The police put out a statement that 100% was the same guy. The police did not ever suspect there was an accomplice. What ended up happening, if you don't remember, was that on the second attempt, about 18 months later in 2019, the second attempt to rob the Bellagio poker room, he again successfully did it and got away. But by coincidence, the police were already there for a completely different matter that was unrelated. There was a pervert who had arranged to meet a 12-year-old girl that he met online And she was visiting Vegas with her family. So he arranged for her to leave her family and go meet him. And, 
of course, the parents were like, where the hell did our daughter go? And reported to the police. And there was a big search for her. And fortunately, the pervert and the girl were found in the Bellagio. And he was arrested and the girl was returned to her family. And right when they had completed that whole thing, so the crisis was over, the girl was found, the pervert was in jail. The police were kind of standing around the valet area of the Bellagio waiting to go back to work in other parts of Las Vegas. And of all things, who walks out but Michael Cohen, the Bellagio robber. And the police didn't even realize that he had just robbed the Bellagio, but he saw the police. He figured they were there for him. So he panicked and tried to carjack someone, failed to carjack that person. And then when the police saw what was going on and told him to hold it right there, he shot one of them who fortunately had a bulletproof vest on so that person didn't get hurt. And then one of the other police officers fired back and Cohen was hit in the head and he died shortly after. So no big loss to have this career violent criminal who tried to kill a cop shot dead. That was a good thing. But it was not Beans. It had nothing to do with Beans. It was a career criminal who had robbed banks before, who moved on to rob the Bellagio twice, and fortunately happened to do it when the police were there anyway for something else. That's it. So why is this being mentioned in Garrett's report? Because Garrett obviously looked into this a good deal. He looked into Beans a good deal. I didn't even know that uh, Beans had refused a polygraph test. Maybe I did know. Maybe he said it on my show because actually the source that was cited was Poker Fraudler. So maybe I forgot that part of the interview. I don't know. But whatever. Who cares if he refused a polygraph? He didn't do it. Why would you mention this? Why would you mention that he was a person of interest in a robbery when we know who committed the robbery and it has nothing to do with him? When that case is solved and Beans was innocent. Even if Beans has other criminal elements in his history fine mention those well why would you mention something he was wrongly suspected for so that makes the report look like it is disingenuous when you put something in there that you know is not true that you know is misleading people and some people defending garrett some people who are hanging from his nuts on twitter are saying well you know he was just stating the fact that he was a person of interest no 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 look you don't say someone was a person of interest in a robbery when we are sitting here presently knowing that person was innocent. Because that is implying that maybe they did it. Maybe they did it, but there wasn't enough evidence to bust them. Because he doesn't clarify. He doesn't say after that, oh, by the way, Beans was innocent. He had nothing to do with this. No. He just mentioned he was a person of interest in a robbery of the Bellagio in 2017 and refused to polygraph. That's it. That leaves us thinking that maybe he did it. No, he didn't. The guy who did it is currently in the ground. So that was very dishonest, Garrett, and that makes me question the rest of the report. So very bad right there, regardless of anything else. You, you've got to be honest in these things, because if you're not, then nobody can believe anything you say. Even if you're being 95% truthful, if 5% that's put in there is an intentional lie or, in t- or attempt to mislead, it makes people not want to trust anything you say. So that was a, a big mistake there. Going on, he writes, Brian of Husser Casino Live is allegedly a known problem gambler and a criminal with the means and motive to play a key role in this alleged cheating effort. Brian also publicly sought information on methods of cheating prior to this game in question. That's all true. We'll get to that in a little bit. On September 27th, Robbie was seen by Julie Yorn. Julie Yorn was a woman who was appearing on a lot of the Husser Casino Live's streams early on in 2021 
She's a middle-aged female. She's actually like 55, so not a young woman. I kind of wondered like who she was and how they got her there. I hadn't heard of her before. Julie is someone who is in the movie industry, so that's why she was there. She was a movie producer. I just hadn't heard of her before. But anyway, uh, she's apparently pretty well-respected, and she had an allegation against uh, Robbie over a bike game that had occurred before that. Going on, he writes, On September 27th, Robbie was seen by Julie Yorn angle-shooting a min-buy at the Bicycle Casino when they played at the same table. Robbie was unable to produce identification and made several statements that either raised suspicion or contradicted other things she said publicly. Again, we'll get to that later. In fact, there was an exchange between them pretty recently on Chicago Joey's show that was pretty contentious between Julie and Robbie. A source with direct knowledge gives a a detailed account of Rip's alleged history as a con man, including boxing scams, misrepresented businesses, and other concerning details of his past, Garrett writes. Following the incident, both Beans and Robbie have given suspicious, contradictory, or seemingly false stories on several media outlets, and then analysis and red flags of the Jack Ford hand itself. So these are the highlights from the report. And then he goes and writes uh, more detail on these. I'm not going to read you this whole thing. It would take forever to read it. Basically, he doesn't present anything concrete at all. There's nothing he presents there that's like the smoking gun. In fact, he links a lot of different parts of the streams, but it's not like he found amazing things that we all missed. He's just speculating about a lot of things. Uh, The report was very disappointing. It didn't prove anything. And in fact, it made that ridiculous allegation about beans and the thing with the Bellagio robbery, which I thought was bad form. The part with Julie Yorn... This was the first I read about that, so I will tell you about that. This is what he wrote regarding Julie and Robbie. Julie Yorn played an off-stream 5100 no-limit game with 100 Big Blind Annie on Tuesday 926 at the Bicycle Casino. So this was just a regular game, regular 5100 game at the bike that had nothing to do with any kind of stream. Early that night, one player in the game asked Julie, you play, you play in home games with Robbie, right? That player asked this because Robbie had told said player that she regularly plays with Julie in home games. Julie says, no, I never even met her. Later that evening, Robbie comes to the table and verbally declares she's buying in for the minimum 5K, giving several excuses of why she's buying in for such a small amount despite no one questioning her buy-in. She does not put any money on the table, which is required. So let me stop and explain what he's saying here. So according to Julie Yorn, who told this to Garrett, who then repeated the same thing on Chicago Joey's show later on, Robbie came to a pretty high-stakes game, 5,100 with 100 Big Blind Annie as well, and puts down the minimum buy-in of 5K. Now, 5K is not chump change, obviously, but at a game like that, 5K is tiny. 5K is a very small buy-in at a 5,100 game, especially with a 100 Big Blind Annie. But not only did she buy in for the minimum... But she immediately started making excuses, according to Julie, as to why she's only buying in for 5K, and then also didn't put money on the table to actually buy, yet was playing hands. So she just sits down and says, yeah, I'm in for 5K, and then asks for hands to be dealt. I don't even know how that happened, because they won't usually do this. Usually to get hands, 
you've got to pull out the money. And then they call for chips and a chip runner comes. So usually it's something like that. You can't just say in for 5K because, yeah, you could easily stiff everybody. You could free roll them by not really having 5K. And then if you win the hand, great. And then if you lose the hand, you just walk away and, and never actually give the money. So that's what was being alleged here because it says Robbie goes all in firsthand. Another player calls with ace-king and she has pocket eights. Robbie wins both runouts. I guess they ran it twice. So she has chips in front of her now. But she has yet to post a buy-in. A few hands later, Julie notes that Robbie's original buy-in was never put on the table. Julie asks Robbie, you're 5K behind, right? And Robbie contests this claim. Now others at the table support that claim, supporting Julie's assertion. Robbie says, I think I borrowed it from someone. Eventually, Robbie slowly pulls out some wrinkled cash amounting to 5K. Now, that's kind of funny because either you have the cash or you don't. It doesn't matter if the cash you pull out is wrinkled. <laughs> like, why even throw in that detail? The rest of this is interesting. The rest of it is interesting because it does paint the picture of somebody who may have been angle shooting. I'm not saying she was or wasn't, but I'm saying that it is very suspicious when somebody comes there, doesn't put cash on the table, plays a hand for 5K saying she has that behind. Calwet, hello. Yeah, how much wrinkled cash are we talking about, Druff? We're talking about 5K worth of wrinkled cash. Would you be okay with that? <sighs> I mean, if it was the, the, the only way I thought I would ever get it, I mean, I guess. So wrinkled cash is a problem for you usually? Well, it, it sounds annoying. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could just show up at the bank with like a bag full of wrinkled cash yeah. and throw it in there. Are we talking about like crumpled up? or? What, I don't what know. He says about? wrinkled. I'll, I'll take wrinkled cash. If you guys want to pay me in wrinkled cash, if you owe me money, I'll be yeah. glad to take it. Yeah, Give me yeah. all the wrinkled cash you want. But well, it actually- depends on how annoying. I'm thinking about some bets I've lost where like – Friends of mine have paid me in pennies and shit like that. A big, oh, okay, but big that's old not bag full of pennies. Okay, but that's not wrinkled cash. That's like giving small bills. If he said that she she ripped <laughs> out uh, like five hundred one dollar bills and dumped them on the table, I'd understand. But it just sounds like she pulled out a lot of wrinkled cash. <laughs> I think his is oh, assertion talking about Robbie. Yes, yes. I I think his oh, assertion yeah. is that she barely had that on her and that she uh, she got got together a lot of wrinkled bills that added up to five k, but. Who's going to carry around a lot of wrinkled bills adding up to 5K unless they really are bringing 5K to play poker? So I, I think that's a dumb thing to write about the wrinkled cash, and people kind of laughed at well, that. I remember hearing that story, and it, it sounded like the, the person who was conveying it, it was a woman, I forget her name, a uh, Julie Hollywood Orn, producer, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she was, I think she was also trying to convey that uh, Robbie seemed like she was on something. And you know, if people are drunk, they just have like random cash that they've shoved into their purse or whatever. So yeah. she's probably trying to convey that too. <laughs> anyway, uh, then it's, it goes on to say, after the wrinkled cash part, she doesn't have an ID when asked to provide it by the chip runner. A player in the game yeah. makes a point to say that she didn't have an ID last time she played either. Sources say Robbie played tight and generally reasonable. Robbie has a conversation with Julie. Julie asks her, where do you play? Robbie says tournaments and stuff that she's lived in the Palisades for 18 years. Otherwise, Robbie gave... Very sketchy answers throughout, coming across very secretive. When asked specifically if she plays home games, Robbie says not really, which contradicted what the other person was told by Robbie that she plays at home games. Robbie yeah, then, she said she played at home games with the person who was telling the story. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and R- Robbie eventually loses all her chips from the minimum buy-in and leaves the table, making an excuse to why she's not rebuying, despite nobody requesting such information. 
The above description is relevant as it likely illustrates Robbie's character exemplified by her trying to angle shoot her buy-in, her lack of funds when she's not playing on a stream, and her willingness to lie. Well, I agree she is willing to lie because we've seen that. And I agree that uh, this is possible uh, angle shooting. I'm not saying... How can you say she has lack of funds... Uh, she, she did have them for that game. It was wrinkled, but she had it. Now, it is true that she probably didn't have the amount to play that she played with on Hustler Casino Live, but it's already been demonstrated that she was being backed by Rip. So I don't know what, what he thinks he's proving there. So while it was an interesting story... And Rip story, was being backed by that other guy. <laughs> yeah, that's true, by, by Nick <laughs> well, Airball. Backed, but he was yeah. borrowing money. Yeah, yeah so, so anyway, uh, then he also said about Rip, might as well get to that here, Rip has stated in multiple interviews that he's giving Robbie a free roll in exchange for 50% of her winnings. The presumption here is that he would need to be wealthy to do this. Jacob Chavez, which is his name, uh, has played a a small number of poker tournaments since 2014, mostly ranging in buy-ins between $100 and $400. One source said he knows Rip as a union electrician, and there's no way he could have the money to play, let alone back someone in these games. On streams and interviews, Rip claims to be a cattle rancher in real estate and a serial entrepreneur. In fall. Yeah, I remember hearing his interview, Druff, where he, he's like, yeah, he was, he started out as a union electrician, but he does a whole lot of other shit now. Yeah. And it says in fall of 2021, he was arrested for an alleged assault, which doesn't really say very much here other than no. he's willing to get into fights. And uh, so he's trying to portray in this that Rip is some sort of con artist, which I don't know. Like, would I trust Rip holding my money? No, but... I, I don't know what to say about him. I, I really don't know what his whole story is and if he's involved in I, this. I heard him not. when he came on Joey's stream. And, you know, who knows? People can say whatever they're going to say. But he, it seemed pretty reasonable, like he was relatively well off, you know? Who knows? Yeah, who knows with this. So the rest of this is about what people were saying about Rip. I won't bother to read that. Uh he talks about Brian Sagbixall. We've already talked about him, so I'll skip that part. The part about Beans, remember, he was on this show last week, and he revealed on Poker Fraud Alert, and to my knowledge, this is the first time he had revealed it. He eventually revealed the same thing on Joey's show. But he revealed that he was the one who got Robbie into the game. He claimed that he met Robbie by seeing her at what was called a Survivor Tournament, which is kind of like a satellite, except it's for cash where everybody gets paid the same thing once they get down to a certain point. So once one person cashes, everybody instantly cashes and the tournament's over. And he was claiming that even though she had enough chips to just not play any hands and automatically cash the maximum, that she kept playing hands and that made her think that that made him think that she was a fish. And then he recruited her to appear on Hustler Casino Live, hoping that he would get to play against her and win some of her money. That was his story that he told us on Poker Fraud Alert last week. And he was insisting that she was probably innocent and that the reason she probably gave back the money was because he let her know that Garrett has a lot of influence on who gets on the stream and who stays on the stream and that she was worried she'd never come back if Garrett felt that she was cheating. So this is kind of her way to be able to stay on the stream, which was reasonable at the time. I thought he was probably right. However, Beans has since come upon a lot of suspicion by the poker community and Garrett makes the point that uh, not only was uh, does he have a bad reputation, he writes, Beans is regarded by a source as the, quote, king scammer of Kansas City, ranging from credit card scams to sports and entertainment ticket scams. 
He has gone on record several times saying he's responsible for getting Robbie on Hustler Casino Live with Robbie subsequently getting Rip on the show. And then he goes on again about the whole thing about the Bellagio robbery, which I really hate being in that report because, as I just said, we know who did that and it wasn't Bean, so why put that in there? And he at no point does Garrett write that it turns out he was innocent. So that's that shows you that Garrett or his attorneys, whoever put this report together, they're just putting everything in there that can make someone look bad that he does not like and wants to implicate in this uh, scam, in this alleged scam. But he isn't really dedicated to telling the truth. Because if you're dedicated to telling the truth, you don't put anything about the Bellagio robbery because Ge- Beans had nothing to do with it. So it has no yeah, place. It's just some guy that happened to look like him. Right. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. So the, and, and the guy is dead. They caught him. They shot him dead. So why would you ever put that in here and, and then not well, even mention? That's pretty definitive right there. Yeah. The guy, they caught him and he's dead. Yes. I mean. <laughs> so, so why would you ever put that in here and then not mention that they caught the, the real robber and he's dead? Like, why would you not put that unless you're trying to mislead people? So I, I hated the fact that that was in here and that really made me like not trust this. E- even though... Poker Fraud Alert Radio was linked as a source, and we might get additional listeners from that. So if you, if you came in from that, welcome. But uh, Garrett, please don't do that again. So Druff, I, I hate to barge in here, you know, because you, you may have already covered this. But have you have you talked about uh, kind of the the temperature of the room in terms of where you are at in terms of you know cheat no cheat kind of thing? No, like I haven't said yet. It? I've said where people are, how the needle okay. has moved, but I haven't mentioned where my needle has gone. Got it. Anyway, Got it. Uh, he goes on basically saying that uh, Beans is a shady guy who is involved in this whole thing. And so what Garrett's trying to say is that Beans is a career scammer who's scammed all the way back to his days in Kansas City and that what he probably did was – purposely get Robbie into this game so she can cheat. He he was her in. Maybe he's even the recruiter for someone like Brian. He was her in to the game so she could cheat. He didn't just happen to pawn her because she played a satellite badly. Uh, so that that's what uh, Garrett's trying to say here in his report. And, I mean, is that possible? Yes. What do I think of Beans at this point? Well, obviously, Beans is a guy with some issues, and some things have come out about Beans since then. Beans apparently is awaiting sentencing for one of those PPP loan scams. So apparently, he obtained a loan fraudulently, a PPP loan during COVID for a business he had related to some kind of animal rescue or something, and Apparently, he made a lot of false and misleading statements and uh, also misused the money. And Sounds he, like a peach. Yes, and so he and another person have already been convicted for this, and apparently he is awaiting sentencing. I didn't know that when I had him on last week. Now, I still would have had him on. I'll have anybody on here, but um, I didn't know that last week. I did kind of have the idea with Beans that he was a guy who was – he kind of reminded me in a way, and someone put this very well on the forum, that he reminded them of Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch, which is a pretty dated reference. But Oh, my God. Basically, someone who is kind of a, a lovable but sort of a shady guy 
that is kind yep. of harmless, but yet uh, you wouldn't really want to trust with anything. And that's Dude, always someone dug deep for that reference. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> and is already always looking out for himself and the next little scheme he can get involved with. And that's kind of the way I pictured him anyway. Uh, and, and you know, I, I fully believe he was innocent with the Bellagio thing. But am I surprised by any of this stuff? No. Like, I didn't read and go, oh, my God, I can't believe that he engaged in PPP loan fraud. No. Like, I can believe it. And I someone even presented some information on Twitter that Beans was arrested for robbery back in 92. Now, to be fair, he was like 16 back in 92. So you can't hold against someone too much for what they did when they were 16, when they're 46 now. But still, I do believe that in all this time that Beans has probably done a a number of not very nice and not very good things. Whether he's reformed, I don't know. But yes, that does increase the chance that he wasn't telling us the truth last week, that maybe he did recruit Robbie for reasons other than thinking she was a fish, because he did mention that she never got in his game. He mentioned that he recruited her to play on the Max Payne Monday, which he played on, and that she never made it there and instead was playing in higher stakes games, so he never even got benefit from it. And at the time, I kind of just took it at face value. I'm like, okay, well, I guess he he tried to get a fish into his game and it backfired because she played in a different game, so it was useless to him. I wouldn't say it backfired, but it was useless to him. But I will say that this is a little suspicious because if you think about it, if there is cheating going on on the stream, and if they have an inside guy willing to look at the whole cards, which Brian definitely could be, as I already mentioned, then you need to recruit players into the game. And it's a lot easier to bring new people into the game who are shady, who are willing to do this, than to get existing players in the game to agree. Because once you approach these existing players, they may report you for approaching them and suggesting this. So it's much easier to find outsiders that you can bring in, and she is a good outsider to bring in because it's easier to get her on stream than the average just regular dude because she's a girl who is under 40 that... Uh, you can say it, Druff. Yeah, that has her tits out and, and all there that. There you so. go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, it's much easier to get that on stream than you know, someone that is just a regular dude in poker. And then she got rip on. So it would make sense that that would be a good person to put in there to do it because you can get them in there easily and you don't have to approach an existing known player who might report you and cry foul that you're even suggesting this. So yeah, it could all fit, but it could all fit is the operative words to use here. There is still no evidence any of this happened. There's no evidence that's the thing. I was so mad. I I read uh, Garrett's post. Like I read the whole fucking thing, and I read it. You know, I actually read it a couple of times. And I'm like, okay, but there was no substance there at all. You know? Yeah, and it's not like beans. There was was allegation. There was innuendo. There was this is a little shady. That's a little shady. But there was nothing. Yeah, it's not like they came up with like. Smoking gun text messages with Bean saying, okay, Robbie, so I've got you in. Now just wait for Brian to give you the signal. And like, It's not like that was found. It was like, It's just like, okay, Bean's got her in the game, and Bean's has this history. And the funny thing is somehow Garrett missed the whole thing about the PPP loan. That was not in his report. He missed a big thing there. Instead, he goes on and on about a robbery that Bean's clearly did not commit. But uh, yeah, that's it. 
I felt the same way when I read Garrett's report. There was nothing concrete in there. There was no evidence of any kind of actual cheating. For another another callback from long ago, it's like that uh, Wendy's commercial, right? The where's the beef? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's just no beef. There's exactly. no beef. Exactly. So the interesting things to, to note, also Beans apparently got uh, 20K from Robbie at some point as a loan. So that, uh, and then he played with that on stream. So people questioned why would Robbie ever loan some guy she just met at the bike playing in a survivor tournament? Why would she just loan him 20K? That's, that is a good question. So some people were theorizing, okay, you know, that's because they're working together in a cheating ring, but who knows? I mean, people give stupid loans all the time. So you can't just say because she gave him a 20K loan, that means that they're cheating together. No, I, there's people all the time who are good talkers that get people to loan them money so they can go degenerate, degen with it. So that, again, this, this proves nothing. Uh, then there's the Nick Airball thing. So let me get into Nick Airball. Nick Airball is a guy who has appeared on the stream a number of times. He's actually on Twitter as Nick Airball, N-I-K Airball. And he plays at the high stakes game. He talks a lot of trash, especially on Twitter. He talks a lot of shit about Garrett. And he was trying very hard to get into that particular game. But most notably, Nick Airball the night before that game, remember the game was on September 29th, it says in Garrett's report, on Wednesday, September 28th, Rip, Robbie, and Hustler Casino Live regular Nick Airball all dined together at Javier's restaurant for seven hours. Later that evening, Nick drove Rip's car to Rip's home, dropping Rip off along the way. The next morning, it is agreed that Airball will giving Rip will be giving Rip a 175k loan to play in that game where the Jack Forehand occurred, and that Rip has decided to join the game at the last minute. This is all confirmed via Airball's Twitter statement on October 7th, which coincidentally came out hours after he may have learned that I would be going public with this information. Well, maybe, but there was also another tweet that went out there regarding Nick Airball and his watch. And uh, that was actually by me. Now, I didn't discover this, but someone brought it to me. A listener to this show brought it to me that Nick Airball had tweeted, like right before this game, that he a picture of him wearing a very, very expensive watch. A watch that's worth like over $400,000. And that, Rip was seen wearing that exact same watch on that stream. Now, what are the chances that both of them are wearing that exact same super expensive watch? Well, it turned out that it was the same watch. Apparently, Nick was borrowing the watch and then gave it back to Rip, who then wore it on stream. There are some claiming now that the watch was fake, and I don't know if it was or wasn't, but uh, regardless... uh, after the whole watch thing, which I posted on Poker Fraud Alert, which again was discovered by somebody who listens to this show, not uh, me, but I, I put it out there once that person sent it to me. And then shortly after that, Nick Airball then made this uh, statement about the seven-hour dinner he had at Javier's. With, yeah, Griff, when's the last time you had dinner for seven hours? Uh, yeah, I've never done that. As much as I like to eat, you know- I've, never, I've never eaten seven hours. 
Well, you know what that means, right? Uh, if someone's at dinner for seven hours, they're drinking for six of it. Yeah. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. So what's kind of come out since then was that they did spend seven hours there at Javier's, but that it kind of looked like that Nick Airball was being schmoozed and that he was kind of talked into giving Rip money for this game, which is kind of weird because if Nick is backing Robbie, then why is there such a major effort to borrow money from Nick Airball and take him out for seven hours to Javier's and sit there drinking with him? But anyway, here's here's Nick Airball's statement. See, see, see all these new players, the, these new characters in the story now that keep getting introduced? Like, this thing's expanded so much since we were last on. This is what he wrote, uh, Nick Airball. Again, I think there's a good chance he put this out there because of the watch thing. Because I, I put the watch thing out there, and then shortly after he put this on, and uh, Garrett thinks it's because Nick Airball heard that he might be mentioned in the report, but who knows? I guess it could have been either one. But Nick Airball said... I met Jacob and Robbie on Wednesday, 921 at Husser Casino for live stream. That was eight days before they, the Jack Forehand. I befriended Jacob, that is Rip, at the table as we discussed MMA boxing, and he told me about how he works with Jake Paul. Jacob busted early that day from the stream, but before leaving, we agreed to exchange contact info, and he invited me to the Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva fight. I accepted his invitation and was sent ringside tickets by Jacob. That day, I played a couple of hands with Robbie. Of interest, she showed she owned me in a hand with AA versus my 7-3 on an 8-7-6-5 board where I gave up on the river after some table talk on the turn. After the game, I also got Robbie's contact info as I felt like her and Jacob were both great for the game and she expressed interest in, in off-stream games. I host off I, I host off high-stakes off-stream games at The Hustler about once a week where the regulars play frequently. So what he's basically saying here is that he thought that not only were they good for the streaming game, but also for the non-stream game they have that's high stakes. And what he's saying without directly saying is he thought they were fish who could chunk off money into the game, which is what you need for these games to keep going. Because it's not going to be a bunch of good players against each other. That's not what they want. Now, the, and, the one thing to note about this Nick Airball guy, I'm not saying he's above board, but he's not a professional poker player. I mean, he's, he's avid and he plays a lot. He actually has a, a full-time job as an investment banker. So it's not like he's, you know, it doesn't mean that he couldn't still be getting himself into trouble one way or another, but it's not like a guy that doesn't have something else going on. Yeah, that's you know? true. That's a good point. So he says, in the coming days, I talked to Jacob a little via text about the fights, and I invited both him and Robbie to an off-stream game that was scheduled for September 30th. On September 28th, the day before the alleged incident, I made dinner plans with Jake and Robbie, and we went to Javier's in Newport Beach. We were there from about 5 p.m. to midnight, eating dinner and having drinks. During our time there, we talked about a lot of MMA fighting, but also a lot about poker. We talked about the game the next day, which Jacob was not scheduled to play. Nothing came across sketchy to me. Jacob loves poker and seemed interested in trying to get more involved and help build the Hustler stream by potentially bringing Jake Paul and other big names out for games. Jacob mentioned to me during the dinner that he was taking a piece of Robbie in the game the next day. At the end of the night, Jacob spoke with Ryan Feldman on the phone and agreed to play the next day. However, this was after a full night of heavy drinking. Oh, look, you were right, Kelwan. I drove Jacob and his home in his car as he had too much to drink, then took it back to my house and crashed for the night. Not crashed the car, but crashed himself into bed after agreeing to pick him up, drop him off the next day. 
The next day, September 29th, I got to Jacob's house and around 10 a.m. hung out there while he got ready for about an hour. After he got ready, we chatted a little before leaving, and he was stressed about the game that day as he didn't remember agreeing to play the night before and thus didn't have enough cash on hand for himself and needed cash for Robbie, too. So he's claiming that Rip said, what? 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 I'm going to play? I agreed to play? Oh, shit. I only have enough to give Robbie. Fuck. I don't have that with me right now. Oh, am I going to bankroll myself and Robbie? Fuck. Fuck. Oh. So Nick Airball to the rescue. He said, I offered to lend him 175K in Hustler chips. For those wondering, this is common practice in high stakes games, especially at Hustler. I've long been known as the lender in these games and always lend to players to help keep the game running and make life easier for all. This has not always worked out for me. Regardless, we got my car, and then we caravan to Hustler, where I gave Jacob 175k before the stream in the VIP private room. This all happened on camera. Robbie was there as well. While at the cage, Jacob asked the cashier if the money he had wired was cleared, and if, after looking, the cashier said they had not received the wire yet. Jacob offered me a 15% free roll for helping him out, and I declined. President, he's not my style. We agreed Jacob would return the chips to me the next day, September 30th, as he was scheduled to play the smaller stream game again with Robbie. I went home after and was relaxing until I found out about the hand in real time. Obviously, I did not know what to think or how to feel, but I decided to go to Hustler and collect my 175k. I went to Hustler, waited the VIP cage area, during which I met Robbie's husband briefly and exchanged some pleasantries before pointing him in the right direction of the stage. 15 to 30 minutes after the stream ended, Jacob came with his chips to the VIP cage area and upon seeing me promptly gave me back my 175k. All information above was shared with Ryan Feldman on October 1st. I'm happy to answer any other questions people may have. Now, as far as him loaning to a lot of people at Hustler for the stream, I guess that could be happening. He said it hasn't always worked out, so maybe he got stiffed. It does happen sometimes where in these very high stakes games that people just show up without the money on them and you have to make a decision if you really want the person in the game. Let's say they're a fish and you want them in there, but they don't have the money on them. You have to make a decision. Do I trust them to pay me if they lose? And there have been incidents in the past, not at Hustler, but elsewhere where the person who loses does have the money to cover it, but chooses not to pay because they think they were cheated in some way. So you're always risking that. You're right, that. Ruff. That's how a lot of these games run. Yeah. Like I know even the games I used to run and some of the other underground, underground games that were around, the only reason a lot of those games ran is people would loan money to the, the really bad players. They would do it all the time. And a lot of these really bad players, even they kind of knew their status to some extent. Like They knew that the game kind of revolved around them, and they used that as ways to get people to to loan the money to put them in yes yes so this is common so i'm not surprised that nick airball who as you said has money i think it might be uncommon to just whip out 175 grand though i don't know maybe i just don't live in those circles no i've seen more i've seen more whipped out i've actually seen more whipped out i've seen millions whipped out in some cases uh and, and then heard of horror stories about that in fact uh there was that one with Leon Sukernik where that happened. This guy yeah, definitely can true. cover it, but uh, he wouldn't pay that Aussie Matt guy back after he lost heads up, claiming there was cheating. And you know, how do you have heads well, up? Wasn't cheating? there someone with that uh, Kings Poker? The yeah, guy that, that was pay or that, that's too? the same guy. Yeah, Leon Sukernik. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. so this does happen, uh, and and Nick Airball claims that he's just the one who seems to facilitate this, and why it has to be on him, I don't know, but maybe he 
thinks this is kind of his role there and why they keep having him back. He did talk a lot of trash the day before and talked about Garrett and other people in the game about how awful they are and how he wants to get in and crush them all. But this kind of seems like him playing a character. He's trying to be this kind of like equivalent to like a bad guy in a wrestling match, which is you know very brash and, and talking trash to everybody in the game. And, yeah, he's um, playing the heel. Yeah. So that by itself doesn't mean very much. Some people think, oh, Nick Airball, look at the animosity towards Garrett. Well, yeah, but it does seem like this is kind of played up here just to get in the game and just to make people notice him. So I, I think I believe this story. It is interesting, the whole thing about Rip saying, what? what? I didn't remember agreeing to be on here. Oh, if only I had the money guy who always loans the money to people. If only I had it. Wow, what can I do about this? Well, you know, I do loan money to people sometimes, Rip, so I guess I could do it for you too. Oh, really, man? Oh, that's so cool. I didn't even think of that. Like, <laughs> I could picture the way it went down. And who knows what the real situation was. You know, maybe Rip really did realize he didn't have the cash for both him and Robbie. Maybe he underestimated how much he'd need and then realized it and then faked not remembering having agreed. I don't believe he didn't remember agreeing to it, but it is possible that he realized he didn't have the cash on him and couldn't produce it same day. Because you can't just stroll into a bank and say, "Hey, give me 175k." I, I've strolled. And he did t- say that he had wires that were coming in, um, but they just didn't make it in time, which is not uncommon either. I mean, I've had that happen. Yeah, it's also not I mean, uncommon he, though to lie about that. To lie about wires which are never sure. <laughs> sure, that's very <laughs> true too. But it could be either way. Like, um, it is possible he just walked up to the cage and said, "Hey, did my wire come in yet?" Uh, no. Ah, see, look, I had a wire coming, guys. It just hasn't come. But you know he could be wiring like a thousand, or he could have told them that he's wiring uh, 175 and they just not sent it. So just just having them check if the wires come in yet means nothing. He did get his money back. I'm forgetting if Rip won or lost in that game. He lost. He lost. Yeah, that's what I thought. So a, c- a combination of the days that he played, I think he lost like 75, 80 grand. Okay, so I mean, Rip probably had the money to back this here. It wasn't like a free roll, and who knows what the truth was about him forgetting that he had agreed to go on. But it does look like they spent seven hours with Nick Airball for a reason. I don't know what that reason was. Some theorized it was that Rip and Robbie didn't really have the money they claimed to have and needed to schmooze a guy who could put one of the, or both of them in. Who knows? But uh, th- there was some purpose that he was taken out for seven hours there to Javier's. But that's one of many mysteries here. So a number of people were uh, suspicious of Nick Airball for this reason, uh, including Garrett, who seems to believe that Nick Airball is part of this whole uh, cheating scheme. But I, I saw nothing that yeah, was so unlikely. conclusive. It just doesn't seem very likely to me. Yeah. It's not 0%, but it doesn't seem that likely. It seems like Nick Airball has a, a pretty solid story for this whole thing that fits together an, an investment banker that's got you know 200k in chips you can just throw around to people i don't know I yeah mean, it, it kind of looks like if anything he was just brought in as kind of a mark here so i i don't i don't think nick airball was cheating anyway even then uh, the rip guy was in his side of the story was that uh not only did he not remember agreeing to play but he didn't re- even really necessarily want to play on stream because <laughs> He was all hung over and, you know, whatever. I don't know. Hey, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. And then the rest of this, 
is him talking about different inconsistencies in Robbie's story and why she played the hand that way and different contradictions. And I will say, Garrett is correct that she is full of contradictions. Yeah. There's things that just couldn't both be true that she says. And this is someone I really do not trust. I'm talking about Robbie here. I, I think this is someone who is just saying whatever she thinks she needs to say at the moment, whatever she thinks will sound best at the moment, and hasn't even gotten a clear story down that she could put out that really makes any sense. And now, and in fact, maybe we'll pivot to this now. Now she seems to be taking a different line entirely. We had a call last week from a regular listener, Patrick from the 507. It was a good call. Now, Patrick from the 507 is not connected in any way. This is not a guy who has any involvement in any of this. He suggested that a big purpose of this whole thing, maybe the main purpose, was to make her social media famous. And that since Rip is connected to Jake Paul, and he obviously has a connection to that social media world in that way. You know, Jake Paul was a social media star himself before he got into all this uh, boxing and MMA stuff. So maybe he was trying to make a social media star out of Robbie and that the plan was to go on to that stream and do something crazy that'll get people talking. That is to have Robbie do it, not him. And and it worked. And now she's trying to parlay it into social media fame. Well, you know what? That is not a bad guess because she has been leaning into this big time because a big question has been all along, ever since this all happened, if she was cheating, why was she, number one, so willing to give back the money? And number two, keep going on Chicago Joey's show over and over and over again and do interviews with Poker News and do interviews on on Hustler Casino Live itself. Why is she so accessible, even contradicting herself over and over? Why is she so accessible if she was cheating and she's trying to hide that she was cheating? So one answer could just be she's stupid or over and overconfident in being able to talk her way out of things. But another answer could be that she wasn't cheating, that she was trying to do something. She was trying to do something to get attention and now has gotten it and now is trying to parlay that into social media fame. So she put up a... Uh, I don't know, Druff. She wasn't dressed like she was trying to get any attention. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think that story checks out. She put up a picture of herself, I think it was yesterday, yesterday, the day before, I'm forgetting now, but a picture of herself, very posed of her drinking wine, and she's dressed in, in very high-end clothing and uh, trying to look as sexy as possible and puts out a question, so how many glasses of wine do you think I should drink before going on Chicago Joey's highly watched podcast? And I'm going, oh my God, this is... This is a huge cry for attention. Why would you ever put something like that? That actually dress up for a picture of you drinking wine, a post picture of you drinking wine, and asking how much wine you should drink before going on Chicago Joey's show. Is that the behavior of someone who's traumatized about being accused of cheating? Or is that the behavior of someone who wants to take this and work this into some kind of fame? It's been obvious for the last week or so, and maybe even more, that she is really, really trying to get big-time exposure over this because she sees she's getting covered in mainstream media, not just poker media, over this entire matter, 
and she wants as many eyeballs on her as possible now. So whether this was the plan all along, that she tried to get attention through the poker stream and then move up to bigger things and then got more attention than she could have ever imagined and now is trying to work with it, I don't think she thought it would translate into a cheating scandal. That, that I'm sure, surprised her. But was this possibly a move for attention in the first place, which then became a cheating scandal, which then turned back into attention? Or was it just that since she's getting the attention anyway, she's trying to get something out of it? She's trying to turn lemons into lemonade, which is basically what she's trying to say. She's even talked about on Joey's show recently that she has a PR person. She's admitted this. So definitely she is trying to put herself out there. Now, seeing that, I tried to reach out to her again. I reached out to her the first time and was ignored, even though she likes some of my tweets and things like that. So she follows me. She followed me before all this happened. I don't know why. I didn't know who she was. And she continues to follow me and sometimes likes my tweets about the matter, even ones that are kind of poking fun at her. But she did not respond to my original message asking her to talk to me about this. So I sent her another one. And I sent her another one offering for her to come on the show and she wrote back, hmm, is all she said back. So then I, this is all privately. So then I explained again to her, this is just an audio show. She doesn't have to dress up for it. And that I tried to give her a little pitch to come on here. And she said, let me get back to you this afternoon. This was yesterday. Shock upon shock, she didn't get back to me. I sent her another message asking if she has an answer for me. And I got no answer. And then shortly after that, I see that she's appearing on Joey's show again. That is uh, tonight. It's probably going on right now. It's, there's no video on your show. That Right. That's the problem. That I realized yeah. that's the problem. When I said no video, yeah. I was trying to make it like a good thing. Like you don't have to dress up. You don't have to worry about how you look like. It's easy. It's not a lot of effort. No, I screwed up there because by saying there's no video, she's like, wait a minute, no video? Then, then I can't try to look sexy for all the dudes watching and get attention for myself. If it's just on the phone, who cares? This is useless to me. So why not go on the much bigger audience show that she's already been on and dress up really nicely? And if you notice, when she first appeared on Joey's show, it just said Robbie and it was dark. She was on Zoom. That's the way you call into that show. And she didn't appear on video, probably because it was late at night. She wasn't dressed up. But on the subsequent appearances, which were more planned, boy, was she dressed up. It was like she was going out. It was like she was going out in the town. To appear on Joey's show. Now you can say, okay, a lot of times people want to look their best when they appear on stream, especially something that's going to be watched a lot, especially females you can see really caring about their appearance. So I'm not saying she should show up in sweats with uh, no makeup on and her hair looking uh, all strung out, but uh, boy, did she put a lot of effort into her appearance on Joey's show. And she keeps coming on and on and on again. And tries to just really milk this thing. She really loves the attention. She is really enjoying everything that is happening here at this point. And she's even taking a different stance now. She's now taking more of an aggressive stance. Like, yeah, I don't care what people think. You can say this. She even said at one point, fuck you, Matt Berkey, and flipped him off. And she, she's getting very brash and defiant the whole thing at this point, I don't know what it was originally, but the whole thing at this point is now all about social media attention. She wants to be a star now. She wants to be a social media star. 
So I think Patrick from the 507 actually had a very good thought about this. And the funny thing was someone on Reddit posted about this and that started going around on Twitter like, hey, guys, this is something really interesting. Look at this angle. And everyone's like, ooh, we didn't think of that before. And I'm like, yeah, that was only on our show a week and a half ago. It wasn't my idea. It was Patrick's idea, but it was still on our show. But that's something you need to consider here. I'm not saying that makes her innocent, but that is something you need to consider is that Rip is someone closely connected to a big social media person, Jake Paul, and Robbie is connected to him, and Robbie is definitely milking it at this point. And at the beginning, I thought, okay, maybe she's going on to clear her name because everyone's saying Robbie's a cheater, Robbie's a cheater, and she's going on there saying, I'm not a cheater for X and Y reasons. Now, a lot of these reasons were contradictory, and she didn't do herself any favors, but okay, if they were putting out on social media that I was a cheater and it was getting around in poker that Todd is a cheater and I knew I wasn't. Yeah, I would come on social. I would come on Joey's show or whatever the high profile shows were that were covering this and I would defend myself. I wouldn't sit there quiet. In fact, I have said that a big strike against people like Ali Imstervik and Jake Schindler is the fact that they've never defended themselves, not on any kind of interview, not on any kind of show not even in any kind of print media, not even in their own tweets. They will not defend themselves, which and I, is- and I heard her on Joey's show, at least when she first came on. And she actually was pretty hilarious when she was on with uh, Horalibus Vulgaris or whatever. Called him like uh, Horalolol or whatever and said he sounded like a hairy wizard from Harry Potter. Right, right. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was hilarious. And he's like, well, Bill Perkins wants you to come clean with Horalololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololol
the the weirdest thing to me. I don't even know why I think this is so weird, but apparently she has an identical twin sister too. Yes. Like who writes who writes this story? <laughs> yeah, but she really does. If, like her her identical twin sister was swapping in on appearances, and I mean, it's just all sorts of crazy shit could be going on. Yes, <laughs> weird, weird. And so she posted this correspondence she had with Brian Sagbixall, and this was from a burner account that Brian had. Well, it was either Brian's burner account or an account that she made. To appear like it was a burner account. I don't know which one it is because there's suspicion about the authenticity of this uh, message from Brian. But she received this after Brian had deleted his Twitter. And also, she was following Brian, which people made a huge deal out of. Oh, my God, why would she be following this guy she doesn't know? Well, the problem is people don't know when she followed him. She followed a whole lot of new people that were relevant to this story. And because Brian almost immediately put out that statement before he was caught stealing that you can trust the people working at Hustler, she may have followed him for that reason. She followed a lot of new people at that point. So people are like, oh, wow, she's following him. How could she follow someone she doesn't know? She could have followed him because he put out that statement. He works for Hustler Casino Live. So that, that doesn't mean very much at all. But since she was following him, then she would not have to accept the message she was sent on Twitter. When someone DMs you that you're following, you don't have to click accept to be able to uh, communicate with them. It's assumed that you're accepting it automatically by following them. So that show that between that and the fact that he had already deleted his Twitter by the time she posted this message, it showed that he had some burner account that he sent this to her with. But again, who knows whether this is hers or not. But here, I'm going to read to you what uh, Brian supposedly wrote her about uh, what he did. This is like his apology to her. Hi, Robbie. My name is Brian. I'm the kid who stole three chips off your stack. That means three $5,000 chips. Let's just stop right there. Hi, Robbie. My name is Brian. I'm the kid who stole three chips off your stack. Problem right away. I'm the kid. You don't call yourself a kid when you're in your mid-20s. Other people may call you a kid who are older. You know, like to me, someone in their mid-20s is kind of a kid. But when I was 25, I didn't see myself as a kid. I didn't refer to myself as a kid. I would have written, I'm the guy, blah, 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 blah. I, I wouldn't say I'm the kid. Yeah, if you really are a kid, if you're 12 years old, fine. But if you're in your mid-20s, you don't refer to yourself as a kid just because other people in poker are referring to you as a kid. And keep in mind, she's 38, so to him, she, you know, he might kind of be a kid. So that people are already pointing out that as something weird, but let's go on. I was working, but now I'm fired. I'm in a really bad place financially, and my debt was adding up. I'm only 24 with two kids and have no education. I got desperate, and honestly, I, don't, I didn't know whose stack I took the three chips off of, but it happened to be yours. Robbie, I believe you. Someone who was so kind to give back the money to Crybaby Garrett and kind enough to spare me, he puts in all caps, wouldn't not be as nice as you are. Remember that wouldn't not part. Someone who is kind enough to give back the money to the Crybaby Garrett and kind enough to spare me wouldn't not be as nice as you are. I don't think you cheated. I never did. I think everyone is fucking stupid and they're defaming an honest person's name because these, quote, pros can, he meant can't, fathom how you would 
read this amazing cash game player for shit and called him. You 100% had the power to press charges, but you chose not to, and for that I'm eternally grateful. I'm really, really genuinely sorry from the bottom of my heart for stealing. I made a split-second decision that has now ruined my reputation and caused me to lose my only source of income. My life is fucked even if I never have to spend a minute in jail. I'm glad you understand that pressing charges would have only made my life worse. I wish you were here so I can give you a huge hug and tell you I'm actually sorry. I grew up poor. I still am. I was left at 18 to fend for myself. My mom was a meth addict, and my dad and I have a rocky relationship. Being at the poker table was, was an escape. Being at the casino was the only sense of home that I felt. My life fucking sucks. I was slaving away at Hustler Casino Live, getting paid bare minimum, and getting used by them to help them accomplish their goals of starting this show. Let me stop right there. That is a resentful employee, isn't it? I was slaving away, he writes, getting paid bare minimum and getting used by them to help them accomplish their goals. No, well, just a week earlier, he was tonguing them. Right. Talking about how amazing it all was. Right. So, so he's saying he, he, it was so great there and everybody there was so great. Now, uh, oh, they're yeah. using me, blah, blah, blah. But first of all, when someone pays you to do a job, yes, that is using you to accomplish their goals. But that's what a job is. A job is so your employer can accomplish their goals and they're paying you to help them. So uh, that, that's a stupid thing for him to say. But clearly, if, if he really wrote this, he was resenting them which makes it even more likely that he was involved in some kind of cheating there. Talk about all the things that would come together to be someone who would help a player cheat. Would be someone, one, who has demonstrated that they will steal. Remember, he stole from her, not from Hustler. Not from Hustler Casino Live, but actually from her stack. So stealing from innocent people, willing to do that. So you know they're willing to steal. Two, they resent their employer. Three, they're having financial problems, and four, they're not making very much money. So this all comes together as exactly the type of person who, if given access to whole cards, would probably help someone cheat if they could find a player willing to do it. Anyway, going on here, I just wanted to reach out personally and say thank you for saving my life. Thank you for sparing me. Thank you for getting me out of this toxic workplace. You know, the one that they're also tight-knit together. It's now toxic. Thank you for changing my outlook on kindness and having a genuine heart. I'm 100% behind you and always have been. Please let me know if there's anything I can do to try and repay you. I just fell on really hard times and I didn't know anyone that could help me. I'm willing to do anything. Hard labor, clerical work, I'll do anything to show you I'm sorry. If you want to text me, you can reach me at, and then she blocked out the phone number. And then it says, you accepted this request, which means that Again, this was sent by a burner account because she had to accept it because it was something that she wasn't following. Then she wrote back, are you able to get on the Joey Ingram podcast tonight? He wrote back, yeah, I can. And then she wrote back, do you mind if I tweet this out? I will block your number. I, and then it cuts off there. So people were analyzing whether she wrote this or he wrote this. It sounds almost like something that they wrote together. It just sounds weird. So a few things were found here. Yeah, it does sound weird. No, I, in fact, I kind of agree with you here. Spoiler alert. Something that you can't hear from me reading it, but you can see if you look at this. You can still find this on her Twitter on Robbie Jade Lou, R-O-B-B-I Jade Lou L-E-W. At one point, he uses 
a an ellipsis, the dot dot dot, but he puts a space before and after the ellipsis, which is unusual. The typical way to use the ellipsis is to put the dot 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 after the last letter you write without a space and then put a space after that. Here there's space before and after. So that was found that she did the same thing in her tweets. But hold on. Don't think that's a smoking gun because people dug into his old tweets and found that he had done this before in his old tweets. So she does it and he does it. So that by itself doesn't mean anything. However, wouldn't not. It was found by Alan Kessler that she also tweeted out something using the strange phrase, wouldn't not. (laughs) It's kind of wouldn't not gate. Calwatt, have you heard of the phrase wouldn't not before? I mean, I've heard people say it erroneously. Yeah. (laughs) So they both said wouldn't not. So I guess it could be a coincidence. But then of all things, it was found that in a Nick Vertucci interview that he did on his own show, he said wouldn't not out loud. So everyone involved with this is saying wouldn't not, and not ironically. (laughs) Both of them writing wouldn't not. So that's very suspicious. And then the whole thing about a kid, would he call himself a kid? I mean, it's possible. You know, Benjamin, when he was a baby, he actually called himself a baby. I guess if Ben will call himself a baby, then... It's possible he'd call himself a kid. However, Ben will not call himself a baby now. Only when he was an actual baby, he called himself a baby. Brian Sagbixall is not a kid, but he called himself a kid in that message. So there's some suspicion that she wrote it for him. Supposedly, he verified to Joey in... I guess he communicated with Joey in some way about appearing on Joey's show and then backed out of it. I don't know if they talked on the phone or what. They'd have to talk on the phone, you would think, to for Joey to know he's really talking to Brian. But Joey claims he was talking to Brian, and he I did. Think ask, they were texting. Yeah. Okay. Well, then if there's only texting, it doesn't mean much. But if if he supposedly verified to Joey, he wrote that. But you know what, Cal? What I kind of came to the conclusion that you did there. What you just said about they both wrote it. I don't think that she just wrote this for him without his permission. I think there's a good chance that they got together. And he's like, I don't know how to write this. I don't know what to say. And she said, here, how about I write something and you approve it and then I'll put it out? Or how about you tell me what you want to say and I'll write it for you and then we'll put it out. Also, someone found that the capitalization of some words that he wants to emphasize that was uh, in some of his statements there in that PM she did the same thing as well. It was found that she was capitalizing the same way. And yeah, people will do that. I mean, even I'll do that. But it was kind of done in a unique way. It was kind of very much the same tone, the way it's being capitalized. So there were a lot of similarities in writing style between her writing and his writing in that message. And again, this came from a burner account that he has never otherwise shown. The account, interestingly enough, had some kind of picture attached to it. It wasn't a burner account with like no picture, but you know, it takes a second to throw up a picture. So that doesn't mean much. But I think if I had to guess that she wrote it, but with his permission, and then that would indicate that they have more contact than it appears they really have. And of course she admits that they have some kind of contact because she 
put him in contact with Joey. Now, she'll claim that the contact came after all this, that he was basically just thanking her for not prosecuting and that she uh, got to talk to him that way. But it would not surprise me at all if they did know each other somewhat. Those that are saying she was cheating, they're trying to say, well, he was the inside guy. He already knew her. They've been working together the whole way. Beans was the recruiter that got her into this. That's probably how she got to meet Brian. Maybe Beans came to her when he got to realize that she might be one willing to do this. Then she got involved. Then she was introduced to Brian as the inside guy who's going to help her cheat. Then she cheated. And why did he steal the 15K? Well, there are rumors that he was shouting out in anger. And we'll get to his statement about that, by the way, that he was shouting out in anger when he heard that she gave back the 135K. So the theory of those who believe she cheated was that he was mad that his money was given away, that he had a piece of this whole operation, and if she gave back the 135K, that's money he won't be getting, and that him taking the 15K was taking back some money that he felt was rightfully his. So that, that's Andrew, what, I'm, I'm willing to believe that she could have cheated somehow, but having looked at all these hands and we've had so many people look at all these hands, I, I still don't see how she's cheating. And you know, that it's been discussed on and on that that spot is just the weirdest spot to cheat into, you know, where you're going to get all your money in. I mean, just, it's bizarre. Bear, bear with me for a second. We we know that this Brian guy is dishonest and he's been stealing money and and he's had access to whole cards. So, you know, maybe he's involved in other shady shit. And one of the things that uh, Tuckman got on the uh, Ingram show and said was that a number of L.A. regulars that he'd been talking to said that uh, this guy Brian was punting off uh, quite a bit of money. Yeah, and Bart, and, Bart, in, and Bart said that too. And, yeah, Bart said that you know, as where well. Does this, what's that? Bart said that as well. Yeah, and where, where does this guy that you know doesn't have much money, where does he get the money to pump it off? Okay, they could be loans. You know, They could be, maybe that's why he's in bad financial shape or whatever. But who knows? We, we know this Brian guy is dishonest and maybe he's involved with it. How funny would it be if she really was what she says she is. Maybe she's, you know, maybe she is out for the fame. Maybe she was hoping to get noticed and, you know, become a, 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 an influencer or whatever. But maybe she really is just who she says she is and just this crazy situation ended up happening. And because of that, it exposed all this other nasty shit that was already going on, but she had nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? Yes, and I've thought about that too. Exactly. I've thought about that too, that this is very possible that it could be that people are looking for cheating in the wrong place, that maybe she wasn't cheating, but then this has exposed that cheating was going on, just not by her. But that something has been shady the whole way by, if by that one of the ends other. Up being true, like whoever is in on the cheating, if that ends up being true, how unlucky are they to have her just kind of flop on there and just, oh, LOL, I don't know, I call, and then the, just the whole thing spirals and brings down their cheating ring. I mean, right. god damn. Yes, that, that's why this is so fascinating, because there's so many different angles to this. You don't even know who the guilty parties are. In fact, there has been some people suggesting, I'm not suggesting this myself, but there's some people who have suggested that maybe Garrett was cheating because 
he put her all in with eight high because he knew for sure that she would fold. She only had jack high and that she had crap. So he put her all in knowing that she'd let it go, even though he currently doesn't have the best hand. And then shockingly, (sighs) she called. And then he was mad because he's like, okay, I just got double crossed. So that's what some people's theories are. Now, I'm not saying I believe that. Because you see his reaction. Well, it could, it could be a, it could like be a reaction of being double crossed. Called. It could be like he's double crossed, though. It could be that his thought. But no, no. But his reaction after he was called is he was laughing and he's like, I don't know. And he, I mean, you know, what I mean, like he was totally uh, being very fish friendly and and it was totally fine until he saw the hand table, and then his demeanor immediately changed. You know. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't necessarily believe that theory it's it's anti-garrett people who are putting forth that theory but i will say that even he is under suspicion from some people and really nobody who plays on that stream or even owns that stream is beyond suspicion every single person could possibly be in on this and it's like a whodunit it's like one of these well, things that's a where- crazy thing Drew. he could okay i'm not i'm not putting any accusations out there other than Everyone is under scrutiny, but it, it could be, you know, maybe, maybe Garrett, one of the reasons he wins so much is he, you know, he gets a little help every now and again. That's what and some people are saying. How crazy would it be it, that he wasn't cheating in this hand, but all of this crazy circumstance like is exposed. I mean, just some crazy shit's going on. Just crazy shit, Ruff. Yes. So that's, what's amazing here. It's like when you see one of these, uh, dramas on tv or a movie where there's a bunch of people all together in this uh scary looking mansion having a dinner and then one by one people keep getting murdered and you got to figure out who's the murderer and anyone there could be the murderer it's it's similar here except nobody's getting murdered except their stacks might be getting murdered and there's really I mean, not a single some person extent, i'm not terribly surprised because you know Poker is one of those things that if a whole lot of attention or a whole lot of spotlight is shown upon the game, you're you're going to find some not so savory stuff here and there. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. Like it's so I'm not surprised that some stuff is being is being brought to light because of all this attention, but man, it <laughs> it does sure seem like something else is going on here, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. And it obviously is suspicious that of all people for Brian to be caught stealing from, it's her. Of all the people at the table for him to be palming chips off their stack, it's her. And some people said, well, it's because she was the amateur at the table and she might not notice, whereas the maybe the pros count their money much more carefully. Maybe they he read her for someone who isn't paying attention how much money she has on the table. I guess that's possible. But, you know, he was caught stealing off the table that same night from her stack so he claimed to not know whose stack he took the money right, from. Which I don't believe. I don't believe that. Which for a makes second. no sense because if you're working that stream, you know who's si- who's sitting where. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like that just doesn't make any sense. So there was that situation, but wait, Brian Sagbixall was not done talking because there was also a series of posts on two plus two by an account named Brian Sagbixall that was created just for this. And immediately there was suspicion, maybe it's not Brian Sagbixall. But again, supposedly he verified to Joey, 
provided Joey was really talking to him. It'd be funny if she, he was talking to her the whole time and thinking it was him. It's his twin sister that he's talking yeah. to. Yeah, this is kind of like the the reverse catfish. Usually, when you're talking to a hot chick online and it turns out to be a dude, that's that's not uncommon. But what if you're talking to a dude online and it's really a hot chick? How often does that ever happen? But that might be happening to Joey here. I don't. Again, I don't know if they ever talked on the phone. But anyway, he made a statement on two plus two. Yeah, that's not getting catfished, Ruff. That's called getting dogfished. <laughs> So here's what he wrote on 2 Plus 2. Garrett Adelstein is wrong about the poker cheating scandal. And, and again, we see a lot of this r- random emphasis c- capitalization, which I guess is consistent with the other stuff he wrote uh, in that message to Robbie. But here it is. Preface. I loved Hustler Casino Live. Well, no, it sounds like you didn't love it. <laughs> Your other statement said that they were using you and barely paying you. I did not collude whatsoever with Robbie J. Lou, Rip, or Beans to cheat you, Garrett. Why the fuck would I choose what I know to be one of our highest viewed streams to cheat the most talented and beloved cash game player in the world? That's the most asinine shit that I've ever heard of. To whoever is reading this, just think about that. Why would I cheat the smartest player in the game in front of the thousands watching concurrently the, plus the millions who would see it after. Excuse my language. Why, why would you steal chips off the table? Right. That, that's <laughs> like why. That's a. You already answered. You'll do reckless things, right? Like right after the most controversial hand of all time happens, you and there's a camera rolling. Still, you still steal chips off the table. That uh, that that throws everything out the window of rational behavior. He goes on to write. You should greatly reconsider what you think are facts in this case because you're absolutely wrong about me rigging the game. I had the utmost, not utmost, but utmost, respect for the integrity of the game, and I admired all the people that came on the show, including you, dude. That's lame that you wouldn't that you would even blame me when I looked up to your stupid ass. I wouldn't want to cheat you nor anyone ever. Okay, don't blame Brian because he looked up to you, Garrett. You can't, if someone looks up to you, you can't blame cheat anyone, but I'll, I'll rip off 15K from yeah. your stack. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, how could you think this about me that I would cheat you, Garrett? I mean, yeah, I'd steal from Robbie, but I wouldn't cheat you. Oh, God. Okay, then he puts, breakdown of the cheating from my perspective. If I were to cheat the game, why would I pick Jack 4 offsuit? It makes zero sense. You said it yourself. Without even knowing the card removal, you know that. I'm not dumb. I play poker. I know that. Plus, I have the card removal percentages live. Why on earth would I pick a spot to signal someone to magically hero call with Jack for offsuit on a 10-10-9-3 board? That's sus as fuck. It just makes no sense. Yes, she's ahead technically, but she's a dog with only one card to come. It's minus EV. Then he answers Garrett's allegation about the asking how to cheat in chess because someone found an old tweet where uh, he was asking someone how one would cheat in chess when that whole uh, Magnus Carlsen uh, cheating, Hans Niemann cheating scandal was going on, which we haven't even talked about on this show. Maybe we'll talk about it sometime. But That's write- the vibrating butt plug theory, right? Yes. So he yeah. says, yeah, so on September 11th, I asked Asian Andy, I think referring to Andy Stacks, 
about Hans Niemann and Magnus Carlsen's situation. News was circulating that there is chess cheating scandal, but I wasn't sure how considering the games played on a table. And my only thoughts were, did the guy take a piece when the other guy wasn't looking? So I asked my buddy, Agent Andy, how do you cheat in chess? Serious question, LOL. Maybe it's a different Andy. Uh, it's... It's not that deep, bro. Sorry to tell you. I followed Alexandra Botez, who's another chess player, and a bunch of other chess streamers, and I saw the news and was curious, so I tweeted, the fact that this so-called relevant information is part of your hypothesis is starting to make your argument flawed. He's basically just saying he was curious how it could be done. He wasn't trying to learn how to actually cheat. There's the whole thing about the filing cabinet I've got to talk about here. Doug Polk went down and played on stream after this scandal, which he got some criticism after he was saying he's 90% sure there was cheating. And if he was really 90% sure, why would he go down the next week and play there? But while he was down there, he talked to them about what had happened. And he was told that a filing cabinet was moved and that it had been done about a month beforehand and that the filing cabinet was moved in a way to where cameras within the production booth could no longer see what Brian was doing, that the filing cabinet was blocking the camera from that angle. So that's what Doug Polk was reporting, trying to make it sound like that Brian was definitely involved in something here and that he was blocking the camera from viewing him within the production booth so he could get away with things. So here is... uh, his response to that. He says, Doug Polk has reported in the below video that a file cabinet had been moved closer to his desk, moving the desk to the side approximately three to four weeks ago. Brian's desk is now directly behind an area where all the whole cards can be seen in real time with a filing cabinet blocking the vision of a camera facing in that direction. Now, you, you understand uh, what Polk was saying there was that it's blocking the camera on Brian and that also it gives him a direct line of being able to see the whole cards and also have the view of him be blocked. So he writes, this narrative is completely false. And this is all in caps the next few sentences. I did not move anything that would change my perspective. If I wanted to see the real-time whole cards, I could have seen them from where I was sitting any time from anywhere in the room. There are 10 monitors in the room and you can see the whole cards in the program feed, which everyone working in production could see. Okay, but that basically confirms that he's been able to see every whole card at all times. You don't have to be directly in front of the graphics computer in order to see the real-time hole cards. So the fact that you're insinuating that I move my desk closer to the corner to get closer to where the hole cards are is absolutely wrong. I move my desk because we don't have sufficient enough space in the Hustler Casino Live Control move to move around. We are elbow to elbow every time someone wants to walk through, and anyone, anyone who's been up there an extensive amount of time can confirm what I'm saying is accurate and correct. It's like a New York City kitchen up there. What I did move the table so the charging equipment was flush against the wall so I could use the bigger desk when I bring my computer to make videos and so we have more space to walk through. Now, this is a freezing ice cold take. But he wasn't understanding the main point of what Doug was saying. Doug wasn't saying, oh, he needed to move the desk to see the whole cards. He was saying he had a direct view of the whole cards, but the camera had no view of him. He gets to kind of hide behind the filing cabinet now. But he's admitting that he moved the file cabinet, so that's not good. He's, he's admitting that it was really him moving it. It's not even like someone else moved it in there, and he's getting the blame for it. He says, yeah, I moved it, but it's just because we, we didn't have room here. I moved it to a more convenient place. Then he answers the 
report about him yelling when that hand happened. Reports of a yell. And they put, quote, it's also reported that Brian verbalized a yell of sorts upon seeing, seeing that Robbie handed the 135K and chips back to Garrett. He types in all caps, this is a blatant lie. Nobody saw Robbie hand you back the chips. You're literally making shit up. Our cameras can't see where they were since they were by the lockers. I was directing the show. I can only see what the cameras show. When Ryan Feldman went to go check on the situation, I was controlling the cameras. Everyone in production can vouch for me. Mike Peluso knows that, and Nate Levy, uh, Neve Levy knows that. Now, the fact that he mentions Mike Peluso and Neve Levy, names I haven't heard mentioned before, would really make me think this is really him writing it. If it's not him, it's someone who knows all the names of the people there. Because uh, if you held a gun to my head before this and said, who are Mike Peluso and Neve Levy, you have to tell me or I'm going to shoot you, uh, I would get shot because I couldn't answer who they were. But whoever it was knew that those two worked there and had knowledge of the, the production area. I did not witness any exchange of chips between you two. Rip got mad that she gave the chips back and started screaming and started screaming, ruining the fucking production because it stopped the game when it's one of our highest viewing streams. I did not want to have to start, stop the show, so I got mad and yelled at a floor man, get this fucking asshole out of here, call security or something, because he can't be yelling while we were fucking filming. And I also yelled, we have a fucking show, probably the yell he referred to according to his bullshit investigation, referring to Garrett. A source messaged me saying, just an FYI, that guy Brian Sagbixall stiffed my online game for a couple thousand. Not much, and he was vouched, so we didn't have to eat it, but the story makes sense for him. This is just a complete slander campaign, he writes. I've never stiffed. Many people know me in poker, and I've never stiffed a single person. Whoever said that is a liar. Well, okay, maybe, but he is admitting that he played on these online games, these online apps. So it's not like he said, what? I don't play on those apps. I, I, how can I stiff anyone? I don't play those games. No, he's admitting he played them, which by itself doesn't prove anything bad about him, but it does show that he was gambling up a storm outside of his work on the stream. Then he says, other details. I've been texted by Sean Deeb, Doug Polk, and Joe Ingram in conjunction with Bill Perkins and Haralibos in regards to the 215k plus reward if a whistle is blown in regards to the cheating in an effort to restore the integrity of poker. Let me stop right here. There is a bounty right now of 250k that was put together by a number of well-off poker players. The biggest part of it was put up by Bill Perkins, I think 100. I think Haralibob put up like 30. Sean D put up some. Polk put up some. So like it all totals to 250k. There is an expiration on this pretty soon. So if someone comes over forward like four months later, they're not going to get it. And the whole goal here is to get someone to speak up. And what you have to do to get it is you have to prove that you can cheat or show definitively how it was done. You can't just claim something without any kind of evidence or otherwise you won't get the bounty. So he's answering about that. He said, that's more money than I've ever had in my entire life. I didn't cheat. That's the problem. I didn't assist anyone. There's no whistle to be blown because I didn't take part in any cheating ring. At this point, I actually wish I did cheat so I could collect that reward. But the honest answer from the bottom of my heart is I didn't help anyone. I'm about 90% sure Robbie didn't cheat. Do I believe her when she said she's innocent? Yes, but there's a small part of me that doesn't know if she's innocent. Let me stop right here. Let's go back to the thing that he was saying regarding the bounty. 
Because there's a lot of confusion about this bounty and what it means that nobody has claimed it so far. Because it's been out there for about a week now. So with 250000 out there for you being able to whistleblow, why would you not take that, especially if you don't have much money? Why wouldn't you take that? Well, I have a good theory why you wouldn't take that. If you have stolen more than 250 k and you have to confess this to get 250 k that's not a very good deal for you. Because what's going to happen at that point is people are going to want to be paid back. And they're going to immediately report you to the police and maybe sue you. And they're going to put tremendous pressure to get that 250k you were just given because you stole far more than that. So if you're going to go whistleblow on millions that you may have stolen, even if you don't have the money anymore, why would you ever do that for a 250k bounty? when everybody you stole from is going to come asking for the money and you might go to jail. Wouldn't be very smart. Now, if you could whistleblow, if you weren't part of it, if you have proof it was happening, but you didn't do anything wrong, no, yeah, sure, then it's worth stepping forward if you're willing to betray some people, but not if you were involved. If you were involved and more than 250k was stolen, which is likely because those games are such high stakes, 250k can be stolen very quickly. This has been going on for quite some time. I'm sure a lot of money has been stolen way, way past 250k. That's why people probably haven't come forward if there was cheating. Because if there was cheating with the whole cards, it's got to be way more than 250k stolen. So the fact that the guilty parties haven't outed themselves does not mean there was an absence of cheating. So that's a, that's a dumb conclusion a lot of people are coming to. He also wrote, the third time Robbie played on September 29th, I got there, mic'd her up, and was doing Twitter videos that day too. I couldn't even get all the hands that I wanted because of the altercation between Robbie, Rip, and Garrett. I had to work the cameras and Ryan Feldman left to handle the dispute between the two parties. From my understanding, Garrett claims Robbie offered, but Nick said on his podcast that Ryan Feldman said he heard Garrett ask Robbie to return the 135K. He wasn't interjecting, but resolving. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I heard. But I, I think this was really Brian. Yeah, notice he's very pro-Robbie here, that she didn't cheat. He's going off on Garrett. Now you can say this because Garrett's accusing him of being part of a cheating ring, but I think this is him. And I think he probably hurts his cause more than he helps it because he is admitting that he moved that file cabinet, first of all. (laughs) Also, he's using weird logic for why Garrett shouldn't suspect him of cheating because we already know he stole. So that should throw out the window any, oh my God, how could he suspect me thing? Calwater, are you still with us or did you enter dreamland? I'm kind of in and out. (laughs) Okay, I thought you were getting a little bit quiet. So, anyway, that was Brian's statement. And not 100% it's him, but I think it was him. That was on 2 plus 2. But let's say we believe Brian did operate a cheating ring of some sort there. That doesn't mean that that hand was Robbie cheating. It doesn't mean Robbie was cheating at all. It just means Brian was cheating. I just have a hard time believing that from everything I'm hearing about Brian, he was a degenerate gambler, that he had increased the stakes he was playing in like the two months leading up to this particular hand. He was caught stealing 15K off Robbie's stack for sure. All of this adds up to someone who definitely would cheat given access to the whole cards. In fact, I'd be shocked if he didn't. With everything you're hearing about him, that he's a degenerate gambler, that he's been losing, 
that he has access to the whole cards, that he's willing to steal and has been caught stealing, that he has a criminal record prior to all this, how could he not cheat? I mean, the, sh- the shocker would be that if he had not cheated at all. So I am sure, not 100%, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that at least he wanted to cheat. Now, cheating requires a partner. You can want to cheat with the whole cards, but until you can find someone to do it with you, which isn't trivial, then you can't. But there have been a lot of players that have entered that stream who aren't established poker pros. The whole point of that stream is to be entertaining, not to have the best poker played. And Ryan Feldman did a great job at putting together entertaining games, but that required putting in a lot of people who were newbies to the whole scene, not known players, just people that Ryan Feldman found interesting and good for the stream. So unfortunately, that also makes it easy to sneak cheating accomplices onto the stream. Because if the stream was only very well-known pros from the LA area, then it becomes much, much tougher to get people on there who will do something like this. Not impossible because there's a lot of shady players out there, but it's much tougher. But if you can get non-established players into the stream, of which there's been many, then yeah, it's not that hard. So could Robbie fit that profile? Definitely. It's possible she came on with two motives, both to get attention and to win and also get attention by winning. What if the whole point is to own Garrett and be seen as the chick who comes on there and just destroys Garrett whenever they play? She thinks she can get back to one thing, Druff, that I don't quite get. Yes, is that if if Robbie was cheating, where was the cheating? Okay, that's a good point. So people have been scrutinizing the three games she played. Remember, this is not like Postle where we had eighteen months of footage to go through. And yet with Postle, we found a ton of hands, even without going through 18 months. You just you go through a few streams and find very suspicious stuff with Postle. Just crazy hands that you couldn't picture being legitimate hands unless you could see the whole cards. So with Postle, there were so many examples of suspect hands. With this, I cannot find one hand besides this one that I think is indicative of cheating. Not one. Yeah. That- yeah, and she even made a bunch of really bad calls and bad plays, too. Yes. And some people said, okay, well, maybe this is for cover. Well, yeah, maybe, but where are the, where are the good calls? Like, where, where are yeah, the amazing what are you calls? Covering? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> where, it's, it's not like she's uh, making these amazing hero calls with bottom pair from an all in on the river by a missed draw. It, we don't see any of that. We, the only weird call we saw that was correct in one, or almost correct, was a jack four. Correct, meaning if you could know what the cards were. But even there, she was a little bit behind. But we have not seen any kind of amazing hero calls for a lot of money or amazing folds when others wouldn't fold. We haven't seen either of those things in all the analysis of the hands she's played. Yeah, like I said, I'm willing to believe that she was cheating, but I just I haven't seen it. I don't, I don't get it. Now, it's also possible that they hadn't done it yet, that maybe this was the first attempt at cheating and that there was going to be more, but then the whole scandal happened and then Brian was also pissed that she gave back the money and and thought he was taking back money that was rightfully his and then she never got a chance to further cheat. Maybe in the other two streams she just played normally or they 
just she just didn't get the signals right, or maybe there was something wrong with the signaling. Uh oh, something wrong with our signal to Calwatt. So he's lost him. Yeah, maybe there was something that just wasn't going the way they were expecting, and this is the first time they actually did it, and they never got a chance to do it further. There's a lot of ways it could go, so I'm not saying this exonerates her, but Calwatt brought up a very good point, was that we just have not seen any suspect hands other than this one, and it's very different than Postle, where we saw so many suspect hands, it took hours and hours to even view them. So it's very, very different. And so the one spot we can find is one where she wasn't even a favorite. She was a 47% chance to win on the turn. And that's when she gets the money in. But we can't find any spots where she was either way behind and folded or way ahead, but it didn't look like she was way ahead and called and made some sort of amazing play, like a soul reading play. How come we haven't seen those? So it's a very good point by Calwatt here and That's why this is so hard to figure out. Her stories are all over the place. The way she was recruited to the game by Beans was a little bit weird. The whole thing with her and Rip and Nick Airball and taking him out for seven hours, that was kind of weird. She can't keep her story straight. It kind of looks like she may have written his statement to her. And she seems to be uh, someone who can't tell the truth. He definitely was caught stealing. He was stealing from her stack of all people. And then claimed that he didn't know it was her in the message supposedly to her. And a lot of this points to cheating. But okay, then where else did she cheat? And we still don't have any evidence that she actually cheated. We have evidence that Brian stole. We have evidence that because he stole and because he had access to all the whole cards all the time in that production booth where he seemed to be all the time, that there's many, many opportunities for him to have engaged in cheating with any player who was willing to do it with him, or maybe even sent there to do it with him, but we don't see that it was her. In fact, we don't even see proof that this has happened, because if she was not the one doing it, then who was? So there was Nick Airball that they were looking at for this, and I already explained that, And there were some hands they were claiming, well, look at this, look at that with Nick Airball, but nothing was very conclusive to me. Again, it's nothing like Postle where you look at it and say, what the hell? Like, how could he have played this way unless he could see the cards? With Nick Airball, it was not like that. I think people are really reaching. But then there's also this guy, DGAF. And I don't know much about him, but I guess they've known him for a while, some of these players. But he is someone who has come under a lot of suspicion lately involving his play. So this is another person now under suspicion as possibly cheating. One person posted something interesting that when DJ DJIF appeared on the stream at first that he was losing his ass. And then all of a sudden he started getting C2 over and over and over again. And this is exactly where Robbie was sitting with C2. Now, Beans did mention on our show, and I believe him, that preferred players have a right to pick their seat. And some players do have that right and some don't. It depends how much the producers there find you to be important to the show. So DGAF apparently did have the right to choose his seat. So he kept choosing seat two after initially losing. And as soon as he chose seat two, he reeled off like a 
stream winning streak where he obviously racked up a ton of winnings. And then he lost once or twice, but then he started winning again. So he had this great run starting from when he moved to C2, which is exactly where Robbie was sitting when that Jack forehand happened. So the suspicion became that C2 is the cheating seat. For whatever reason, that's where you need to sit if you're going to be cheating. Maybe that's where you get to see the signal in some way. Something about C2 is important to the cheating, according to these theories, and that DGAF was one of the other cheaters. And people posted a few supposedly suspect hands and also posted his results. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with the DGAF thing. The streak he had was not that exciting to me. I've had streaks like that. I've had streaks where every time I go sit down, I win. I go 10 sessions in a row and have 10 nice winning sessions in a row. I've had it before. I've also had it where every time I sit down, I lose immediately and never come back. It's a struggle from the moment I sit down and it's just getting beat down the whole time. Then eventually I quit a big loser. Then I come back, immediately lose again. And I'll go through 10 sessions in a row where I'm losing like that every time. So I've had that. I've had that live. I've had that online. I've had extended streaks where I'm either just beating everybody down and everything's going great. And even if I start off losing, I always come back and book a winner. And then I have sessions where I just can never have anything go right. And I've had a bunch of those in a row. And I don't believe I was being cheated in these sessions where I'm going through these long streaks of always losing. That's just the variance of poker. And then it also can be compounding where you're starting to lose confidence when you're losing every time you don't play as well, or when you're winning every time you gain confidence and you actually start to play better. So it can be something where the results then bring on better or worse play, which then worsens or improves your situation at the moment. So showing me that as soon as he moved to C2, he reeled off 10 winning sessions, that doesn't mean much to me. Could be just luck. I mean, I've had it where I'm losing over and over and over playing online, and then I move to play live and have uh, a bunch of winning sessions in a row. Well, that was me changing something and doing better. But it's just either coincidence or sometimes you can just be in a better mindset by getting a fresh start by doing something a bit different. In fact, I've advocated this. I've said that when you're on a losing streak, one of the best things you can do is change something. Change the stakes you're playing, change the casino you're at, move from online to live, move from live to online, even sit in a different seat. Just something where you're not doing the same thing as before. Something where even if it's not really something that has any concrete meaning, at least do it to give yourself the feeling like you're getting a fresh start. It helps psychologically, it can help you play better. So maybe that's what DGAF did when he was struggling at the beginning. He moved to C2, started winning, and said, okay, I like this seat, let's just stay there. Very possible. So I didn't see anything in that streak that was unnatural for poker. Because if it was, then I'm, unna- I'm playing unnatural poker because I've had that happen before, many times. Also, I haven't seen any hands which are super suspect. Some hands were posted that you kind of scratch your head wondering why did he play this way, but nothing that jumps out at you like, oh my God, he had to be cheating here. Oh my God, he had to know what the whole cards were. So about this DJF guy, yeah, maybe there's something to it, but I don't really see anything convincing. 
it's worth monitoring. It's lo- worth looking at his play more. I see people out there saying, oh, he's such a great guy. He would never do this. I've known him 10 years, blah, 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 blah. Okay, but people who tend to cheat and scam usually don't come off as assholes. Usually when you're doing that, you're especially nice to everyone because you don't want to arouse suspicion. The one who's less likely to do this is the asshole. The one who's more likely to do it is the one who's trying to get everyone to like them. So just because someone seems like a nice guy sweet, friendly guy doesn't mean that he couldn't cheat. It's usually the opposite. I'm not saying that every friendly guy is a cheater. I'm saying you can't cite, oh, this guy's so nice, I I couldn't see him cheating. That's the whole reason that cheaters are nice. So it's worth looking into. And it's fine to bring up possible people involved playing on that stream that we should look at because, as I said, nobody is beyond suspicion. But at the same time, we can't just brand people a cheater based upon a witch hunt to find a cheater. So it's one of these things, let's look, but let's not call him anything until we have good reason to call him something derogatory. And something that's just kind of a little bit iffy, but not even enough to be kind of convincing, that's not good enough. So, so far I haven't seen anything that convinces me about this DGAF guy but I'm willing to have my mind changed later. Definitely look into it, but don't just brand him a cheater yet. That's not fair to him. And I'm being serious. I'm not being sarcastic or anything. This Julie Yorn stuff, I talked about it before and explained what Garrett was saying that she said. But what I'm going to do here is I'm going to play a clip of Julie Yorn and Robbie talking on Joey's show. And Robbie, for all her attempts to get noticed and to become social media famous, this was definitely a misstep because Julie Yorn is is a nice woman from all appearances and she seems very reasonable and she's well-respected. She's not like a major poker player, but this is someone who... There's no reason to attack her. She has her story about Robbie. She's not likely to be making this up. She's in her mid-50s. She's not looking for social media fame or anything like that. This is just a woman who enjoys playing poker, who's a movie producer, that noticed something funny about Robbie. So I would be shocked if Julie Yorn is making up this story. Maybe she has some details wrong. I'm guessing it's pretty close to accurate, but it's possible she could have some details wrong, but I don't think she's intentionally making up anything that's false, nor do I think this is way, way off. It just wouldn't make any sense. So, as I said, Julie appeared on Chicago Joey's show, and Robbie was on there at the same time. I'll play you a clip. This is on the uh, Day 10 Chicago Joey show, <laughs> investigating this. It shows you how much content Joey's been putting out. It's crazy. So it is at the, looks like around 3, 14, 15 mark. Three hours, 14 minutes, 15 seconds. It's around when this begins, the exchange between the two of them. Let's listen. Speaking of Julie Yorn, we have Julie Yorn coming in the chat right now. So you guys ready to lock in with Julie Yorn? Yeah, bring her in. All I right, would love all right. to. See Calm her. down. All right, let's be cordial, everybody, please. Hi, guys. Hey, Julie. Guys, we're, well, we're joined by Julie Yorn. She's a regular over on uh, in the L.A. poker scene for a long time. She looks like she's coming to us from a 
from uh, Underground Bunker over there with the where, where, are you, where are you at? You got a light? Where, where's the light at? Oh, I think, okay, my thing's blurred. I know I just walked in from dinner, sorry. I got, literally walked in my door and was getting 5,000 messages like they're talking about this. And so. Hi, Julie. Hi. Julie, I'm going to ask you straight up. Where did you think I was angle shooting you? I didn't think you were angle shooting me. Um, I think that the, you know, the story that I told about when we played at the bike, First story when Ling Ling was on my right or when Johnny Chan was on my right? Uh, the second story. <laughs> the one where you took me out and you literally shoved, I called, and you won. And you think I'm angle shooting? <laughs> you won. No, that wasn't the issue. I I don't even really remember that I knocked. I mean, we were talking about the issue with the, not having chips on the table. And yeah. They start playing and they're like, are you going to wait for your chips to come out? I gave to the floor manager and, and he was like, I'll bring your chips back. So you guys let me play my chips. You play, let me play without chips. Do you not remember? And I will, I will, I will bring Vin if I have to. And I will bring everybody at that table in here to validate. Well, I, I think we should then because I, honestly, afterwards, everybody else was saying we can't let people come and play without putting their money up first. That, you know, you have to but work Robbie, listen, you and I had never met before. I left with nothing, Julie. I won nothing that night. And I didn't live. I don't leave like a sour little bitch like Garrett did either. It's 20K. And you won. You took my money. A hundred percent. What are you fucking bitching? Well, you were, I wasn't um, bitching. I wasn't you, bitching. What the fuck I, are you talking about? Like, what the hell is your argument here? You literally went all in with me and took all my stock. Congratulations, honey. You won at Fort Fair and Square. Hey, and Robbie, you, Robbie, you asked for Robbie, you asked for Julie to come on. So let's. Yeah, why am I on here? Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's just have a yeah, little let's conversation. Let her, let's let her let's, chat and tell. You asked her to come on, so she's here. So let's treat her nicely if we can, please. By the way, it's a uh, Haralabob, Vulgaris, who is giving a hard time to. Robbie for being so rude to Julie, which he is being rude. I don't know why Haralabob has injected himself so much into this. He's going on Joey's show for hours, night after night after night. And he may say, what's wrong with that? This is a big scandal. He's interested. What's wrong? Well, there's nothing wrong. He can do that if he likes. I'm just surprised he's this interested and this involved. Haralabob, not too long ago, was a major executive with the Dallas Mavericks and making a lot of high-level decisions about which players they sign. That, that was his role a very short time ago. And he since has lost that position. But it's kind of funny to go from that to be sitting on Joey's stream every night and spending hours and hours and hours analyzing this whole thing. But he's really into this stuff. And I guess he's trying to referee this here between Robbie and Julie and telling Robbie, that, look, you wanted Julie to come on, be nice to her. And I agree with him. I mean, definitely Robbie's being very aggressive and rude to Julie here and also is denying that this occurred the way Julie is saying. And look, it doesn't make any sense that everybody at the table would be having the discussion like, hey, we can't let this happen again. We have to make sure that anybody who comes in and says that they're 5K behind really has either sent the floor man to go buy them chips 
or has put the 5K on the table. We can't just let someone announce 5K behind and then just play as if they're 5K behind because what if they really don't have the 5K and just walk off when they lose? Now, Robbie didn't do that, but what if she did? So after she left, Julie Yorn was saying that discussion was being had at the table. So there's no way every single person at the table would have been confused if Robbie really had given the floor man the chips or the money for the chips and the floor man was just getting the chips because that happens all the time. All the time in card rooms everywhere that you show up and instead of getting the chips yourself, you sit down, you give it to the floor man or a chip runner, and then they're bringing you chips. And typically what happens when that's going on is someone with a lot of chips at the table will temporarily hand you chips to play with. And then as soon as your chips come from the chip runner, then it's given back to the person who gave it to you. And you can do that because you know you won't get stiff because the floor man or the chip runner is going to come back with chips. So it's pretty much guaranteed you're going to get what you loan to the person. Or sometimes it's just kept track of what they have lost and then it's taken out of the chips that are brought to them to whoever won them. So it's one of those two things. It's very common to do that. There's no way this discussion would have started unless she was never seen giving the money to the floor man and if she was never seen giving money to the floor man, then she would have simply said, oh, no, the floor man has it. He's uh, getting the chips for me. So I don't believe her story here. I believe Julie. Let's go on. I don't know. I mean, I, first of all, you were in for 5000 That was That was what you were in for. 20. Huh? 20. No, not 20. No, 5000 total. So, Julie, you're saying she, re-bought, she, she bought in for 5K or rebought for 5K is what you're saying? I- She bought in for a total of 5K. She won the first 5K plus it was probably. Nope. Okay. Okay. You know, there are are seven other people that were at the table or people and they can talk about this. I don't know if you can get one of them to talk publicly. Go for it. How would I buy in 5K for that level of a game? Well, I don't know. It's not it's not a terrible buy in for that game. In 5K. Actually, I was wrong. I said it was 204080. It was 255100. So 5K is not a terrible buy for that game. Yeah, it's like a, like 50 big blinds, right? Big blinds, 50 bigs. I mean, I didn't think nobody's judging you for buying for 5K. While my chips came out. Do you not understand that? So please, please continue. Wait, what did you say, Robbie? You said that about your chips coming out? 5K. Mm hmm until my full chips came out from the money I lent to the floor manager. But please continue, because I don't want to interrupt you. So so you're saying that you put the money back on the, you, you did put the money on the table, right? Because I guess Julie's contentious with the argument is that you didn't actually put that money in play and you just kept the uh, 5K that you won. And yours sounds like you're saying is that you actually did get that chips and you did put those chips in play and then you in fact lost those chips later on in that session. <laughs> All my money that night, Joey, and I didn't give a shit that I did. I lost twenty k that night. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you didn't lose k in that game. You lost the total of five k in that game. No, I didn't. Let me stop this here. You can tell who's telling the truth and who's lying in this exchange because Robbie keeps focusing on what she lost that night rather than sticking to the allegations. She's answered somewhat to the allegations, just denying them. But she keeps saying, I lost 20K that night. I lost 20K that night. That's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what she won or lost that night. The allegation isn't that she won a ton of money and then Robbie's saying, no, I didn't. 
The allegation is that she sat down and said she was 5K behind and never produced the 5K until people gave her a really hard time about not producing the 5K, at which point she pulled out the infamous wrinkled bills, which added up to 5K. That was the allegation. But she's not answering to that very well and just keeps focusing on what she lost that night. And Julie's even saying, you didn't even lose that 20K, you lost 5K. You 100% did. You think I only put down 5K for that entire game? Yes. Okay. Are, are we sure we're talking about the same game, by the way? We're so used, it's the same. I don't know. Okay. I, I mean, may, may, maybe, maybe, right? Maybe there's miscommunication on that end. I mean, it, it, I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe you guys played. It sounds like you guys played more than one time. So, it's no, always, are you guys? Are we sure they're on the same not, planet, Joey? Is the question I'd be asking for about. The he did not play more than one time. <laughs> she came. She sat down in C two. It was in that back table by the smoking room in the legends room. And it was pretty late. And you even admitted you'd been, I guess, drinking. I don't know what. Were you drunk? Sit down at a table of 5K. But okay, whatever you want to do, Julie. You want to play this game? That's cool. I don't want to play a game. I was just recounting. Yeah, she, did, yeah, she was explaining her side of the story. I, I just wanted to get her on because you said you want to have her on here. Okay. Just to explain yourself. I'm having the bike disclose cameras to see how much money you am with. I'm cool with that. Great. I don't have any reason. Why would I care if you came with 5K or 20K or anything? Why would I care? Mm -hmm. huh? Why, are you, why are you talking about me? I was asked if I had ever played with you, and I said I played with you one time, and I recounted the story. And people, hold on, people that were involved thought it was relevant. Are you going to let? I don't know how much I can talk. Am I? Yeah, yeah just, just, let, just let it. Let it By the way, this is a terrible format to have this Zoom conversation. Because the problem is Zoom seems to have an issue when people try to talk over each other, that Zoom has a very hard time deciding who to give the floor to, and only one can talk at a time. So that's really bad when you have multiple people there, because we have Joey, Haralabob, Julie, and Robbie. And even though it's Julie and Robbie doing most of the talking, they're arguing back and forth. And then whenever one is trying to argue over the other then you just get a lot of interference and you don't get to hear a lot of the talking and it has to be repeating. So this is a bad format to have people on. I know it's good for meetings, but for this type of thing, it's really better to have something like Skype. As much as I hate Skype, you really need something where you can hear everybody at the same time and uh, Zoom apparently doesn't do that. Side talk, Robbie. I mean, if, we're, if we have the conversation, at least let, let's let both sides have, have something to say. I don't... Otherwise, I don't, otherwise we just I'm happy wrap it up. To, I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to like... I don't know what you want from me. I told my, I told, I, I told a story. Hold on. I told a story, Robbie, I was asked to go on the record because some people felt that it spoke to an issue. Now, maybe you haven't been playing long enough to understand that you can't start playing like that. Maybe you, maybe you just didn't know. Maybe you were drunk and you didn't pay attention. You wouldn't be the first person I played with that you're, you're giving me a look like I'm crazy. I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt that may, those are maybes. If you're, you're either not aware that that's a bad thing to do, or you know it's a bad thing to do. You're being judged right now by the public. Is she a novice or is she doing something? With all due respect, I don't need to be judged by you, so please stay out I'm of it. I'm not judging you. I'm explaining to you why people thought it mattered to tell that story. Do you think I right. care to tell? Think of me, though. Oh, you don't do care? 
like I don't know what your part in this entire story is. I'm confused. No, no. Ba- basically, right? It's just it, 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 I think we got in touch with someone, right? Where people are getting in touch with me. They said, "Hey, Julie has a story. She played with Robbie. She wants to come on there and talk about it." And she made it sound like you were a new player to the game, and that's a big thing that a lot of people are figuring out, right? They don't think that you're that new. They don't think they don't believe the way you're explaining hands. They don't believe that your thought process could be what it is, and you'd be buying it for $100,000 with Phil, Ivy, and Garrett. I don't, they don't believe these kind of things. So this story is a basic example of the the point of poker that you're at where maybe you maybe this did happen like you're think you see it one way maybe she saw a different way you think it's in fine it's in line she's saying and other people are saying who are experienced poker players that maybe it would be considered something that a novice would do and would be a little bit like that so i don't think it's anything to you know i think that's just basically what what the story is trying to say what the point of it what the data is to me what i find interesting about that and uh you know that's sort of my perception of the situation more than anything and i don't know like where the confusion is between me and you julie i just i can't even understand why we're not seeing eye to eye as to what happened that night it's also really confusing to me as to why like an external night event is now infiltrating a very active situation i i, I don't know where you came from the woodworks i thought you and me were cool and i would never like supposed to have you i would just never drive that story that doesn't make sense. I'm sorry if you felt that I was like coming at you. I'm trying to be defensive. I think, and there's a lot of things that are right now to the mm-hmm. point where I'm like, I can answer to most of them. And I think I can answer to you. And whether you thought I had 5,000 and I had 20,000, it seems like an irrelevant side story. That's not even worth the foundation of what we're discussing here. I wanted you to come on because I actually wanted clarity as to whether it was the first night I played with you or the second night I played with you in a private game. So now that I have clarity that was a, it was night, I think that's all we can live on because the way I see it versus the way you see it will probably be two very different things and the world will never know. But I will say, I don't want to fight with you about this. You're a woman. I don't want to fight with you either. It seems like, you know, and I don't think you should look at it as confrontational or argumentative. We but, played, we played yeah. together one night. You're saying the second night. We played together one time for a very brief session. Now I'm confused. Like, maybe we didn't play together the first night. It is what it is. The second night, I will say that you kicked my ass and you took all my money. Congratulations. You deserve that. You, you did. You had the fucking nuts. I'm not even thinking about that particularly. What happened was there were various people at the at the table. A lot of people were talking about that situation. I was not the only one. There was a new rule instituted for that game. It's not a private game, it's an organized game. But the people who organized it were like, we can't let people play without chips. There, yeah. were, some, there were some people that thought you were just a little overserved. It's not the first oh, person that's good. Very confused why I was still playing. What? I was confused why they let me play sitting at the table. Probably just out of love for the fact that I showed up. And that's totally fine. I have nothing. I don't know what you're saying. I'm sorry. I don't understand. What do you mean why they would let you play? Okay. With people establishing like viable rules for not playing when you have no chips in front of you. I was confused why they let me play that hand. Oh, okay. Okay. I wasn't like insisting that I play. No, I agree. The dealer was starting to deal. She looked at you and looked at quizzically at the guy sitting, t- you were in the two seat, the guy in the one seat who was like organizing the game, who you and I both know, 
Well, okay, so why, why don't why don't I just reach out to somebody, guys? Why don't I reach out to someone at the table? I already um, I'll I'll let me let me handle it, right? Let me talk with some other people at the table. Let me go get their story. Let me see what they got to say. How about we agree to disagree with you two here? I don't want y'all. I don't want y'all. You know, I like both you guys. I don't want I don't want Julie on here feeling like she. You know, you guys can't figure this out. You guys got your stories. Why don't we agree to disagree? And uh, and why don't we move past this topic and maybe we move on to something else? Because I don't feel like we're really getting anywhere with where we're at with with, with thing right now. So okay, thank you, Julie. Yeah, pleasure meeting you. I love that I keep rushing on. With I this. know, no. Next time, next I'm time we next... rushed off and not even being able to get a word. No, 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 no. Talk. I mean, listen. I, I, I. By the way, just so you know, I didn't want to like pile onto this story. Yeah, that's, she's getting irritated now with. Joey and Haralabob to some degree that she got asked to come on there because there was talk about her and what she had said about Robbie at that bike game. So she comes on and has this argument with Robbie who keeps talking over her. So she, I will say she got what she wanted to say out. So it's not like she couldn't get a word in edgewise, like she said, but she did feel like she never really got to fully make her statement. And then she's being, shuttled off the show by Joey. It's not like Joey's hanging up on both of them. She's like, okay, well, he's like, well, okay, thank you, uh, Julie, for coming on. Nice having you. We're going to hang up on you now and just talk to Robbie. So, like, I think Julie was annoyed that they're making this the Robbie show and just under the guise of not letting them fight anymore, they're booting Julie off. So she got annoyed at Joey for this and rightfully so. Yeah. Robbie, I think you're in a shitty situation, whatever happened. I don't know if there was wrongdoing, if you were coerced into wrongdoing, if you had any part of wrongdoing. Whatever it is, it's a shitty thing. I was uh -huh. asked to go on the record because people thought it was rele relevant. And the fact that you're not acknowledging that it could be viewed as unethical slash there's a very big spectrum for people from confused novice that doesn't know you have to put the thing on the table to like attempted theft of like somebody else's money. That is the way people look at it in poker. I'm sorry. I'd love right. to know. Why did you guys let me play? I didn't even know you. I didn't know. What do you mean? It wasn't my decision to let you play. Whose game it was, let me play. That's an interesting pivot from Robbie here because she went from, no, you're totally wrong. Yeah, the floor man was getting my chips. What are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. To, oh, then why do you let me play? Why was I able to do this? So, now it's almost like she's acknowledging that Julie's story is correct and it's back to, well, then why was I allowed to play? Why wouldn't they? When why, you supply a 5K behind me, it seemed you were good for it. So unethical. Why did they let me play? Okay, again, I, I guess we are going in circles. Nothing had happened at that point. You said you were playing 5K. Huh? If I wasn't supposed to play without chips on the table, why did they let me? It's common practice that people play in advance of their chips coming. Okay. The so the score might be taking too long. I know, but okay. Well, okay. Julie, I appreciate you being here, and I appreciate you oh, getting uh, up. Uh, Julie, why don't I why don't I chat with you a little bit after, and then uh, you know, because I do want to talk more with you as well. And and overall, I like talking with you last time, so I like to <laughs> I, 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 I like to talk more with you again here. Okay. This may be my last appearance on this podcast. No, um, <laughs> uh, no I'm asked to come on. I'm asked to talk. No, no. I mean, I, I don't mind. I don't mind. I, I don't mind letting you. I mean, I, I don't. I don't mind letting you two talk. I guess I've never really done this before, right? I've never. I didn't expect this to happen. So. You know, my I was asked isn't... by several people mm. to to go pub to not go public to acknowledge the source. Mm. And you know, I don't like what's happening here. 
what seems to be happening here is that Joey really likes having Robbie on here because it gets eyeballs to his stream. And that's fine. You know, Rob, Joey is doing this at least somewhat for a living. He has a very well-watched channel. Each one of these gets more than 100,000 views and about 6,000 live. So very, very good ratings. And you get more ratings when you have the main players there. So he can't hang up on Robbie because she is bringing everyone to watch it. So I understand that. But the problem is when you want to bring someone on to argue with Robbie, and then you don't want to let the argument continue, which I don't understand why he doesn't just let this play out. But maybe he's thinking that Robbie will hang up if Julie comes too hard at her. But he's basically shuttling Julie out the door because Robbie seems to be getting upset because he's trying to protect the person who's getting the show ratings, which I appreciate that Joey is doing these long, long streams investigating everything, and he's gotten a lot of great guests to come on here who are relevant to this whole thing. I'm not talking about just big names in poker. I don't really care when he gets Tom Dwan or others that are well-known people but don't really have much to add. But I like that he gets the people on who are directly involved. He's had Robbie a whole lot. He's had Rip on a number of times. He even had Robbie's husband at one point. He's had Nick Vertucci on. He's had Nick Airball on. He almost got Brian on. So that's what I want to hear. That's what I want to watch. And he's the one getting these people, and they're coming on because he has a very well-watched show. And that's great. And it's great that he's taking full days to do this. He's lived and breathed this ever since this broke on September 29th. For over two weeks, this is mostly what Joey Ingram has done with his life. He's eaten, he's slept, and he's done this. Seriously, that's all he's done. And it's very exhausting. I can tell you by someone, as someone who does a long show once per week, it's exhausting. So the fact that he does this every day for two weeks is very tough. And you have to appreciate that. And he has been at the forefront of this whole thing with investigating this whole situation. So that's great. But the problem is it's also to monetize. It's also to bring entertainment to the viewer. And then sometimes that can get in the way with fact-finding. So what you should do when this happens is just let it play out. That's what Joey should have done, just let it play out. And if it pisses off Robbie and she hangs up, well, let her. She'll come back. She loves being on your show. She got all dressed up. You can look at Robbie here. She's she's sitting here with her hair done, with uh, very fashionable clothes, with makeup on, uh, sitting in a perfect pose to where she looks attractive. Like She's very, very much enjoying appearing on here and trying to look sexy. So you think she's not going to come back? Of course she is. So Julie was very upset that she's being pushed off because Robbie's getting upset. And she said, this is probably the last time I'm coming on here. Now, by the way, it wasn't because Joey, obviously noticing that Julie's very upset, had her come back on later without Robbie once Robbie was gone. And they had a nice conversation about Julie's movie career and what she's doing now. And she talked about some of her projects. So this calmed Julie down and made her a lot happier. I'm not going to play it for you because, you know, you can just go watch it yourself if you want. It's on the day 10 stream kind of in the middle end. But he had her back on there to make nice with her 
But notice it's like a balancing act. Notice what Joey's doing is he's pushing Julie off so he doesn't have Julie slay the golden goose, which is Robbie. And then once Robbie's gone anyway, then he brings Julie back and then tries to make nice with her. So you have to understand that the people who are giving intense, intense, intense coverage to this, like more than you can imagine a human being wanting to do, they also are gaining from covering it. They're getting donations. They're getting views to their stream. They're getting advertising revenues from their stream. Things like that. So everybody has a motivation. And I'm not criticizing having a motivation to cover this a whole lot. I mean, look at all the news channels out there. You think... Fox News and CNN and MSNBC are doing their work for free? No, they're doing it for profit. It doesn't mean they're not news. They're very biased, these sources, but they're still news. But news, in fact, has always been for profit. So, same thing here. The organizations and individuals who are intensely covering this are also doing it for profit. But then you can occasionally have a situation like this where sometimes that takes over. And I wish that weren't the case, but that's the case. So anyway, that's interesting to note. You know, Julie is irritated because she knows that. She's an intelligent woman and she knows why she's being pushed off here. Because it's clear in this discussion who's in the right. And it's not Robbie. And so why is Julie being pushed off? Well, I already told you. But Robbie did make, not Robbie, uh, Joey made right with her later by getting her back on to discuss her movie career. And I'm not somebody who's afraid to repeat something if it's the truth, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't need to be an anonymous source. Mm -hmm. So Robbie, I'm sorry, I don't want to get up in your business. I don't want to get up in your whole thing here. I was asked to tell a story. I told a story. It wasn't a really positive interaction as I would have liked it to be because I really love like a woman coming to poker, wanting to play, wanting to play in the big games, et cetera. It was not a positive interaction. And I shared that. I'm sorry that you, you know. It's but unfortunate. But I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye, Julie. Bye. Bye, Julie. Yeah. So at that point. I'm sure Julie closed it and said, why the hell did I come on here and screw Joey and I'm never coming back here and fuck all these people. <laughs> but <laughs> Joey got her back on and made sure that she felt better. So I have a feeling she'll come back in the future. There's something I said a long time ago when I used to see these razor commercials. I forgot which razor it was. I think this is back in the early 80s before I was shaving, but... It was a razor with a slogan where your first shave is as good as your last. And I made a joke. If your first shave is good and your last shave is good, then you forget everything else in between. And that's actually true. And that's kind of what Joey was trying to do here is that as long as she walks away remembering a good final appearance there, she'll probably want to come back. Because it is kind of human nature to remember the first and the last and forget everything in between, especially remember the last. And that also is what keeps people coming back to be compulsive gamblers, by the way, is they have memories of their most recent win. And then they come back to chase it. If they always lose, then they don't come back. 
So yeah, they should have just let this play out. Like, why, why was Joey stopping this? He does like nine, ten hours every day. He can't let this play out for a half an hour, 45 minutes, and let the two of them go at it. I mean, even for entertainment, it's interesting. That was the most interesting part of this whole show, Day 10. So why not let this play out? It's because he wants Robbie to be happy, so she keeps coming on there. And Robbie wants to keep coming on anyway. That's what Joey needs to realize. Robbie's not going to quit the show. It's not like there's some other really high-watched daily stream that she can go on to. It's pretty much that. Why do you think she came on to Joey's show tonight instead of this one? Because Joey has much better ratings and Joey has video and I have audio. So not only will she get more people hearing and watching her over there, but you can't watch her over here. You can't see her trying to look sexy over here because this is audio only. So she goes where the eyeballs are. And that's where she's going to keep coming back to. In fact, The reason she came on tonight, and I don't know the results of it because I haven't watched tonight. I was preparing for the show. But right around when this show started, maybe a little bit before, she was coming on to talk about the results of the lie detector test that she supposedly took about the situation. And she was promoting that on Twitter. She showed this stupid picture of her holding a a little envelope that says confidential on it, but I think the confidential part was Photoshopped on there. This whole thing is just such a display this whole thing is so much for views i'm talking about on her end not joey's end she wants everyone to watch everyone to see what she does next she wants you to follow her every move and of course joey loves it when his show is the vehicle for this because it gets him more eyeballs and he makes more money this way and he gets more notoriety they both basically win from this That was an interesting exchange. So now I want to talk about Ryan Feldman and Nick Vertucci, because they are now taking some heat about their past. Nick Vertucci ran some sort of real estate seminar prior to him getting involved with Hustler Casino Live. And if you Google Nick Vertucci real estate seminar, you will see a lot of results about this, and a lot of them are not very good. So this has been brought up before. I've seen this on 2 Plus 2. I was aware of it. I didn't really bother to cover it because definitely there were a lot of disgruntled customers of the Nick Vertucci Real Estate Academy. Basically, it was something that promised to teach you how to flip houses and make a big profit. And some customers of this seminar were unhappy and claimed that it was not what it appeared to be and that they didn't get their money's worth. Some went as far as calling it a scam. However, you really did get a real estate seminar when you would pay for it. You really would be given a course The question was, how valuable was the information that you were given in this course? And some people felt that it was useless and that they were charging them a fortune for information that's not very helpful or that wasn't realistic to use. Others were claiming that they just kept being upsold to more expensive courses. So these were these uh, various allegations. 
that occurred over the years that he did this, which, as I said, were the years kind of leading up to the Hustler Casino Live involvement that he had. A lot of this was done by salesmen that were working under Nick. Now, they still answer to him, so I'm not using this as an excuse for him. But you'll see a lot of different results about these different uh, statements about his real estate course. And I'm not going to go into this whole thing here, but I understand why now that this has all happened, that people are looking at this more intensely because you do have to ask yourself, okay, if there was potential cheating on Hustler Casino Live, what is the possibility that either owner of Hustler Casino Live was also in on it? Because there is a lot of money to be made from cheating here. There's also a lot of money to be made by running an honest stream, especially one that's doing so well. So you may say it wouldn't make sense to cheat people on the stream if it's already doing very well without cheating anybody. But you can also say, well, this is a lot of money and it's very tempting to cheat people for a lot of money if you can get away with it. So you can look up the stuff about Nick Vertucci and make your own decision about whether this was a scam or not. Supposedly some people put up as much as uh, $40,000 to learn what he or his salesman were uh, teaching. I'll go as far to say there were a lot of unflattering allegations about the Nick Vertucci Real Estate Academy. And Nick is not someone with a spotless reputation for that reason. And he wasn't really known in poker until he got involved with Hustler Casino Live. So it's not like he had a real estate business that had some criticism, but people have known him in poker for 20 years, and he's always been very honest with the community. He really wasn't in the community, at least not that I knew, like he wasn't a known player at all, until he got involved with Ryan here with Hustler Casino Live. So people have been bringing that up, and in fact, they brought it up on 2 Plus 2 quite some time ago, and he actually showed up on 2 Plus 2 to defend himself, but he never really explained in detail any kind of defense to these allegations. What he was more doing was just fighting with people who were calling him names. So he wasn't really providing anything useful on 2 plus 2. It was more just arguing with trolls. So that made some people even more suspicious. Like if he didn't do anything wrong, why wasn't he putting out a very well-reasoned and clear defense to the allegations? Because yes, when you run some kind of expensive seminar teaching people how to make money, and then some people take the seminar and don't make money, then they're going to be bitter. And maybe it's their fault. Maybe they didn't apply the information properly, and then they're mad at you and blame you, so it would make sense why they go on the internet and call you a scammer. Or maybe you haven't been all that honest the whole way. Maybe you sold them something that was misleading or that seemed to be more of a guarantee to success than it really was. So as I said, you guys can read the complaints and judge for yourself. It's very easy to find on Google. But this is getting a lot of renewed attention, whereas before it only got a little bit of attention on 2 plus 2. Now it is getting renewed attention because of everything going on there. And people are trying to figure out who should we trust? Should we trust Garrett? Should we trust Robbie? Should we trust Nick and Ryan? Who should we trust? It's a good question. And I'll give you the answer. I don't know. I don't know who we should trust. I really don't know who we should trust here. If someone asked me today, 
Do you trust any of the people involved in this story? Can you say any of them that you're pretty certain have done nothing wrong? Unfortunately, I cannot name anybody that I'm pretty certain did nothing wrong. Really, everybody's a suspect here. Now, there's no chance every single person was involved in something shady. There have to be some innocent people here. And some, I think, have a higher chance of being innocent than others, as I've already said. But really, every person involved here is under some kind of suspicion, including the two owners of the stream. So yeah, Nick has a little bit of a questionable past, and that does put him under some additional suspicion beyond just being the co-owner of the stream. And Ryan, he doesn't have any kind of uh, past like Nick does. It's not like you can Google Ryan Feldman and find anything that is complaining about his past business dealings. However, however, there is an allegation against him. So I'm going to go back a little bit now. I'm going to go back to the summer of 2022. So I'm not going back that far, but I'm going back to the World Series of Poker. And while I was on a break from an event I was playing in Paris, a guy approached me and said that he is a friend of someone who always listens to this show. And I had never met this guy before. And I think he said he's listened occasionally, but it's really his friend who listens all the time. And he really knows who I am because of his friend. And he said he wanted to tell me that the reason Ryan Feldman left Live at the Bike wasn't because he was just unfairly fired or it wasn't because of COVID or anything like that. It was that they let him go because they caught him being involved in cheating there. And rather than making a big thing of it, they just quietly let him go. That's what I was told by this individual at the World Series who I'd never met before in my life. Well, okay, but this guy could not provide me any proof. He could not show me any evidence. He just told me that this is what he was told by someone he trusts. So, all right, you know, interesting to hear this, but I did not even bother to report this anywhere. I didn't bother to even put this anywhere, not on this show, not on my forum, not on any other forum, not on Twitter. Why? Because it was an unsubstantiated allegation by a person I didn't know. So I couldn't come out there and make such an allegation against Ryan just because some random at the World Series comes up to me and tells me this. I need to see evidence. I can't just make allegations against people. It was an interesting thing to hear, but for all I knew, it could have just been made up or he could have heard a false rumor. So without any evidence... I was not going to repeat it anywhere. I'm not going to be unfair to Ryan like that. I'm not going to be unfair to anybody like that. I'm not going to just go repeat rumors that someone's cheating or involved in a cheating ring just because someone walks up and tells me. That's why you never heard me talk about this. So why am I mentioning it now? Well, because now it is making the rounds all over Twitter and Ryan finally addressed it. So now it's fair to talk about it and it's only fair that I should mention that this was brought to my attention by a random at the World Series who claimed to know of me through one of his friends. It could be the same guy who's been spreading it around, and that's why it got back around on Twitter now. I don't know. But it's interesting that I heard this in the summer, and now it's coming out now, and then uh, Ryan addressed it. So let me tell you what the allegations are. And then Ryan actually responded on 2 plus 2. So that's also something I will read to you. So this is from Reddit. Someone posted it on Reddit. Want to hear some fun facts? Around 2016, Ludacris, that's L-U-D-A, and then the name Chris, was a 5-5 no-limit grinder at the bike and a complete nit 
who wouldn't even participate in bomb pots because his backer, quote, would kill him. So they're basically portraying this ludicrous as a guy who did not want to gamble, as a nit who just always put his money in good, never wanted to gamble it up, and had a backer and claimed the backer specified very clearly that he's only to get his money in good and never to gamble. This person wrote, once Feldman started producing Live at the Bike, again, this is 2016, Luda Chris started appearing on the show and began making incredible plays. We're talking five bets with air when his opponent had nothing. We're talking about laying down pocket aces on the flop to one bet when his opponent flopped a set. It's all there in the Live at the Bike archives if someone wants to actually look. In one year, Ludacris moved to the highest stakes and won nearly 300k on Live at the Bike, this was unheard of at the time in the mid-stakes games. Ludacris went full god mode and crushed it. At the same time, Feldman was a prop at the bike and by many accounts was losing heavily and in significant debt. All around the bike and the show's player pool, rumors of cheating started to bubble up. Dan Zack went as so far to calculate Ludacris's hourly win rate and said, while it wasn't impossible, it was, quote, highly improbable. I don't know if Dan Zach really did this, but that's what they're claiming here. This was before the Postle scandal, so cheating a stream wasn't really thought of as much. But you want to know who Ludacris' roommate was? It was Ryan Feldman. And when the local poker community discovered that, you never saw Ludacris play on the show again. Feldman was soon removed from his duties on the show, and the owners in the casino swept everything under the rug to save face at the bike. There's a reason why Feldman is so quiet. This is just posted on Reddit recently, and it was reposted all over Twitter, and then someone posted it on 2 Plus 2, so finally Feldman responded. Now, before Feldman responded, when I saw this, there was one big problem jumping out at me, and that was that Ryan Feldman lost his job at the bike and live at the bike during COVID in 2020, and then we had him on this show in 2021 to talk about the whole thing, if you remember. So... This timeline doesn't make a lot of sense because supposedly Ludacris was cheating around 2016, according to this allegation, and that people were suspicious that because he was Ryan Feldman's roommate that he was winning so much because Feldman was helping him with the whole cards, and then Feldman got fired. Well, the problem is that Feldman didn't get fired until 2020. So what, they thought Feldman was cheating with Ludacris but then only fired him three years later? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Anyway, here's what Feldman said back. Number one, he, referring to Ludacris, didn't move to L.A. until 2017. Two, he wasn't some professional grinder who moved up in stakes by crushing the game. He came from a non-poker background, meaning that he was able to play higher stakes because he had a job elsewhere. Number three, he was not staked back then. He's not staked now. He's always had money, to my knowledge, but he was newish to live poker, was still learning, and there weren't good bigger games than 5-5 at the time unless it was on the show. So basically, Ryan's saying that the only opportunity to play juicy games above 5-5, where the players aren't very good, was on Live at the Bike, that the other high-stakes games in L.A., the players were all tough. Number four, he's, already pl- he's always played the same, more or less. I remember playing with him when he was new to L.A. in 5-5 and 5-10. He's always been rather wild and creative. It's hard to play that crazy in smaller capped games, though. Ask some bike 5.5 five, and 5.10 regulars from 2017 and they'll tell you. Number five, I have no clue how much he won or lost back then on stream, but he definitely didn't crush it as far as I remember. I do remember he went on a one to two month heater at one point. 
full god mode and crushed it is LOL. I wish someone would go look. I remember one anti game where he lost 60k alone. Number six, he started playing the show before I knew him well. I gave him a shot in smaller games and he proved he was good for the show. So he started playing in the anti games after we started running that and he was quickly a popular player. We became friends after that. Number seven, we were roommates for about a year because I liked the building he lived in and I wanted to get out of the place I was in with some other poker players I knew from the East Coast in an area I wasn't enjoying. I liked living in a place with a gym and being near Korean barbecue restaurants. Okay, well, that's still like, why was he a roommate of his, though? Like, he couldn't afford his own place? That's, I don't quite understand that part. Eight, I was, quote, losing heavily and in significant debt, LOL. I remember one short period of time where I ever borrowed or owed anyone money. I've never been in significant debt in my life. Even if I downswinged hard, I was getting paid from Live at the Bike and propping, so I was always fine. Okay, let me jump off to give you a little aside here, because I know something that I didn't reveal until today on the forum, and now I'm going to tell you this on the show. It's not a huge bombshell, but it's something that nobody has made public yet. I happen to be at the home of a poker pro. I'm not going to say who it was, but I was at the home of a poker pro, and this is a person who plays on these poker apps and they play for high stakes and they were showing me the results of that day they were just showing me something else they weren't trying to show me anything about ryan and it was before this whole scandal so it had nothing to do with the scandal this is about a month ago and this person showed me the results of that day's game and guess who the biggest loser in the game was for that day it was ryan feldman and he lost a lot of money that day so it was a high stakes game I don't know how Ryan was doing overall, and I didn't ask because, again, it was before this scandal. So it wasn't like I had to find out how Ryan was doing overall. I did ask, is this really Ryan? Because these were screen names. I saw a screen name named Ryan Feldman, and I asked, okay, is that really Ryan Feldman or just someone playing around like using his name? Because I had no idea that Ryan Feldman is actually playing in high-stakes games on these apps. I had thought that he was not really playing much poker and that he was just spending his time running Hustler Casino Live, which takes a lot of effort. That thing runs five days a week. He has to put lineups together. I don't even know where he has time to play. But on this particular day, Ryan lost a lot of money in this high-stakes game, and I was quite surprised to see he was playing that high and could afford such a loss. I'm not saying I thought Ryan was broke. I just, like, I wouldn't play that size of a game. So I'm not trying to put him down like, oh, I didn't think Ryan could play that high. Like, I would not play that high of a game or anywhere near that. So I was surprised to see Ryan was playing that high because I just hadn't known that he did that. And that's what made me ask that person, is this really Ryan? And they told me yes. So I thought, hmm, that's weird. Okay. (laughs) Ryan is a bigger degen than I thought. Wow. He's playing in some pretty big games. I didn't bother to ask how good was that game or was there a big spot in that game and maybe that's why Ryan took a shot or maybe people took pieces of him. I didn't ask these questions. I wasn't that curious. I didn't care that much. But I was kind of surprised. I was surprised enough to ask, was that really Ryan? And I was told yes. So that's just something to take note of here that Ryan does seem to play in pretty high-stakes cash games, provided that this person who was showing me this app was correct that that was really him. 
there definitely was a person on that app named Ryan Feldman who had lost a lot of money then that day. And Ryan was verifying here in this post I'm reading you that he just made on October 10th that he did downswing hard at one point. We're not talking about last month, but that he does play a lot of poker and that he does sometimes go downswing hard, which of course all of us do if we uh, play a lot of poker. And that there was a period where he did borrow money when presumably he was broke because he was downswinging, but that he paid everybody back according to what he's claiming. Now, I haven't heard that Ryan owes money to anybody. So he's probably telling the truth that he has paid everybody back anything that he has borrowed and that he probably didn't have any long period of time where he was in debt. But he admitted there there was a short period of time he was in debt. So that combined with what I saw last month is interesting. Number nine, I was not, quote, removed, referring to Live at the Bike. Anyone telling you that is lying for some reason, probably for their own agenda. I quit because I didn't get along with the other owners, particularly one owner who thought that becoming an owner meant that he gets to play in the juicy games I was organizing. Let me stop right here. I haven't gone and re-listened to that interview he did with us 14 months ago, but I know for sure that he posted on Twitter the termination notice he got from the bike. Not live at the bike, but the bike did terminate him. And in fact, he was complaining that they terminated him in a very cold and callous fashion, sending him like a, a very generic like checkbox form about the reasons he was terminated. And he felt after all he did for them that this was a very cold way to end it. And as far as live at the bike, I, I'm forgetting what he said. I don't know if it was him quitting. I'm, I'm really trying to remember what he said. Maybe it was him quitting. But there was some disagreement between him and them at the time. They didn't just abruptly fire him from what he said. Maybe he quit before they could fire him. Maybe it was clear they couldn't continue having a working relationship. I I wish I remembered now. We've just done so many shows, it starts to become a blur to me. But what he writes is, I I quit because I didn't get along with the other owners, referring to Life of the Bike, particularly one owner who thought becoming an owner meant he gets to play in the juicy games I was organizing. When I didn't let him because the Rex didn't want to play with him, he revolted by spreading rumors and talking shit about me, some of which were probably fed to you through the grapevine. If any of it was true, why didn't any owner ever put it out public? Because it was 0% true, and it was done out of pure jealousy. I explained this more or less in some of the podcasts I did. I guess he's referring to this one. (laughs) Oops. I have the emails saved of my withdrawal notice, and their emails begging me to stay by offering me more money after I gave them ultimatums. Anyone saying I was, quote, removed is a straight liar. So, okay, you know, I think I probably believe that he was asked to stay, and that he probably quit over some disagreements. However, his statement of, if this really happened, then why wouldn't they put it out public? Well, because it makes them look bad. That's why. They wouldn't want it out there. If this really happened, let's just say hypothetically that cheating happened there on Live at the Bike, they wouldn't go publicize it themselves if this hasn't been discovered yet. Of course they'd want to sweep it under the rug. There would have to be a real, real, real honest card room to come and say, hey, everybody, guess what? We have a cheating scandal here. Yep, there's been cheating on our stream. Just want to let everyone know that, even though no one's suspecting it. (laughs) Of course, no one would do that. So him using the argument that they would have put it out there if it were true is something that doesn't hold a lot of validity. But at the same time, I think I do believe him that he left on his own, and it probably was 
from some conflicts he was having with them. I'm sure they have their side to the story, too. Now, it's possible he was having conflicts and that they strongly suspected cheating, but who knows? He finishes by writing, I never hid any of this. Only they did, because they were scared to tell people they let me quit because I knew because they knew I was the main force in keeping their show relevant. If any bit of this was true, if they actually believed I was removed for any reason, they would have publicized it. But it was all lies, so they stayed quiet because they knew their show would go downhill once people knew I was gone. Well, it is, it, it's true it went downhill once Ryan left. He was very talented at organizing these games. And I've said tons of times on this show, and I will continue to say it, that the reason Hustler Casino Live became huge immediately and Live at the Bike became a second thought was because Ryan Feldman was the reason it succeeded. He was the one who was making it watchable, and when he was no longer there and moved to Hustler Casino Live, that became the watchable stream. Totally true. He has very, very much talent at doing that. But they wouldn't just put this out there Number one, because it would make them look bad, and their casino look bad, and Live at the Bike look bad. The whole thing would look bad. And number two, they could get sued if they didn't have proof. So they could have suspected this, but then you can't put it out there publicly because he could sue them for libel or slander and possibly win. So yeah, that that would be a reason to put out rumors quietly through friends rather than making a public statement, if you can't prove it. So I'm not saying any of this was true, but Ryan's claim that they would have put it out publicly if this were true, uh, not unless they could prove it. If they just suspected it, they would not have put it out publicly. And even if they could prove it, they may not have put it out publicly so they don't look bad. Because once a stream is shown to have had cheating, people do not want to watch it anymore. People don't want to trust it anymore. Could you see anyone really wanting to watch Stones again? Stones was growing quickly. Some of you may have forgotten this by now, but in 2019, Stones was becoming a pretty big stream at this small casino in a strip mall. I've been there. Remember, I was on there once in 2017. It's at a small casino in a strip mall in Sacramento, not exactly a hotbed of poker, but it was quickly growing. They were getting big name players to come down there. Stones was loving it. They were becoming very, very known and relevant in poker, and it all came crashing down thanks to the Apostle scandal. And they tried to push forward, but all that would happen is in their chat, they just get constantly trolled. So they gave up. And I don't know if they started it again eventually, but even if they did, it's never going to be relevant again. You're never going to have big players coming to play at Stones again. That's been ruined permanently. So you don't want to do this to yourself if you have a successful stream. So anyway, looking at these two things, we have these allegations against Feldman. Maybe they're BS allegations. Maybe there's nothing to it. Feldman did answer it there on 2 plus 2 when it was brought up. So props to him for not avoiding it and giving a full explanation. And Nick Vertucci has this real estate academy thing dogging him now. So both of these elements are bringing down the public trust in these guys a little bit maybe more than a little bit so many pieces to this whole thing huh so i bet if you ask the average person observing all of this do you totally trust nick vertucci i bet you get a big no at least those who have 
seen the stuff about the Real Estate Academy. And if you ask anyone who read these reports about Ryan Feldman and this ludicrous guy, do you completely trust him? I bet a lot of people would say no. I will say that the stuff against Nick is more damning than the stuff against Ryan. The stuff against Ryan is kind of like a retelling of something that was supposedly happening five, six years ago. And it seems the person making the allegation has some details wrong. And there's also the strange delay that would have occurred if he really was fired or pressured to leave over this. Because again, the ludicrous alleged cheating was said to have happened in 16 or 17, and Ryan wasn't gone from life at the bike until 2020. So what happened in those three years? So there's holes in these allegations. I'm surprised Ryan himself didn't bring that up. So I'm skeptical about that. And I was skeptical about it when it was brought to me at the World Series of Poker. And the guy who brought it to me seemed nice enough, and he seemed to be sincere that he believed it. But, you know, he was probably told this by somebody else. And he probably believed them, and he probably wanted me to know. That doesn't mean that this guy was a liar. This guy was probably telling me a story that he was honestly told. But that doesn't mean the story's true. But, you know, these things are going around, and people are wondering. And I can tell you from what I saw on that app, Ryan's playing pretty damn high. And when someone is playing pretty damn high, you can have pretty damn big swings. That's why I don't play in those games. It's not like I'm afraid to play high stakes, but... I'm afraid of losing mass money. I'll say that. I do not want to lose high stakes money. Like if somebody offered me a seat in a very good, very soft, but very, very high stakes game. And if I could not get backers to buy pieces of me, I'd be afraid to play. Not afraid like I'm not good enough. Because again, this would be a soft game where I presumably I'd be a big favorite. But... I'd be afraid of the variance. I'd be afraid of having bad luck on that particular day and then getting in a tremendous hole that would take me a lot of grinding to get out of. So I wouldn't do it. So when you go play high stakes games, even good games, you're taking a risk that you're going to lose a lot of money. You got to have a really, really, really big bankroll in order to withstand such swings. And a lot of poker players underestimate how much of a bankroll you need. They just figure, okay, I'm a favorite in these games. This should work out. I should make a lot of money. But then you don't account for how bad luck can drag you down for a while. And then it becomes a vicious cycle. Then you play worse because your luck's getting worse. And then you have some extended bad luck and all of a sudden you're broke. And then the only way to keep an action is to keep borrowing. So somebody who needs money to play, you never know what they're going to do. So I'm not making any allegations or implications here. I'm just saying that people are bringing these things up like, okay, well, can we even really trust the owners of this thing? One of these guys is facing a lot of criticism all over the internet for his real estate academy, and the other one seems to be a degen who plays these high-stakes poker games and is alleged to sometimes run out of money. Neither of these things implicates them in any kind of cheating. But it's also not the best look when people are suspecting cheating on the stream. You want a stream like this to be owned and run by someone that you would say, okay, this is a person with a stellar rep and they would have no reason to cheat. So someone who is financially secure, 
and someone who has a great rep and doesn't have any kind of baggage. That's really who you want to run a stream like this. The more someone needs money or the more someone has a history of potentially shady behavior, the less you can trust them to run an honest game that's going for very big money. And I'm speaking generically here. I'm not saying specifically about the owners of uh, Hustler Casino Live. I'm saying with anyone running any kind of high-stakes game where there could potentially be bad actors, you want to make sure that everybody who has access to whole cards would have no reason to cheat and would have no history of bad behavior. And anything short of that, people start asking questions. So these things are starting to be scrutinized. And, you know, I I hope it's not true. I hope that uh, this is all above board. But that's what we're trying to figure out. People are looking at this from every angle, from every single angle. Okay, let's get to something a little bit lighter here. Talking about a lot of serious stuff here. Let's uh, we got to lighten up the mood here. I did it last time talking about the whole thing about Robert and Robbie Lou and the Hendon mob. Well, this week, since this has so many similarities to Mike Postle, let's talk about what Mike Postle has had to say about this. But where? If you go to his Twitter, he's had nothing to say about it. And he's made no official comment anywhere in any kind of poker publications, nor has he appeared on any kind of streams or interviews or podcasts about this matter. So how do I have any statements that Mike Postle has made? Well, a listener to this show provided me with some posts that Postle made on Facebook. And I want to read the posts to you because they are entertaining. And I think you will enjoy them. I'm not going to say who sent this to me. I don't out my sources. But I believe this is real. Here we go. This is screenshots that were sent to me of Mike Postle's Facebook account. And from everything I can see, it looks legitimate. So Mike Postle shared a post he made from 2013 when he was in Mississippi and playing at Tunica. And the post said, this is October 8th, 2013. Only at Tunica at 1 a.m. on a Monday night will you find a 1-2 no limit game with almost 40K on the table. And then he doesn't show me the rest of that post. But basically, Mike Postle shared that post from nine years ago. And he shared it on the nine-year anniversary of that post on October 8th, 2022. And this is what he wrote. Might have to share this now classic post-Black Friday photo every year it pops up on my anniversary memory feed, along with a list of great comments below it. Because that's what Facebook does, is it will pick a post you made on the anniversary of that post when a year's passed by, two years, three years, whatever, and then people will reshare it, say, oh, look what I wrote exactly this many years ago today. So he's saying that he might have to do this every year. Like the one someone else left in particular nine years ago about something every poker player knows, but some have conveniently ignored. If wondering when the big reveal on that one other topic happens, shouldn't be much longer before a small part of the most out-of-line story in recent gambling history is told. And by story, I mean that things no one else is capable of providing. 
the proof, he writes. But for now, we'll let the most recent event play out first, like when one side ends up hanging themselves because they simply love the attention too much. In the meantime, I've decided to work more with the only investigative entity who has done any real research into covering what all really happened in my case. (laughs) Okay. Who's he talking about? Who's the real investigative entity? That would be Rounder Life. Rounder Life is a longtime buddy of his. Rounder Life was an attempted poker magazine that never caught on. And it's run by a guy named Everett Caldwell in Florida. And I don't know how he originally got to know Postle, but Mike Postle was on the staff there. Mike Postle was part of Rounder Life in the like late 2000s when they were trying to get it going. And Everett has been Mike's biggest cheerleader the entire way since the scandal happened three years ago. And he's been doing nothing but publishing one pro-Postle article after another and trying to share them on social media and trying to hassle people who have put out things against Postle, like especially Bart Hansen. He loves to pick on Bart Hansen. Everett is obsessed with trying to show everyone that Mike Postle was innocent, but he puts out a bunch of crap. Like the, the stuff he puts out is not convincing at all, and it ignores the main points and it focuses on minutia. It's stupid. Like he's been obsessed with the whole thing of, well, how much did Mike Postle really win? You know, Matt Berkey says that Postle won two hundred fifty thousand, but we can show you that Mike Postle didn't win two hundred fifty thousand. He only won about half that. Like who cares? Who cares? That's not the main point here. And. I've covered the whole thing before about Rounder Life. It's it's a bunch of crap. This is a buddy of Postle's that's trying to rehabilitate Postle's image. And, you know, I'll give Everett Caldwell this. He's a very good friend. He's put a lot of time and energy into trying to show Postle is innocent. He's pretty much revolved his whole identity around that. And he's gotten a lot of people in poker to hate him. Now, you can say maybe this is attention. You know, Nobody was paying attention to Everett Caldwell ever, so maybe this is the first way he gets noticed, and I guess it is, because nobody knew who he was until 2019, despite many attempts to start this dumb magazine. So maybe that's the play here, but maybe it is out of friendship. So I guess if it really is out of friendship, he's a great friend to have. I would love to have a friend that's loyal to me, who just, no matter what the evidence says no matter how it looks, that they just tirelessly dedicate themselves to clearing my name. That's a good buddy. But anyway, that's who he's referring to here, is the only investigative entity who's done any real research into cover, uncovering what really happened. No, it's just a person who's putting out propaganda on your side, Possel. While those loyal old friends, well, that's true. He is a loyal old friend. I'll give him that. And surprising new allies are a ways off from the entirety of it all. I have decided to release some teaser reels of sorts on their YouTube channel, referring to Rounder Life again, in the near future, giving clues as to the insanity that's transpired in the last nine years since this photo was taken. The 10 plus years prior to that, and then especially the last three years and nine months of when the shenanigans really began. So whether you're interested in the poker gambling myself or just love a real-life suspense thriller filled with every sort of drama imaginable, 
go subscribe to the YouTube channel that will eventually kick it off. And then he links Rounder Life in case you're thinking, could it be someone else? No, it's Rounder Life. He links them. If mildly intrigued, enjoy bathroom reading or prefer to read real news articles that are completely factual in comparison to what the majority of news sources provide you and that have yet to be proven wrong by anyone who's wanted to silence them, you can click below. And then he clicks, he provides a link from Rounder Life showing how innocent he is. And finally, if you're in need of additional clues, since we all love a magical mystery story, the best clue I can give is to point you to watching one of my favorite actors of all time in what, in what has become my f- personal favorite movie and sequels of mine since they came out. Morgan Freeman in the movies Now You See Me. For those remembering my favorite movie always being the classic poker movie Rounders, don't worry. It's still my second favorite and has a host of tie-ins to my story as well. Some of us are capable of thinking within a creative box. Others can level up into thinking outside the box. Then there's a select few who like to say, I'm going to throw the whole damn box away. while thinking multiple moves ahead and playing chess with or without some kinky vibrating beads against those who are unknowingly playing checkers against someone they mistakenly highly underestimated. P.S. Remember the value of true friends. Never forget those friends who remain loyal and believe in you during life's lowest moments. Nothing is what it appeared to be. And then he showed an emoji of like a head exploding and then the peace sign. Isn't that deep? So if you didn't follow all of this nonsense, basically he's saying that, number one, he knows a lot of stuff here that he's not going to put out yet about this current thing with Robbie. He doesn't mention her name, but he talks about the most recent event. And that one side likes hanging themselves because they simply love the attention too much. So he's implying that he knows things that are going to make the people covering this Robbie story look really stupid. But he's letting themselves put out all of their statements and allegations first. And then soon he's going to drop the bombs that make them all look like big liars. But then also regarding his own case, he's going to be putting forth some kind of I don't know, documentary. Remember, he's been talking about his documentary or something else about his life in poker for the past nine years and including and prior to the scandal he was involved in that's going to blow your mind and show you that everything that you believed is wrong and that everybody's been underestimating him the whole time. Just wondering, by the way, uh, it's been three years, Postle. Which games have you played in since then that you've been crushing like we've seen how well you could crush on the stone stream no matter how good the competition i'm wondering where where have you been crushing since then where have you been sitting down and crushing since then because i don't know i haven't heard of this happening because as good as you were there you should have been able to just destroy any no limit game you just sit down at with any lineup so Just wondering if you have done this anywhere in the last three years since all this came out so you can prove all of us wrong. And if you have, please let us know where that was. And if I hear you really have been crushing just regular live games that aren't streamed, 
Well, I'll say, okay, I must have been wrong about Apostle. I can't wait to see his story. Now, there was more to this because there were also some comments that he had on this post. There are some various ass kissers who seem to still support him. Of course, that's why they're his Facebook friends. He probably would have unfriended most people who would be criticizing him or perhaps unfriended all of them. But here's something interesting. A person named Bob Daniels said, I so want to see the biggest narcissist in the world go down. Now, who do you think that is? Who's the biggest narcissist in the world in relation to the whole thing with Mike Postle? Who do you think Bob Daniels is referring to? Is it Joey Ingram? Is it Matt Berkey? Is it Doug Polk? No, 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 no. It's Veronica Brill. And I know that because Bob Daniels goes on to say, she's so full of herself. So there's only one female who is prominently into the Mike Postle situation regarding calling out Postle and accusing him of things. And that was Veronica Brill, the original whistleblower. And by the way, Mike Postle despises Veronica. Of all the characters that are in this story, of all the people Mike Postle sued, myself included, the one he hates the most by a wide margin is Veronica. He still feels that Veronica did this for personal gain and that she has gained from it. And he resents this tremendously. Tremendously. He probably thinks about this every day and fumes about it. So he responded, Bob, she's not the only one. And then... Bob Daniels responded back, she has profited off of this whole thing. And then Mike Postle responded back big time. Then there are some other comments here, like she's not the only one by Postle. So who are the other people that he's mentioning here? Well, he talked about big name poker pros. So he definitely believes that... uh, Not only did Veronica get involved in this whole thing, both with him and she's currently involved in this situation, not not as much, but she's been commenting on it a lot on Nick Vertucci's show. And she's aligned with Nick Vertucci, which I'm sure that Postle's watching very closely, because I think what Postle's hoping here is that uh, Nick Vertucci ultimately ends up looking very bad. And then Veronica, by association, is brought down a peg with the whole thing as well. That's what I'm sure he's hoping. And he seems to also believe that big name poker pros are also going to look foolish in this whole thing. So I'm not sure which ones he's referring to, but it probably has to do with the people who were calling him out pretty aggressively in the first place. I don't think Joey Ingram, because Joey Ingram was saying that he's actually going to produce something with Postle sometime soon. I don't know what it's going to be, but I guess they're back on better terms. But I'm wondering if it might be Doug Polk or Matt Berkey. But it has to be someone who's pretty well-known. Like, he's not referring to me because I'm not a big-name poker pro. So it has to be one of these other guys. Pretty interesting, huh? Mike Postle saying that not only does he know things about this, but he's letting people hang themselves. But his own story is about to be brought back out into the forefront via Rounder Life. And they're going to put teasers up on Rounder Life's channel. Oh, boy. 
first of all, Apostle, uh, you still owe me money from the attorney's fees that I won. You legally owe me a court judgment. So I'm, I'm still waiting for that. So please pay me. And second, even despite the fact that you've owed me money for quite some time from this court judgment and haven't paid it, I am still willing to listen to you if you'd like to show me any kind of compelling evidence that you were innocent, or if you would like to show me anything else, such as that you've been playing in these high-stakes games that credible people can vouch for, and you've been killing them the same way you were killing the Stone Stream, uh, then I'm willing to change my mind. I'm always willing to look at more evidence to change my mind, not the silly stuff that's being brought by Everett Caldwell, that's all a bunch of nonsense. I've, I've read it and it's stupid, but something that actually is compelling, I'm willing to take a look at, even with you owing me money. I'm not going to forgive the money owed, but I would be willing to see what you want to present. And I've said that the whole way. That's why I didn't understand why you sued me, because I was putting out the offer the whole way that you can present a rebuttal, either by coming on the show or messaging me or whatever, and I'll be glad to put out your side. And if you can convince me, then I'll be glad to take your side. I've said that the whole way. So that was the Mike Postle take on the situation. Is there anything else to report with this? Well, yes. I have some other things to say, because there's just so many things that have happened in the past week and a half. Hustler Casino Live put out a statement regarding the California Bureau of Gambling Control and their investigation. Now, this might excite you. You might say, oh, good. That's what we've been waiting for. Finally, the authorities are getting involved here. We're going to get to the bottom of this one. Well, no. Let me tell you about California gaming. California gaming is weak and it's toothless. All they care about is getting their fees paid and that the card rooms are spreading the games that they're told they can spread. That's pretty much it. So they want their money and they want basic procedures followed. And if they get that, then they're cool. They do not care about consumer issues. They do not really care about complaints that people have about these card rooms, aside from the card rooms spreading a game that they're not supposed to. And they're not a good one to go to if you feel a like card room has screwed you. You may think you have a smoking gun that the card room has fucked you over in some way, and it's very likely nothing will happen. And it's sad. I wish it wasn't like this, but that's the way it is. And ask anyone knowledgeable who plays in LA card rooms or Northern California card rooms, and they will tell you that this is the case. Unlike Nevada, which has a pretty strong gaming commission, though still kind of flawed, but still strong. California is, is weak and toothless. They're the last ones you want investigating in matters like these. I'm going to show you what uh, Hustler had to say about this. I'm going to read you what Hustler put out regarding the investigation, and then I will comment. Update on investigation. Hustler Casino has been contacted with the California Bureau of Gambling Control and provided a briefing on the investigation of the hand between Robbie and Garrett and the audit of the technology and protocols used in the production of Hustler Casino Live. 
The Bureau, which enforces gambling regulations in the state of California in coordination with the California Gambling Control Commission, said it approved of Hustler Casino Live continuing to live stream poker games on its YouTube channel. Hustler Casino and High Stakes Poker Productions will work closely with the Bureau during the investigation and share its findings at the conclusion. Respectfully, Nick Vertucci and Ryan Feldman. Okay, first of all, notice they said Hustler Casino has been contacted. Not them, not Hustler Casino Live, Hustler Casino. And then they clarified it because some people got confused and thought that it was them who was working with California Bureau of Gambling Control. And they clarified, probably accurately, that no, we are not in contact with them. It's Hustler Casino who is in contact with them. And they gave Hustler Casino permission to let us still stream the games. So does this mean anything? The only thing it means is that the California Bureau of Gambling Control sucks and that they're useless and you can't count on them in matters like these. That's all it shows because, again, they don't really care about this too much. So I don't know if they self-reported this matter or if it was reported to them. So whatever it was, they contacted Hustler and said, okay, tell us what's going on here. And Hustler said, okay, well, we're streaming a hand. One of the players felt that he was cheated. We found no evidence of any cheating. In the meantime, we're auditing the technology. We're auditing our protocols. We have very professional and respected firms doing this, both on the legal end and from the technology end. And we have been reviewing the streams and even found one of our own employees stole from a stack and we promptly fired that person and called the police. But we've seen no vulnerability in our stream so far and we'll let you know if anything gets found out. That's what they told Hustler, who told Hus- who then went and told California Bureau of Gambling Control and California Gambling Control said, all right, sounds cool to us. So let's get this straight. There's no evidence of cheating You guys are auditing everything anyway with very respected firms and you fired the only employee who has been caught doing anything wrong. All right, sounds cool to us because I doubt that they are really putting very much time and effort into investigating this. All they want to know is, was there any proof of cheating found? No, that's true. Are you auditing the stream to make sure everything's cool? Yes, and we've hired good companies to do it. Okay. And have you fired any employees you have caught doing anything wrong? Yes, we have. Okay. Check, check, check. Keep broadcasting. Well, that's an amazing oversimplification. If it was that simple, we wouldn't have spent all these hours last weekend, this week going over it, right? So I bet if you asked the head investigator at the California Bureau of Gambling Control to tell you about all the intricacies of this case that we've been discussing the last two weeks, I bet they couldn't tell you most of them because that's not how they work there. And it's too bad. So this really means nothing. And if you still don't believe me, the California Bureau of Gambling Control also looked into stones after the possible cheating allegations, and they also came away with, eh, whatever, we're not doing anything, we didn't find anything wrong. So the fact that Stones walked away clean there should speak volumes. This is just not who you go to. It should be who you go to, but it's useless. 
the California Bureau of Gambling Control is useless. And that's one big flaw in California gambling. And it sucks. It's something I don't like. I don't feel great about it when I'm playing. I don't feel good at Indian casinos for that and more reasons. And even at non-Indian card rooms like Commerce, the bike, whatever, I always know that if they screw me, that I have no recourse, that I'll never get back whatever I got screwed out of because basically there is no consumer-facing Bureau of Gaming Control here. There is by name, but not in practice. I'll give you a quick example that proves this. A number of the LA card rooms at their player-banked games, and we've talked about this before, hired corporations to bank the games. And these corporations presumably were either giving a kickback or they were partially or wholly owned by the card rooms themselves. But it doesn't matter. Even if they weren't owned at all by the card rooms themselves, they probably were getting some kind of kickback. So these were games that are supposed to be player banked, that all the casino is supposed to be doing is collecting a commission on each hand, and the outcome of each hand is supposed to be between the players, kind of like poker, and that the there's one designated player to act as the house if they want it. And since they can't get enough players to do this, they would hire these corporations to do it, which is fine. But then if any players want to bank, they've been told no. And if they keep insisting, they actually get banned for demanding that they get to bank. So the whole point of player banked games is so you're not playing against the house. That's the reason they have it that way. But then you kind of are because you're always playing against a corporation that has some kind of contract or association or handshake deal with the house to bank these games for some kind of incentive. So you pretty much are playing against the house. So it totally violates that entire principle. It's supposed to be player banked games that only aren't player banked when they can't find players to do it. And it has perverted itself to become it's always the corporation's doing the banking, and the players can't bank, and if players try to bank, they get banned. So how could that be allowed? But it is. And if you try to complain to the California Bureau of Gaming Control, then you basically get laughed out of the office. And that's why that practice still continues to this day. So it just shows you it's toothless. They don't care. You pay your taxes, you spread the games you're told to spread, you follow the rules that they give you to follow, and then anything else, well, tough luck on the consumer. It's crappy. California really does need a real gambling commission that actually takes and processes and aggressively investigates consumer complaints. But we don't have that, and I don't think we will anytime soon. So that's important to know here. So if California gaming ultimately says, hey, no problem, We found nothing wrong at Hustler. Everything's cool. I'm sure Hustler and Hustler Casino Live will trumpet this as proof that everything's been cool, but it's meaningless. Just toss it away. Which leads me to my second to last discussion. And I say second to last because it's the last one I had on the agenda to discuss about this whole Robbie Lou topic. But there is a new piece of breaking news that's been posted on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum that I'm going to cover as well that was not on the schedule. 
Should the stream still be running? Matt Berkey says no. Matt Berkey has been tweeting out that he does not feel that given the situation that Hustler Casino Live should still be operating. That what they should do is voluntarily shut down until they can determine what really happened here. In fact, some other streams which have nothing to do with Hustler Casino Live have shut down based upon what happened here. There's been other streams that have actually said, we're ceasing operation for the moment to audit ourselves so we don't have a repeat of what happened at Hustler Casino Live. What happened there is scaring us enough to where we're going to look at ourselves to make sure we're secure. And I respect those streams who did that. So Hustler Casino Live in the meantime is still operating, which is crazy. In fact, of all things, one of the featured games they've had since then was with none other than Ryan Feldman's former roommate, Ludacris. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, that's just like trolling us now. So Ryan's getting these allegations that he was doing something shady with Ludacris five, six years ago. And then who do they have on in the aftermath of this scandal is Ludacris himself. Oh, my gosh. I, like, <laughs> I think that's just needling, to be honest. Regarding Hustler Casino Live, the point Berkey was making was that it just really isn't appropriate, given all that has come out, that they keep running this, given that someone who had access to all the whole cards was working on that stream the entire time and could have really put the screws to a lot of people during the 14 months he was there. And that's a good point. That's a point I'm making too. And also, who knows if he's the only one? Remember, he said it's a tight-knit group of guys. So what if Brian got some other people involved who were doing cheating as well? So far, they only caught Brian stealing, but that doesn't mean he was the only one cheating. So what if Brian got to be buddies with some of these other guys who were working back there and he convinced them to help with this cheating scheme? So there could be others. So just because Brian's gone doesn't mean that the remainder of people there are honest themselves. Furthermore, how did Brian get this job in the first place with no background check? Obviously, one was not done, which means one was not done for anybody else working there. They all have access to whole cards. Even Brian himself said that. And yet, there were no background checks. A criminal like Brian, a past criminal like Brian, was able to get the job there. So maybe there's other criminals working there. We don't know. We don't know who has access. They haven't given a list of people who have access to our whole cards. I shouldn't say our whole cards. I've never been on there, but access to the players' whole cards and let us vet them. We don't know who all the people are who work for Hustler Casino Live. So maybe there's others who are doing bad things and have a bad history. So Berkey's point is Now that you have found definitive proof that a guy with access to whole cards has worked for Hustler Casino Live the entire time and not only had a criminal background, but also was caught on camera stealing right after the biggest scandal they've ever had on the same night of all things. Like, how can you trust anything there? So Berkey's point was they've got to basically hit a reset button and look at everything and not open back up until they're sure everything is 100% secure. They have to background check everybody, and they have to look at all their security procedures and make sure 
that you can feel confident playing there. And you can't just say, well, no one will ever cheat at this point because the lightning already struck once and everyone's watching. No, a guy stole money off of a stack there on the same night that they had that huge scandal. So obviously that logic does not apply. You can't say I feel safe because a big scandal just happened so they won't do it again. No, not in this case. What they really need is they need to make public who is back there and let the public background check them or at least hire an independent third party to background check all of these people and make sure that they have no skeletons in their closet. That's the first thing. And then second, just audit all the general security procedures. And there's a lot of questions. Who has access to that control room? There's been pictures people have unearthed on Twitter of a number of people, including players, going back into the control room at some point. So the control room needs to be completely separated and there needs to be very strict control of who can walk in there. And everybody with access to those whole cards needs to have extreme checking about their past. And if there's anything even slightly suspicious, do not give them access. And in fact, the fewer people with access to that information, the better. So Berkey saying the whole thing obviously was not secure from the start and they need a complete reset on their security procedures and to just go on business as usual is crazy. And I agree. They need to shut it down and they need to start all over regarding making the stream secure. Because what changes have they made? I don't believe they've made any changes. If they have, they haven't announced them to my knowledge. Looks like the only change has been firing Brian. So why are they still operating? It's crazy. I'm surprised Hustler itself is letting them still operate. Now, Live at the Bike, they have been leaning into this because these are bitter rivals at this point, Live at the Bike and Hustler Casino Live. And they have been trying to get you now to watch their stream. I don't know why they don't just invite Robbie on there. That would be a perfect marketing opportunity for them. I'm surprised they haven't done this yet. But Live at the Bike claims that they have a new system that is impossible to cheat and is incredibly secure. Now, so let me show you the uh, or tell you about the ad they put out on October 11th on their Twitter account. It says, as we continue to innovate and grow the format of televised poker, tonight's episode will be 100% live and with no delay. Whole cards will be shown at the end of each hand and players will be interacting with chat in real time. Join us at 3 p.m. And then they have a little graphic that says Bally's presents live at the bike. It shows the players who will be there. 100% live, no delay, no cheating, which is a jab at Hustler Casino Live. Interact with players live, live at the bike.com. So how can they do that? How can they have it 100% live if you're seeing hold cards? Well, they mentioned that you get to see them at the end of the hand. So there is new technology that has just been released that allows these streams to read the whole cards only at the end of the hand. So this way, nobody gets to see them until the hand is over. So this way, there can't be cheaters in the control room giving signals because the hand data is not transmitted anywhere until the hand has ended. Now, this is 
a little less interesting for the viewer, unfortunately. This is the downside to it. It's less interesting for the viewer because while it is 100% live, you get to watch all the action not knowing what anyone has. And then you find out at the very end. And while it does create some suspense, it also makes it less easy to follow what's going on for the viewer. Like, yeah, you can see the bets and the raises, but part of the fun of watching these streams and watching poker on TV with whole cards is getting to see it happen when you know what everyone has and they don't know. In fact, it can make people feel like they're better players than they are because you see the whole cards as the viewer and the players are not knowing what their opponents have, at least they're not supposed to, and you'll watch the players sometimes make mistakes. And it's easy for you sitting at home who can see all the whole cards saying, oh, what a donkey, what a stupid mistake. Even though you know you can see the whole cards and they can't, you can kind of talk yourself into believing that if you were there, you'd do better. So that's part of the appeal of these streams is that everyone watching can kind of feel like they're better at poker than they are. And second, even if you don't want to have that feeling of superiority, it's just also interesting to see how these guys are playing when you're watching what they actually have. You're watching the way each person's playing their hand when you're seeing as they're playing it what they're holding. So when you only get a glance at this at the end, when the whole thing's over, it's nowhere near as interesting to watch. That's the big flaw with this whole thing. Security-wise, provided that there really is no transmission of the card data until after the hand's over, yeah, that's a big step up. But for viewing, it's not great. And being 100% live, the only benefit there to the viewer is interaction. They're mentioning that you can interact and the players can see chat. Aside from that, it doesn't give very much to the viewer to be live. I think there's just too much of a downside from the viewership standpoint. I think the best system would be one that isn't live, that does show the whole cards as the hand is playing, but doesn't transmit them until after the hand's over. Because you can have both. You can have it where the commentators and the viewers are seeing the whole cards, but that as the hand's being played, that data hasn't been transmitted yet. That there's actually a delay in transmission, and that delay is fine because the whole thing's on an even longer delay. And Matt Berkey talked about that a little bit. I don't think he put it exactly like this, but he was referring to a trustless system. And what he means by trustless is one where you can run the system without having to trust any of the humans that are involved with it. So a system that isn't trustless is one that can be breached if there's bad actors who are not behaving the way that they're instructed to behave, such as a player in the control room who's seeing the whole cards, who's sharing them with a accomplice that's at the table. But a trustless system, it doesn't matter if there's bad actors in the control room because the bad actors will not receive this information while it's valuable. So that's really what they need. They need something that reads the whole cards but does not transmit them until the hand is over. And there's a simple way this can be done is that there can be a button that can be pressed on the table that will signal the system 
to transmit the whole cards. And it can be very visible. It can be a button that the dealer presses when the hand is over. It could be a big button that everybody can see, and everybody can see when the dealer presses it, and the dealer, every time the hand is completed, will go click, and then it'll transmit the whole cards, and then on to the next hand. That's the way it should work if you want a trustless system that also makes for good viewing. This 100% live stuff, I mean, as a gimmick to do once in a while, fine, but to have every night like this, I wouldn't want to watch it. I wouldn't really enjoy watching poker like this. And if it seems appealing to you, why don't you go to local casinos and just sit and rail games and just watch them for hours? Because it's boring, because you can't see the whole cards. And even if everyone at the table agreed that they will turn their cards face up when the hand is over, which normally you can't do in a card room, but let's say everyone at the table agrees to do it, you still wouldn't enjoy watching it because you won't know what's going on during the hand. You'll just say bet, raise, whatever. You won't remember all the action that well by the time you see the whole cards. So it sounds like a good idea until you really think about it, and then it doesn't sound like good viewership. It doesn't sound like something that you're going to want to rush and go watch. Okay, so now I want to get to... The bonus topic within a topic. The bonus subtopic of the Robbie thing. Because we have some breaking news regarding the lie detector test that Robbie took. I told you before that she went on to Joey's show tonight. And presumably she was going to reveal that on there. Because... She was dropping hints on her Twitter, holding the little confidential packet. Now, do you think that she would share this if it was shown that she was a cheater and a liar? Do you think that would be something she would present to us? Obviously not. Now, Eric Person, Eric Person is one of the people in the game. He was first well known for talking trash to Helmuth in a heads up match and then beating him. But he's since been appearing in a lot of these high-stakes games. The guy has a lot of money. He owns like 27 casinos. He owns Maverick Gaming. So you can Google them and learn about Eric Person. So he was there, and he was offering to pay for a full lie detector test of Robbie. And people liked that offer because they thought that Eric Person's probably neutral, and he definitely wouldn't need the money. There have been some idiots saying that Eric Person's in on this whole thing. I don't believe that for a second. I mean, that is a guy with a tremendous amount to lose if he were to be caught. So not even knowing very much about Eric Person other than what I've seen of him at the poker table, and I've never played with him. I'm talking about what I've seen of him on these streams. I would be shocked if he were involved here. He's the one I least suspect of any wrongdoing because he has a tremendous amount to lose if he were to be caught in something like this. So I like the idea of him arranging the polygraph test. However, this is not the one Eric Person arranged. Robbie arranged this for herself. (laughs) So this was posted to Poker Fraud Alert by Forum Wars, who obtained this from what Robbie provided. So this was by James C. Hanna, Las Vegas Polygraph and Investigations Computerized Polygraph Service. Now, first of all, why is this in Las Vegas? Why did she go to Vegas for this? She lives in L.A. 
Why not take one close to home? So it says exam location, 123 North 9th Street, Las Vegas, Nevada. Exam date, October 12th, 2022, 9.15 a.m. Examiner, James Hanna. Final call. I know you're going to be shocked. No deception indicated. All right, case closed, guy. Case closed, guys. Case closed. Robbie obviously is honest, salt of the earth, and didn't cheat because her own lie detector test that she voluntarily provided without warning said no deception indicated. Okay, it's done. Never have to talk about this again. But let's read it anyway. Mrs. Rabia Jade Liu was referred for a polygraph examination by her public relations company, Erico Communications. Okay, well, at least we know she has a real PR firm. I had a feeling she really had one. As she was saying she had one, people are going, I don't know if she really has one. I go, no, she has one. I can tell this is like very PR-like the stuff she's been doing on Twitter. So her public relations company, Erico Communications, to determine her veracity of truth to the pertinent questions listed under Section 3 of this report, specifically whether during the Hustler Casino Live cash poker game did she cheat by using devices and or conspiring with anyone to gain an unfair advantage. On 10-12-22, Mrs. Rabia Liu arrived in our office and voluntarily submitted to a polygraph examination. The following forms were read, completed, and voluntarily signed by the examinee, a consent form. During the pretest interview, Rabia Lu read and said she understood the consent form, signing it, agreeing to the test, and waiving the rights, blah, 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 blah. Mrs. Rabia Lu is currently under physician's care and has been prescribed Vivance, which was analyzed by the Lafayette Polygraph Software RX Guide. Ms. Lu seems to understand that the test procedure, simple instructions, and can remain still for short periods of time. In the opinion of the examiner, Mrs. Lou was suitable for polygraph testing. So basically what they're saying here is the one medication she's on is Vyvanse, which is for ADHD, and that it's from everything they can see of her between this medication and her demeanor and ability to sit still when asked that you can polygraph her okay, that she is a good candidate to do a polygraph test. At the conclusion of the pretest phase of the polygraph examination, the examiner discussed and thoroughly reviewed all the test questions with the examinee. The purpose of this detailed review is to provide the examinee with an opportunity to ensure he or she completely understands the questions before the onset of the testing phase of the examination. A Lafayette computerized polygraph system model LX4000 with software version 11.8.6 was used for the collection of the polygraph test data. The instrument makes a continuous recording of autonomic responses associated with respiration, electrodermal activity, and cardiovascular functioning. The instrument includes sensors designed to record peripheral behavior and activity cooperation during the examination. A functionality check prior to the examination confirmed the instrument was in proper working order. Rabia Lu's polygraph test was administered in adherence to Nevada Revised Statute 648. All equipment techniques and scoring algorithms used during this polygraph test are approved by the American Polygraph Association. The following pertinent questions were asked during the polygraph examination. Were you using any cheating devices while engaged in the Hustler Casino Live poker games? And she said, no. Did you cheat in any way during the Hustler Casino Live's poker game? She said, no. Did you conspire with anyone during the 
Hustler Casino Live poker game to cheat? No. Section 4. Result. It is the opinion of this examiner that Rabbi Alou was being truthful to the investigation target questions during testing. Global analysis of the physiological data revealed that it was of sufficient interpretable quality to complete a standardized numerical analysis of the test results. Analysis was performed using the following techniques. And I don't really understand what they are, so I won't bother reading them. Empirical scoring system, anal- analysis of the polygraph tests using Baxter's tri-zone comparison test series resulted in statistically significant numerical scores that supported a conclusion of no deception indicated when Rabia Lu was answering the above-listed questions. Analysis of Rabia Lu's test data using a computerized statistical algorithm, the objective scoring system, version 3, resulted in statistically significant scores ind- indicative of no significant reactions to the investigation target questions. The statistical probability that Mrs. Liu's test data was produced by a deceptive person is less than one-tenth of one percent. Section 5, post-test interview. During the post-test phase of the exam, Mrs. Rabia Liu was informed of the results. And that's it. Okay. Well, is there a problem here? Do I have any skepticism here? After all, she took a polygraph test with a licensed examiner in Las Vegas, and he put forth a report that there was a 99.9% chance that she was being truthful, and the three questions asked were all about the cheating, that she was asked, did she use any cheating devices, did she cheat in any way, and did she conspire with anyone during the poker game to cheat, and she said, no, 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 and he says there's a 99.9% chance she's telling the truth. So, is it possible that she could have beaten this polygraph. Well, I'm sure you've heard that there are ways to beat polygraphs and that some people can do it, but is it a stretch? Is it far-fetched to think that Robbie Lou has that talent? Well, here are some problems I immediately see. This was arranged not by Eric Person, not even by Joey Ingram, not by anyone we can trust. It was arranged by her PR firm. What is the job of her PR firm? To make her look good. To put out information about her publicly that she wants put out. So she doesn't want it put out that she's a cheater. She wants it put out that she's not a cheater and that she was falsely accused by Garrett. That's obviously what she wants put out. So what are some things that could have happened here? Do I think that the examiner was bribed? No. Do I think that the examiner was fake? No. Do I think that the examiner was incompetent? No. Do I think this was forged? No. So what do I think? Well, I don't know what really happened here, but I'll tell you some possibilities of how this could not be what it seems to be. Since this is being put forth by her PR firm, what if she took six different polygraph tests? What if she took 10 different polygraph tests? between, I don't know, several days ago and October 12th. And she kept failing, failing, failing. Every time she failed, they just tossed it in the garbage and moved on to the next polygraph test. And finally, in Las Vegas, they got one that she passed, maybe after several tries, not with that particular guy, but with other testers. So as far as this guy knew, this is the first time she ever had a polygraph test. But... 
This was not stated anywhere. In fact, she wasn't even asked a question while on the machine. Have you taken a polygraph before about this matter? It just states that she passed regarding these three questions. So if you are practicing over and over, if you get some books or even just read online how to beat a polygraph test, and then you practice and practice and practice, then maybe after several tries, you can finally beat one. Because you don't have to pass the majority of them. You don't even have to pass 20% of them. You have to just pass one, and then your PR firm can throw away the rest. So that's the big problem when her PR firm is managing these polygraph tests. We don't know how many tries she took to get these results. Next, the questions that are being asked of her were questions that were given to the polygraph administrator by her PR firm to ask. So these were ones that she could practice beforehand. And if you're going to beat a polygraph test, the best way to do it is to know the questions that are coming and rehearse in your mind that these are the truth, even if they're not. To basically psych yourself out that when you're telling a lie, that it's actually the truth. To convince yourself that you're not lying. To create a narrative in your head that you are telling the truth. To revise history. Some people can do it, some can't. But if you know the exact question that's coming, it is easier to do it. So if you're going to give Robbie a polygraph test about this, Number one, it has to be supervised by someone who is neutral, not her own PR firm. Number two, she can't know the questions that are coming. There can be certain questions that you agree not to ask her. It wouldn't be fair to ask her, for example, questions about her sex life with her husband because that's not relevant here. So she could tell you in advance topics that are off limits that aren't related to this or tell you that the topics all have to be related to the hustler and its and, and this cheating scandal and nothing else. That you can ask her about other people she knows. You can ask about Nick Airball. You can ask about Rip. You can ask about DGAF. You can ask about Brian. You can ask about Ryan Feldman and Nick Vertucci. But you can't ask about peripheral people that have nothing to do with this. And you can't ask about other things in her life that have nothing to do with this. So you can come to these kind of ground rules and then the neutral person involved would be expected to stick to them. And she could also always say, no, we agreed not to have this question. I'm not answering it. And then you should be able to ask her anything that is related to the hustler cheating allegations. And you need to ask a lot of questions, not just three. And then you will get a much better idea if she's telling the truth or not. Some people can train to beat a polygraph test with any questions that are asked of them. But it's much harder. The easiest way to do it is to know in advance exactly which questions are going to be asked of you and to be only asked those questions and to have very few questions. Because the more questions there are, the more chances there are that you're going to screw up and the polygraph machine will be able to tell that you were lying. So the fact that there were three and only three questions, she goes all the way to Vegas for this. She, she goes all the way from LA to Vegas for whatever reason, like as if there's a shortage of these in, in LA. I'm sure there's far more of these places to do it in LA than Vegas because LA is much, much bigger than Vegas. But for some reason, she goes all the way 300 miles away to Vegas to take a polygraph test. And then there's only three questions. <laughs> Why not more than three questions? Why just the three questions? 
is I don't like any of this. This doesn't mean she's lying, but this is not convincing at all. Like here's Eric Person who's offering to direct this thing himself and pay for it. Eric Person says, I will pick a polygraph operator for you and I will pay for it. And then I'll publicize the results, good or bad. And she says, okay. And then she runs and and does her own. Come on now. Come on now. That's just like more suspicious. See, this is why I can't decide. I have all these things in my head as to why she probably wasn't cheating. And then I have all these things in my head like this that just look so suspicious. Now, it is possible that she didn't cheat, but that there's other things related to this whole matter that she doesn't want you to know. Like, let's say, hypothetically, that she didn't cheat. Let's say there was never any cheating. Let's say that Brian stealing off her stack had nothing to do with her, nothing to do with any kind of cheating, and that the guy was just a thief and took an opportunity. So let's say, as far as all these allegations, that she's innocent. But let's also say that she knowingly lied about a lot of other things, like that she lied about why she played the hand the way she did. And she lied about Julie Yorn and the bike. And she lied about how much money she actually has. And she lied about her relationship with Rip. And she lied about Rip's net worth. So let's say she's worried that if a third party who is not sympathetic to her or isn't working for her, is going to possibly ask her questions that are related to this whole thing, but will prove that she was a liar. So let's say among the questions, so Robbie, did you really think you had Jack 3 that hand instead of Jack 4? Did you really misread your hand? And then she says, yes, I misread my hand. Beep, 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 lie, 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 lie. But she doesn't want that. Or Robbie, is it true you had a only platonic relationship with Rip. Um, yes. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> like, that's the last thing she wants. Robbie, is it true that you have so much money that the 135000 you gave back to Garrett was meaningless to you? Yeah, I have so much money. Beep, 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 beep. You know, she doesn't want that, even if she wasn't cheating. Because she's trying to craft an image for herself. She wants you to think a lot of things about her that may not be true even if she wasn't cheating. So she could be lying, but not cheating. In fact, we've seen so many contradictions. Obviously, she's been lying at some point, but that doesn't mean she was cheating. Someone could be lying about things to make themselves look better, but not be cheating. So that could be the reason that she doesn't want a full polygraph. She's afraid maybe she'll be proven a non-cheater, but also proven a liar, And then she'll be worried, okay, well, if it just proved that I lied, then they're going to believe I cheated anyway. So it could be that thought process, too. But does she really think that a lie detector test that's commissioned by her PR firm with three questions that's all the way in Las Vegas for some reason is going to convince anybody? Maybe some gullible morons, but not me. So that's how I feel about the recent breaking news as far as that. I do have one more thing regarding Robbie Jade Lou that also was not on the schedule. I told you guys earlier that I was going to talk about her changing her mind regarding pressing charges on Brian Sagbixall. 
remember initially she was claiming that she didn't press charges because he had such a tough life because he didn't have any prior convictions which turned out to be false and that she just felt for the guy and didn't want to make things worse and he was young blah 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 well then she started saying she said it first privately to david tuckman who revealed it publicly and then she also said it publicly herself on joey ingram's show that she actually was going to press charges but then we didn't see it actually happen but now it kind of seems like maybe she is so this is what she tweeted about eight hours ago she wrote another day in the office depends who you ask four updates to report one spent afternoon at hustler casino so she goes back to the hustler (laughs) met with lead detective hg that's the name of the detective the the initials of the detective hg to submit concrete evidence to finalize arrest for bs bs does not mean bullshit it means brian sagbixall and then she put in parentheses twitter messages from me employee info from nick photos from la times coming soon so you know once again this is being done for the benefit of social media and she even took a little three-second video of herself at the hustler number two did i pass or fail lie detector test results are in and attached we already talked about that number three my mobile records meaning mobile phone records submitted to la times for verification of zero communication with brian sagbixall ever four bill perkins head up heads up and then she put some emojis of a hammer and then like two people and a girl i don't know what she's trying to say but I think she's trying to play Bill Perkins' heads up. So you see, this is mostly for publicity. The LA Times thing is interesting. There was an article done on her by an LA Times reporter, and it was pretty sympathetic to her, and the reporter spent an afternoon with her, and clearly she was doing this again to get noticed and get more fame. And I didn't love the article. But then something else happened that was much more interesting. And that was when the LA Times reporter decided that they were going to try to find and talk to Brian Sagsall. And they ran into an interesting situation. So the reporter's name is Andrea Chang. And she tweeted this on October 10th. I found Brian Sagbixall, the fired Hustler Casino live production employee, yesterday in Long Beach, where he's been living with his girlfriend's family. He said he wasn't answering questions about his role in the poker cheating scandal. There's been a lot of speculation in the poker world about whether online comments and texts purporting to be from Sagbixall in the last few days actually came from the real Brian. When I approached him, he was sitting in the passenger seat of a green Subaru wearing a maroon Arctic Monkeys sweatshirt, black baseball hat, sunglasses, and gray pants. He and his girlfriend, who was driving, had just arrived home. Her dad was on the sidewalk with me. As I left, Sagbixal got out and stood in the street taking photos of my car and me. When I rolled down the window to ask why and if he knew Robbie, he said, 
we're going to be following you if you don't leave now. So you better leave before I follow you wherever you're going. Wow, it's kind of a weird threat. You better leave or I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I've never heard that threat before. It's not you better leave or I'm going to do something to you. It's you better leave or I'm going to follow you. It isn't stop following me. It's that you need to leave now or I'm going to follow you. I've never heard that one before. So she left. Now, some people defended him saying that she showed up unannounced to where he lived to ask him about this hustler stuff and then hassled him as soon as he came home. So if he wanted to make some kind of quasi-threatening statement to get rid of her, then that's fine. I don't agree. Like If he didn't want to talk to her, that's fine. And he could say, I have no comment. Please stop coming here. But to make this weird threat about you better leave or I'm going to follow you wherever you go, that's kind of stalkerish. That's inappropriate. But that's what she said happened. Interesting. So we have Robbie, who's supposedly meeting with a detective at the Hustler to file charges against Brian Sagbixall. And we also had Brian Sagbixall chasing away this reporter. And as far as her turning over all of her cell phone info to the LA Times, there's a few problems with this. First of all, you can delete any records you don't want seen. You can delete calls. You can delete text messages. And the carrier doesn't necessarily store this stuff. For example, you can turn off an option on your bill, or some companies actually have this as the default option, where the numbers you call just don't show up. As long as it isn't going to charge you, then the numbers won't show up. So it's not like the old days where every call you make on your cell phone is always going to be on your bill. Some bills don't show that at all. And they furthermore don't have any records stored in the phone in a hidden way of any texts or phone calls you've deleted from there. So she could hand over her phone for this LA Times reporter to inspect and if she's deleted the things that she doesn't want them to see, there's really not going to be any trace of this. So that's one thing. Second is that who says that she was having telephone contact with Brian Sagbixall? She might not have. If this was arranged by somebody else, for example, if they said, hey, Robbie, you're going to be coming in and Brian's going to give you these signals, that doesn't mean that she was directly communicating with him. There could have been a go-between that was doing the communication. And it's possible none of this was ever in text because no one wanted to incriminate themselves for later. It's possible this was said to her somewhere private that was not being communicated through any kind of electronic or telephonic means. So this is one of these cases where the absence of evidence is not equivalent to the evidence of absence. You can't just say, look, my cell phone is clean, so therefore I'm clean. People will often volunteer evidence that exonerates them, but that's not very helpful because unless it's something conclusive, then showing what isn't making you guilty doesn't make you innocent. Now, let's say you're accused of robbing a bank at 5 p.m., last Friday, 
and you can show evidence that you were somewhere else 5 p.m. last Friday, well, that's very strong. But what you can't do, let's say you're accused of robbing a bank at 5 p.m. last Friday, and then in response, what you show them is on your cell phone, you never made any calls to known bank robbers in your area. Well, okay, but that doesn't mean you didn't do it. So her showing the cell phone with the absence of communications with Brian means nothing. Her doing a polygraph that her own team put together with three questions that she knew in advance does not mean anything. This doesn't make her guilty, but these elements don't make her innocent. You don't get to decide what you're going to present and therefore is good enough for others to declare you innocent. If you really want to show you're innocent, then you need to let others say what they want to see and then show them. And you need to let them ask their own questions in the polygraph and take the polygraph they want you to take, not take your own. You can't control all of this if you want everybody to believe you and trust you. I already have angry people responding to a tweet I put up while I was taking a break about the whole thing with the polygraph. There's these Robbie fanboys who are insisting that between this and her willingness to give up her cell records, that this proves that she's innocent. And no, it does not. No, it does not. Sometimes you have to ask the questions about what we're not seeing and what doesn't seem to be standard versus what she's willing to show us. We had Eric Person all ready to pay for and give her the lie detector test, and instead she does her own. Why? Why were there only three questions? Why was this put together by her PR firm and not a neutral person? Why is she volunteering to give things to authorities that she deems is good to give? Why can't we say, hey, can authorities see this? Or, hey, can you show the LA Times this? Why is she directing the whole process? So these questions have to be asked. If you want to be an open book, be an open book. Don't be a pseudo-open book. You want to take a polygraph, let someone neutral direct the process, not your PR team. But some people just can't stand any kind of criticism. I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about people who are fans of hers. Someone tweeted to me, and handing over her phone records wasn't enough for you either? Pressing charges against Brian? She doesn't have to do anything. You have nothing. The questions asked were relevant to the accusations of cheating at HCL. Move on with your miserable life, this person writes. But no. Three questions is not enough, especially if she knows exactly which questions are coming. And pressing charges against Brian? Who knows what the situation is there? Who knows? It's even possible he's okay with it if he gets some reward on the back end. You never know. The fact that she wouldn't press charges at first is very suspect. But at the same time, I have not seen any evidence that she cheated. So maybe she didn't. And maybe, as Calwatt even suggested, there was some sort of cheating going on there, but it didn't involve her. I could easily believe that too. One of the responses I got on Twitter is a good response. It says, it accomplishes what they need, though, 
which is the headline, Robbie J. Liu Passes Lie Detector, that is sufficient for over 90% of the non-poker population and probably more than 60% of poker players. It casts enough aspersions as to her guilt, and those who don't give it merit are drowned out by the masses. Yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. It's symbolic, and many will fall for it who either don't want to think about it too much or don't have the capacity to think about it too much. It's really too bad. But see, that's why I do this show. I do this show to look at everything from different angles. And as you've heard, I'm not biased against her. I did a whole show last week basically making the case she wasn't cheating. And now a week later or a week and a half later, I I feel it's more likely than I felt last week. But I'm still not saying she cheated because there's a lot of reasons why it looks like she didn't cheat. But she's definitely acting strange and not very straightforward here. And that's not a good look, no matter what the real case is with the cheating or not cheating. But I'm not someone who's impressed by symbolic gestures. I look at anything that happens and I try to analyze it and I think, okay, does this really mean anything? Or is it something that is meant to look one way, but isn't really telling us very much? I've never been a guy who is impressed by symbolism. In fact, it says right in my own Twitter profile, go take a look, it says substance over symbolism. And that's really what I'm about. The story is starting to annoy me a bit because now that I know that she is playing this for social media views and to try to become famous, it's less compelling to me. It was more compelling when I'm seeing her as a potential victim Because believe me, I don't like the way Garrett has acted here. And I said it last week, and I stand by everything I said last week about Garrett. Nothing that I've discovered since then, a week and a half later, nothing I've discovered since then makes me feel any better about the way Garrett behaved. All of I said before about Garrett that he was inappropriate and is still being inappropriate is true. I believed it then, I believe it now. But two things can be true at once. Robbie can also be untrustworthy and dishonest, and off-putting, even if she did not cheat. And now this whole thing that she's doing to try to be famous and milk this is kind of annoying. And I'm kind of feeling like we're never going to get answers here. I think this is going to be one of poker's great mysteries. That's what I think. If you ask me to predict where it's going to be a year from now, I think we're going to look back and go, boy, that whole thing was one big clusterfuck. We still don't know what happened. I think that'll be the way we look back on this. And I think everyone will always have their opinion, but we will never have any facts about it. We'll have both sides claiming they have all the facts on their side, and we'll look at both sides and say, no. (laughs) You know, we'll have Hustler. They're going to say, oh, look, we were cleared by our own law firm and our own tech security firm, and the California Bureau of Gambling Control cleared us, so we're innocent. We had a great secure stream. And then Robbie's going to say, look, I passed the lie detector test and there was never any proof that I cheated and you never found any other hand that was suspicious. So proof, I'm not a cheater. And then we're going to have Garrett putting out these long ass reports proving that there was cheating, but then he's really not proving anything. Everyone's going to declare victory and nobody is going to be someone you can really trust or rely upon. Very dumb.
But poker will get a big black eye from this, a big fat black eye, just as it did three years ago, just as it is now. And this is one of those stories where I'm starting to kind of not like anybody involved. (laughs) That's the sad thing. I'm trying to think about in this whole thing, do I think better of anyone that is a player in this whole mess than I did before? And I really can't come up with anybody that I think better of now than before September 29th that is directly involved here. Everybody's kind of coming out worse. You're welcome to comment on this. 775-372-8355 is the number to text me at any time before, after, or during the show. From the 480, that's interesting. Ryan claiming he didn't like one of the owners playing in the juicy games at Live at the Bike, yet Nick Vertucci did exactly that. Kind of hurt Feldman's claim on that part for leaving Live at the Bike. Yeah, I thought that too. Thanks for pointing that out, Mr. 480 Area Code. Thanks for pointing that out because I thought that as I read that. I'm like, wait a minute. So Ryan didn't like one of the Life of the Bike owners playing in the Juicy Games, and then he lets Nick Vertucci play in the Juicy Games? What? Yeah, that doesn't quite fit. From the 530, I'm curious as to what Robbie could do to clear her name. Will there ever be direct evidence? Was there ever direct evidence in the Mike Postle case? Even though we all agree Postle cheated, there's still no direct evidence. Okay, you're correct that there is no direct evidence for Mike Postle cheating. There is circumstantial evidence. And the circumstantial evidence is 18 months worth of hands where there are so many spots that are just unbelievable how perfectly he played them, even where it's improbable anyone could play that way. And from what I could find, zero spots of any major hand where a lot of money went in where he made the wrong play where someone who could see the cards wouldn't have done what he did, like such as doing a big bluff into the nuts or a big bluff into a super strong hand that's never going to fold. So in 18 months, we didn't see any of that on any of the streams where he was suspected of cheating, but yet we saw tons the other way. So that's not direct evidence. I'll agree with that, but it was circumstantial evidence. Here we don't even have circumstantial evidence. We have one hand. We don't have a repeated pattern. We have one hand where... Easily, she could have just made a dumb move and put it in stupidly. So that's a big problem here. As to what could she do to clear her name and will there be direct evidence? Well, it's hard to prove a negative. It's hard to prove you weren't cheating. Like, let's say someone came to me and said, Hey, Todd, I saw you at Commerce the other day. Can you prove you weren't cheating in the game you were playing there? Well, no, I can't prove I wasn't cheating. How? How could I prove I wasn't cheating in that game? I could say nobody there suspected I was cheating. I could say it wouldn't make sense how I was cheating. But I couldn't prove I wasn't cheating. Even if they specify as how. Let's say someone claimed, well, I heard that you were colluding with the guy across the table. And even if they named the guy, I could say, well, okay, but I wasn't and no one suspected I was. Yeah, but I heard you were. Well, yeah, but I wasn't. Well, prove you weren't. Well, how can I prove it? I can't. So... That's the problem when someone makes an allegation you can't prove you didn't do something. I understand that challenge on Robbie's end, but she has not done herself any favors by contradicting herself constantly, and obviously she must be lying about something if there's all these contradictions. And and things like the lie detector test. She agrees with Eric Person to take his test and then goes out and does her own. 
Like, why? If you've agreed to take someone else's lie detector test, why would you do your own? Now, maybe she'll do Eric's also, but so far, it looked like she was expressing interest to do it with Eric and then just went to Las Vegas to do her own. So these type of things are suspicious. When you have nothing to hide, when you want to prove you're innocent, you shouldn't do things like this, and you also shouldn't lie about anything or contradict yourself. So contradicting yourself and lying doesn't mean you were cheating, but it destroys your credibility, and it's hard to come back from that. So that's the big problem here. Time to move on to other topics. First, I want to talk about the lawsuit against Amazon that Eric Benzamokin is leading. So you guys have heard many times on this show that we have been covering Eric's attempt to bring PayPal to justice for what they've been doing regarding stealing from their customers. They have been stealing from poker players. They have been stealing from small businesses. They're stealing basically from anyone they feel like stealing from. And they do this by claiming that you violated their terms of service and then fining you $2,500 per violation that they just take out of your account. So if they say you made 10 sales based upon violations of their terms, then they can fine you $25,000. And since most people don't have $25,000 in their PayPal account, they just take it all. This happened to Chris Moneymaker when they stole over $12,000 from him. And I brought Chris to Eric Benzamokin, who he hired to represent him against PayPal. And when they made a big deal about this on social media, and PayPal knew a lawsuit was coming and Chris Moneymaker was going to be the face of it, they quickly refunded his money so he no longer had a case. And they've done the same when they've gotten publicity about other matters, but everybody else who did not have any kind of major publicity behind them has just lost their money permanently. And PayPal just takes it and tough luck and you have no way to appeal it. You have no way to even know what you did wrong. And you can't even talk to a human being about it. So it's really awful. We've had Eric on here several times and we've given you various updates about his lawsuit against PayPal that he and some other firms are bringing. And Eric is the lead attorney in the whole thing. So we've talked about all of this before. You may have seen PayPal in the news recently over this practice, except it's funny because the news about this is not really getting it. You're probably seeing on various right-wing outlets that PayPal was fining people $2,500 for, quote, furthering misinformation. And that, of course, made the rounds big time all over right-wing media that if PayPal didn't like what you wrote on your website, they were fining you $2,500 per time that they thought you were promoting misinformation. And the right was pushing this as an example of how Silicon Valley is censoring speech. Now, PayPal has denied this, and they claim that this isn't really happening. And I don't know if they're telling the truth or part of the truth or whatever, but right-wing media is actually missing what's really going on here. They came close. They were kind of scratching the surface, but they didn't get under the surface because they were so focused on the whole speech suppression issue, and they don't realize this isn't about speech suppression. It's just good old-fashioned greed. So I can easily believe that PayPal is closing down accounts and confiscating the money of right-wing causes they don't like. I could believe that. 
I don't believe PayPal is looking at websites and seeing what they consider misinformation and just finding people $2,500. And what they're missing about the $2,500 is that it happens multiple times, that for every violation they see, if they think it's been committed a hundred times because you've made a hundred sales based upon something they don't like, they're going to fine you 250000 not 2500 It's 2500 per violation. So I think the right-wing media is kind of on the right track with it, but they got sidetracked with the whole speed censorship issue, and they didn't realize what's really happening here, which is too bad because what we really need is mass publicity of what PayPal's doing. And even though not everyone loves right-wing media, there are some right-wing media figures that have a very, very large following. And if they were to jump on PayPal and put forth what they really are doing, and that is just stealing people's money for perceived violations and giving them no chance to defend themselves or have any kind of neutral party examine what the real damages are, PayPal just awards itself money for its own damages that it claims it has and just takes it. If that were to be put into right-wing media, that would be very helpful. In fact, it'd be any media would be very helpful. Left-wing, right-wing, I don't care. But unfortunately, that's not what they're doing and the story's kind of dying there in the water. And I've tried to clear it up. I even have a contact at the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's organization. And I tried to get it across to that person and have them understand it and they didn't seem interested. So, oh, well, I tried, but this isn't really about PayPal. This is about something similar. Now, Eric has mentioned on other appearances on this show recently that he's looking into Amazon because there are some allegations of Amazon doing something similar. And I did kind of wonder what he meant by that, because Amazon customers don't really have a balance on Amazon usually. You can have a gift card balance or a credit balance, but you don't normally have a balance like you do on PayPal. PayPal is a money payment platform and Amazon is a seller. It's it's a very different type of site. So I was wondering, well, how can Amazon be stealing people's money? And I hadn't heard of customers of Amazon getting screwed by Amazon just not sending them merchandise and keeping their money. So I was wondering what he meant, but I came to understand it when he explained it to me recently and also showed me a press release that he put out. And it turns out that Amazon is screwing their sellers in a similar fashion to what PayPal has been doing to its customers. So that's not as many people, but there are a number of small and in some cases very small businesses that are really getting the shaft here by Amazon and in a similar fashion where it's difficult for them to do anything about it and they don't have the resources to fight it. So now Eric is going after them for this matter, which I feel just like with the PayPal situation is a very noble undertaking. But rather than just read you guys the press release and trying to make sense of this myself, I figured that we should call Eric and get him on this show to tell us in his own words what is the story. Hello? Eric Benzamokin, welcome once again to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And I know you have some 
big news for us, and rather than have me explain the whole thing, I figured it'd be better if you explain to the audience what is going on here. So you apparently are now suing Amazon. Is that true? It, it is. We are going to include Amazon uh, users or, or sellers that have also had their money confiscated by Amazon, similar to the way PayPal's been doing it. And we're going to utilize the same uh, blockchain technology through a mass arbitration uh, as we were doing this with uh, PayPal. So essentially, we're going to now open it up to anybody who has had money confiscated by uh, Amazon for an alleged violation of the Amazon internal policies as well. And I mean, we know that I, I, I don't be- I should say I don't believe it's as wide scale uh, as it was in PayPal, uh, but we know it's happening. And it is especially happening in the Far East. Of course, you know, there are lots of like knockoff sellers and counterfeit sellers and things like that. So it's a little bit of a gray area, but uh, we know it's happening. And the problem, of course, is that it's not usually enough uh, for there to be some degree of justification. You know, they, the same complaints, right? They're not doing the internal investigation. They're not giving the users enough uh, information or telling them why this is happening. So it's it's just uh, you know it's just another example of these large platforms with huge user bases that sort of set their own rules, and that's it. And then people are kind of left with no recourse. Yeah, it sounds very similar to the PayPal thing, and it looks like your dog is very angry at Amazon as well. So it looks like your dog is fully behind this one from uh, what we can hear in the background. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it look. Uh, it seems to me that this is something that is chronically happening with these large companies that do e-commerce or that participate in e-commerce. And as you said, uh, on Amazon, it's probably a smaller scale because this is happening only to sellers, not people who just buy on Amazon, right? Right, as far as we know. And it would make sense for a buyer. Uh, they buy something on Amazon, it gets delivered. Um, if they, you know, If there's a return policy or something, that's a different issue, but... Really, these are just the various Amazon store sellers, you know, that are that are not really these big institutional sellers. They're individuals that have these Amazon stores. Now, we know that there's a lot of, like, con artists out there that, you know, promise to set up, you know, a, a, basically a, a work-from-home solution using an Amazon store. And, you know, they promise you barely have to do anything and you're going to get 20, 30K a month and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we so we think part of it has to do with some of these. Uh, but at the same time, if they're not investigating fully and and not giving the Amazon store owner the reasons why their funds are being confiscated, in the end, it's exactly like what's happening with PayPal. And it's the same uh, underlying philosophy in that even if the Amazon store owner is violative of their policies or did something wrong, at the end of the day, they can't just keep their money. Right. Back you know, cancel them, close their store, whatever. But, you know, these companies are already, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. They really need to line their pockets with, you know, $2,000, $3,000 from these sellers, and, you know, which, where this is like their only revenue source. It's, it's, it's abhorrent. And, and it's unfortunately, I, I think that we're just scratching the surface, Todd. I think that as we continue to investigate these companies and these platforms, I have a feeling everybody's doing the same thing. And nobody's been successful enough to shut it down. Uh, and that's also why, to be frank, we had to partner up with three or four additional firms 
some in the Far East, some here locally with us. Uh, it's just such a huge endeavor, and there's such a rampant problem. We have to just put as many people and resources behind this as possible. Otherwise, it'll never end. It'll never stop. Yeah, to me with this Amazon thing, it looks like that because there are scammers on the platform who probably deserve to be shut down, that there are they're getting false positives there with people who are getting shut down who haven't done anything wrong, and then Amazon just doesn't care. They don't care if they sweep some innocent people up and steal their money in the process because they say, hey, we have a scammer problem. We don't have the, we, we haven't staffed enough to be able to separate what's what. So uh, we're just going to shut down everything that looks suspicious and uh, tough luck on those who happen to be innocent. So is that what it kind of looks like is occurring? Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, on the one hand, again, I think that there might be more uh, sort of fraud uh, from the Amazon stores. And I know, again, I know a lot of these like quasi automated systems are being set up and you know, they're not really functioning well as far as being the sellers. But nonetheless, it's not really a good excuse to simply confiscate money and say too bad. Um, and, and it seems like these companies, Amazon, PayPal, Venmo, which is a subsidiary of PayPal, we've gotten reports from them, uh, eBay. I mean, it seems like they just rest behind these internal policies and say to their end user base or their customers or clients, you know, tough luck. And sure, go hire a lawyer and come fight. You know, we're a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company. You're, you know, John Doe from Arkansas that's trying to sell, you know, neckties or whatever. And there you go. What's John Doe going to do? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. And and I got a question regarding uh, what people are told when they're getting shut down on Amazon. Is it like PayPal where you just don't know what you did and you can't ask anybody and you can't appeal it with anybody? Or is it a bit different? No, we're getting similar reports that uh, it, it's uh, an alleged violation of an internal policy. They're not specifying uh, the uh, acceptable use policy, but it's the same kind of idea. That's kind of a generic term. Uh, so it, it's a violation of an internal Amazon seller's policy or store policy. The type of infraction, when it occurred, what the loss was, if any, you know, what, they, what they sold that was outside of the scope of what they were allowed to, so again, the same kind of problem. It's, it's we're going to do this unilaterally and with impunity, and you know you can spend hours and hours trying to chase it down, and you know most likely you'll get no results. And you know, unfortunately, it's it, it's we haven't seen this yet, but it's possible that if it's a big enough name uh, on on an Amazon platform, maybe Amazon will give the guy the time of day. But you know, with PayPal, it's a little different because we had you know like when. Chris Moneymaker, who has a big following, started tweeting what was happening to him. All of a sudden, he woke up and his money was back. When uh, CBS Sacramento ran a small story about somebody who was, uh, had their money taken by PayPal, you know, two days later, that person got their money back. So it seems like PayPal reacts to the bad press a little faster. I don't think Amazon really cares. But to be honest, I haven't seen a ton of this about Amazon yet. This is kind of a new development. Yeah, well, definitely I hope that you're successful here as I do with PayPal. I've never sold on Amazon before. I don't picture myself ever selling there. But I really feel for those who had their money confiscated, especially those who are innocent and haven't done anything wrong. But as you said earlier, even those who have done something wrong, it shouldn't be Amazon who decides this. They shouldn't be able to just keep money because they happen to be holding it, much like PayPal. And that's what people have to really understand here is that even if you think, okay, 
this is justified that this money should be taken. That should be determined in a court of law. This shouldn't be that they can just take from you if they happen to be holding your money. I just find that incredibly offensive because Amazon is not a court of law. PayPal is not a court of law. So why should they be able to just take your money because it happens to be in their position at the moment? I find that very offensive. And everything else aside, I do not ever want to see any private company with the power to just take money from individuals. Yeah, I mean, it's really, if you think about it, uh, if, if, you, if you break it down to the least common denominator, it, it's like our, the, the argument is, well, this is in our, our digital contract. You agree to it, therefore, too bad. And there's an old, you know, th- th- there's an old sort of general philosophy in contract law, like, you know, in, in your first year of law school, you learn about this, right? And that is that you, know, you cannot contract for something that's illegal. Right. right? So if you and I entered into a contract and say, Todd, I want you to, you know, tell my wife, uh, I, that contract wouldn't be binding and enforceable. So part of the arguments are outside of the arbitration clauses, because those are binding and enforceable, um, and they, they hide behind terms like liquidated damages and things like that. But at the end of the day, PayPal and, and Amazon and these other companies are essentially saying, look, we're going to be judge, jury, and executioner for you, and we're going to keep your money and basically steal it. And because you clicked on this, you know, click wrap agreement, you're okay with that. And I don't think anybody in the right mind would say we're really okay with it. Uh, you can bury it under all sorts of fancy terms and, and, you know, these Latin catchphrases or whatever these, you know, special contracts have in them. It doesn't really change what's happening. Right. And, and what's happening is these large companies are, are padding their bottom line and lining their pockets with, with in some cases, all the money people have. Right, and we you know going you know going back is we've gotten emails from people that literally couldn't pay their water bill or their electric, you know, or or, or they can't buy food. I mean, this is just obscene. And of course, nobody gives these people the time of day. These people don't have the resources to hire any law firm to really get in and help. There are some like the Fair Shake or Better Business Bureau. You can lodge complaints, but those fall on deaf ears, and you know those agencies are overwhelmed as it is. And PayPal. Comes, comes on and fights very aggressively, you know, through these outside law firms that they hire, you know, 2000 an hour. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's despicable. It really is. Yeah, it really is terrible. And a lot of these Amazon sellers, as you said, are very, very small mom and pop type operations where this is their livelihood. These are not large or even medium companies that are selling through Amazon. I mean, there are some that do that too, but in many cases, those that are affected by this are ones who use their Amazon store to pay the bill. And all of a sudden, not, are they, not only are they just shut down abruptly, which is Amazon's right to do, but then the money that they have there, they can't get, which is absolutely terrible i cannot think of any justification for that no matter what and this is something i'm incredibly against and not just because you're my friend and you're the one uh pushing these cases but anyone who's listened to me for the past 10 plus years on the show would know that this is something i would be and have been very against and i'm glad that you were fighting this fight i hope that uh in both areas it is successful now uh before I let you go here, I know you're very busy, you have some things uh, tonight to do. Uh, what would you like to tell people to do if, for whatever reason, they were affected by this, if they were an Amazon seller who got their money taken by Amazon, how should they join up with this mass arbitration? It's a great question. It's the same process that we're using for the PayPal. So we go to paypalclassaction.net uh, or the other, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but we issued a press release with another website where they can also fill out the contribution agreement form and download their token. And 
That's it. That's all they have to do. Whether it's Amazon or PayPal, they just fill it in. You know, it was Amazon. It was this much money on this date. Here's the contact information. Get the token, match the token with their wallet, and they're done. Yes, and just like with the PayPal thing, just like with the PayPal thing, they will get uh, assistance if they have any problems uh, signing up and getting this token. If they're not familiar with doing this, or if it seems intimidating, they'll they can get assistance with this, right? Yeah, and and I'll tell you that we just today we had to switch uh, to a uh, a more robust web hosting solution because of the number of people going on and the number of forms being sold out and the storage capacity. So it's it's, it's catching on, and people are. Are, are you know they were a little weary at first about the idea of a blockchain solution and you know these tokens, but once they understood that there's, we're not asking for any money up front, of course, and there's no cash value to the token. It's not tradable. It's not a cryptocurrency thing. Um, it's it's really to manage uh, case loads. Uh, people have been more receptive towards it, so that that's actually really helping a lot. All right. Well, very good, and I encourage anybody who happens to be listening that was victimized by Amazon in this way to join in with this and if you were victimized by PayPal with everything we've talked about before with them stealing your money then uh, definitely uh, sign up for that one as well these are two separate actions and I hope it works out I really hope that these companies pay for what they're doing this is something that is very egregious and should not happen. And I think, yeah, you might be just scratching the surface. This might be very, very common beyond just these two monster companies doing. And it is something very, very abusive towards the general public and just downright fraudulent. And I'm glad that you're fighting this. So I I know you have some stuff tonight to do, but I wanted to get that on this show and have everybody hear about this. And uh, thank you for coming on. Very appreciative. I just, if it's okay, I have a really quick question to ask you. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, just, I mean, just curious. If, I mean, you may not know the answer, but how many glasses of wine should I consume before I go on your podcast? <laughs> what would be appropriate? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: I, I wouldn't not tell you what you should or should not drink. I wouldn't not. Oh boy! I, next time I'm on, we'll have to talk about this one. There's too much here now. Yeah, too this is all crazy. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on, Eric. All right, Todd. My pleasure. Thanks again, man. All right. Good night. Bye-bye. So Eric Benzamokin with another important lawsuit. And I want to read the press release. I didn't want to waste his time on the phone reading the press release he put out because obviously he knows what he wrote. But this is what they put out. October 13, 2022, the Benzamokin law firm announces a mass arbitration initiative against PayPal Holdings and Amazon.com together with Schreiber and Schreiber Inc. and certain other law firms. In those arbitrations, the firms will seek to represent those individuals, small companies, and sellers. Throw Trader Risky on here. And sellers whose accounts on with PayPal Holdings or Amazon.com were frozen or limited after an alleged violation of their internal policies. The practice of dominating digital platforms to unilaterally seize users' money due to an alleged policy violation without due process has been going on for years true. Despite the mounting complaints, those platforms have been maintaining the practice partially due to the cost and difficulty for any small balance users to initiate an arbitration proceeding against those platforms. If you had funds seized from PayPal or Amazon for an alleged violation of their internal policies, you may be eligible to join the mass arbitration. Mass arbitration members may be able to join regardless of the amount seized from PayPal, Amazon, or geographical location. Those who inquire by email are encouraged to visit www.paypalclassaction.net or just justitiadao.com, that's J-U-S-T 
I-T-I-A-D-A-L.com and follow the instructions there to complete the process. By completing the contribution agreement on either site, you will become a holder of certain governments' DAO to participate in the group legal action against the platforms subject to certain terms and conditions of the agreement. As of today, 4,000 people have opted to join with an aggregate claim amount in excess of $7 million. In 2021, Litty Capital SA, a Swiss blockchain-based litigation funding provider, started a class action against Binance. This group arbitration is another indication that blockchain technology may be changing class action and mass arbitration arena going forward as the technology is making it easier to group global claimants and attorneys alike to join force in massive legal undertakings against dominant digital platforms. So that is the press release. So you can go to paypalclassaction.net or justitiadao.com and... Follow the instructions, and if you need any help, just let me know, and I will get you to the right people. In order to join this, you have to either be a victim of PayPal or an Amazon seller who was victimized by them who had your money seized. And very good things Eric's doing. And Traderski, welcome to the show. Thank you. I oh, sound um, a lot better. Oh. That's that's amazing that... Uh, yeah, with this stuff and just being able to put it in the blockchain to go after big companies like this. You know, Stripe's been doing a similar thing to PayPal. And you, there's a bunch of groups like on LinkedIn and Facebook with all these people that have gotten screwed by Stripe and they have no by Stripe and they have no resource, recourse. So I think I told Eric you should uh, look into that when I send some pe- send some people to him. Yeah, that's good. And he was saying that this could just be scratching the surface, that so many companies could be doing it these days, seeing how easy it is for them to get away with it and pad their profits at the expense of individuals and small business people who are just trying to get by. So it's, it's really evil what they're doing, and I'm glad that Eric is standing up to them. And this is something that – one of the rare things today that both political parties can agree on is very bad. I, it, this is something that's apolitical, and I think everybody, any decent person can look at this and say – this is crazy it's even happening. It's crazy that this would be happening on such a wide scale. So I'm glad that this is happening to counter this. And good luck to Eric with all these efforts. He must be up late. He's working with Japan and stuff, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah, three, he's, uh, in the morning. Yeah, he's been uh, working very hard here. And yes, he is working with uh, Asia on this and has a lot of early morning meetings. So yeah, he's... Got a lot to do, been very busy, but uh, had to squeeze him on here because I wanted the people to know, and he wanted the people to know. Anyway, let's go on and talk about the Watauga Social Lounge. We had a topic about them earlier this year when a player who was in the money in a tournament and was uh, doing very well at the moment was disqualified and thrown out of the tournament. I think he was given the cash of whatever he had achieved at the moment, but his chips didn't matter, and he was uh, really screwed there. A guy named Ben Ross, who almost won a bracelet, by the way, in the World Series of Poker. Didn't quite get there. I think he finished second. But anyway, Ben Ross recorded this and posted it on Facebook. Uh, Since a lot of people didn't have access to what he posted on Facebook, I went and took it and moved it over to the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube channel. We do have a YouTube channel. We don't use it very often, but we have some things up there you might want to see. And you can see that. And we did a segment on that here. And I played you his two videos, one which was 
him actually getting thrown out and the other one after he had left explaining what had happened. And now there's a whole different thing happening over at the Wataga Social Lounge because the Wataga Social Lounge has been raided by police and shut down and everybody who was playing there, and this is during a major tournament, got ticketed for $360 and all the money in the prize pool was confiscated. And staff members there were arrested. This was first reported to social media by one Todd Wittellis, because I got tips from listeners who were actually there. So we have a guy actually who wants to talk to us about this. He contacted me, and he wants to tell us about his experience there. And amazingly, he's still awake, even though this is in Texas, where it's like six in the morning. He's been up all night. He's had a lot of patience here. I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to get on here or not, but apparently he is. Hello? Is this Jason? Yes, sir, it is. Good morning, Todd. Hello, Jason. Sorry for the long delay. We had the huge topic with uh, Robbie Liu to cover, and then I, I had to get attorney Eric Benzamokin on here uh, when he had a moment to tell us about his Amazon lawsuit. But I definitely wanted to talk about this Wataga topic, and you said that you... What a time, what a time it is to be alive in the poker world, huh? We got scams going on like crazy, or... Or allegedly fraud from Robbie, and then we got Texas booming like crazy in poker, and I mean, it's the time to be alive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening, and unfortunately, in 2022, it just seems like there's one cheating scandal after another, and uh, the here right. at uh, Wataga Social Lounge, I know it wasn't about cheating, but uh, something else unfortunate happened, and unfortunately, uh, the players walked away much worse for it. So were you actually at the Watauga Social Lounge when this occurred? Yes, sir, I was. I, I had made it into day two of the money. There was $132,000 in the prize pool. Um, over 200000 was confiscated. I, I was listening to you all right before you called me in, and, and uh, you, you said that all of us got cited tickets for 360 bucks i don't know where that number came from because in all reality none of us know how much the ticket is yet oh really it was on poker um, news so that's where i got it from they must be wrong yeah yeah they don't they don't actually know what the the number is and the the truth be known um it was crazy it was wild to see that because well, number one we all think that we're in there playing legally um I, uh, we had made it into day two. The tournament didn't start until one o'clock, get there at one o'clock, sit down, start playing by one twenty. the Tarrant County Sheriff's department comes busting in there and basically said, everybody get your hands up. Had us put our hands on our head. Wow. Put an officer at each one of our tables. They didn't come out with, they didn't have guns drawn. They were just running through there like, there was 30 of them. And they put an officer at each one of our tables. Luckily, my officer that was sitting at my, or that was standing at my table, um, 
was nice. There was about two tables over an officer that he had tied his boots up a little too tight that morning. He he thought he was going to be RoboCop and uh. come in there and be a total ass. But mine was mine was really cool. I mean, I asked two questions. I said, number one, I got a question for you. Am I being detained? And he said, yes, you are. I said, okay, what am I being detained for? He goes, I can't answer that. <laughs> I said, sir, you can't legally hold me. I said, I'm, I believe in my constitutional rights, and you need to find out what I'm being detained, and every one of us are being detained for. Well, we can't answer that. You're under an, it's under an investigation. <laughs> I said, sir, you need to ask your, your arresting officer or whoever and find out why we are being detained. This was after about five minutes of us sitting there with our hands on our head. He comes back over there and he goes, I, I, you are being investigated right now. And I said, no, sir, we can leave. He goes, well, you can. Oh, so like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not playing that game. I'm not walking out. <laughs> said, plus, they had already took my driver's license. Oh, yeah. They made us pull out our driver's license and our player's card, our Poker Atlas player's card, and they confiscated all of them. Well, um, the funny thing about it, my nickname's the mayor, so my Poker Atlas name is the mayor. <laughs> so that's kind of funny for them to be holding that. They're saying, well, hey, you don't look like the mayor. the mayor. We, we could have sworn the mayor looks like a different guy, but okay. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Yes, mayor, sir. you can go. But yeah, uh, right. I, I'm surprised they made you keep your hands in your head because what they were in there to enforce was what they believed to be illegal gambling. And in Texas, it's always been kind of funny with the whole poker situation because what they basically are doing and i've talked about it many times before on the show is they operate as social clubs where you're paying some kind of membership fee or seat fee to be at the table whatever it is but you're not paying a rake and it's basically you're a member of a social club where people happen to be playing a home poker game there that's the legal loophole that people are using and whether it's ultimately judged to be legal or illegal by the state or by even some of these individual counties or cities, uh, that remains to be seen. But it's obvious what they're there for is that they believed that the Watauga Social Lounge was violating the law in some way, but they didn't believe that anything dangerous was occurring there. I don't think they believed that there was anything that they would have seen themselves in danger themselves to you know to come in there and, and bust the place so when the officers don't believe that there's any kind of danger to them you would think that they wouldn't make people put their hands on their head much like when you get pulled over in a traffic stop they don't say sir put your hands on your head they as long as you're cooperating and don't seem to be presenting a danger to the officer then they don't make you put your hands on your head or anything like that so i'm surprised they made everybody put their hands on their head since this is pretty much a violation of, of a code rather than any kind of yeah. situation where they suspect violence could break out, especially among the patrons there. Now, they could say that uh, everybody needs to sit here while we collect everybody's information and please stay in your seat and don't create any disruption. And then if someone gets very disruptive, if they made that person put their hands in their head, that would make more sense. But just to start off making you all sit there with your hands in your head, that's, that's uh, already pretty bad. Uh, now, I've got a question for you because I was looking 
at this flyer for this particular tournament, which is still up on the Watauga Social Club's website. And yes, uh, I'm wondering how this uh, term- tournament entry fee broke down because I saw it was a 100K guaranteed event and then it was $420 yes, to enter and $20 optional dealer tip where you can get uh, 15000 more in chips. What I'm wondering is, of this 420, forget the other 20 that you pay, but the first 420, does that go into the prize pool 100%? So, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure on that. And um, the reasoning being why, I, I believe the 420 went directly in and the 20 went to the dealer token. And that's what the Tarrant County Sheriff's Department. It wasn't the police. It wasn't Watauga Police. It was the Tarrant County Sheriff's Department that came in there. And that's what they actually have a challenge with. So um, is the admin fee. And in fact, I think you can still go on Poker Atlas and you can see exactly how it broke down. Oh, really? Um, Because I think, yes, sir. I'm pretty sure. Hang on, let me let me look on that. Yeah, take a look well. at that. The flyer I see says it's actually a 420 buy-in and twenty dollar optional dealer add-on, which makes it sound like it would either be 420 to play or 440, depending on whether you want the optional dealer add-on. Yeah, I, I do see from what was reported on Poker News that you're correct that it was that the twenty dollar dealer add-on is what they were feeling was violating the law, and the reason that they were feeling this is that. They're not allowed to charge any sort of rake here, and it seems like the Tarrant County Sheriff seemed to believe that the $20 was essentially a rake, especially because you're getting a lot more chips for that 20 compared to the other 420 you'd be paying. So that, that was being seen like it's a rake, and that was, I think, the justification they were using to claim that this is illegal. And they had a warrant. I, I saw pieces of the warrant posted on the Poker News article. And apparently they were also looking for, but I don't believe they found other gambling instruments that don't have to do with poker, such as... Right, uh, eight-liner machines. That's all their warrant was, and um, was eight-liner machines uh, for gambling. And it's... uh, The warrant they're using is um, just a form warrant that they get a judge to sign off on. Um, earlier this year, and, and this is where, I mean, I'm going to give you a whole lot of info if you want it. Um, I'm pretty heavy into the Dallas-Fort Worth poker world. And, I mean, before we actually had rooms here, we all we could play in is either drive to Oklahoma or play in underground rooms. And um, earlier this year, and this was this has all happened. Is this spurred on and happened innocently? I want to I want to preface that it wasn't that anybody called the the Tarrant County Sheriff's Department or the gaming. I, I firmly believe it wasn't done that way. What I think happened was this right here. And and number one, first and foremost, I want this to be said. There's all over online, all over the DFW boards, everywhere in, in Dallas, Fort Worth right now. There's every, the, the poker community is, 
is just tearing everyone apart and trying to say, well, the reason he got it done is is that they, they were taken from the winnings, and no, they weren't. That's not what happened. And right now, us in the Dallas-Fort Worth community and the poker community, we really need to come together. We really, truly do. Um, if the Tarrant County Sheriff's Department is able to take down this legal room, no effect, and we're all going to end up having to go back and play in underground rooms or go to drive up to Oklahoma and go play. That's what's going to happen if we don't come together and try to form together and stand together on this. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of speculation out there of why the Tarrant County Sheriff's Department came in, what happened, and here's point blank. It was innocent how they ended up coming in there. I firmly believe that. About 11 months ago, there was an underground room that I'm very familiar with. I absolutely love the owner. She's a super nice lady, but she ended up getting shut down. Three months after her getting shut down and raided by the Tarrant County Sheriff's Department, she goes to work as a dealer at Watauga Social Lounge. She's dealing there. She's thinking she's doing everything above board and working for a legal company, which everyone playing there, we're all under impressions we're playing for a legal company. She's posting online, come, come see me at Watauga Social Lounge. I'm dealing here. Mind you, she's still under investigation, and her court case actually goes to court on the 26th of this month. The prosecution is looking for anything and everything they can find on her. So about two months ago, they sent in a bunch of vice undercover officers to come in and play at Watauga Social Lounge and have been playing with us for about the last two months. And, <laughs> I mean, I played in there roughly three or four times a week. And so they sent in the vice officers. They're building a case. Um, when they took our driver's license, wrote our tickets, uh, quite a few got questioned, do you happen to know so-and-so? And I'm not wanting to say her name. I'm not trying to just out her, but everyone that hears this will know that I'm saying. I'm, but... You know, it was done innocently. I really, truly believe that. Now, there how do you know that? Let, let me ask you a quick question here. Uh, how do you know that there were vice officers playing there for the last two months? Because I actually saw them when they were standing over in the corner with our hands on our head. I see. So you recognize people who had been playing in the game now doing this raid. <laughs> I'm like, you've been playing with me. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> so so you think here that this whole thing simply happened because they're trying to build a case against this woman who ran an underground room that went to go work there and so now they're trying to look for more against her yes sir that's exactly what happened it's black and white there's no it's not about the and by the way when i was telling the story i found that on poker atlas so uh, it, it spells it out very clear what the uh administration fee is what we would call in the state of Texas, the seat rental fee, we're renting a seat, but the admin fee was $60. What goes into the prize pool is $360. And then you have the option to give an additional 20 bucks for the dealer tips. 
Because, mind you, as the laws interpreted in the Texas Constitution, you cannot take part of the winnings. So we really, truly aren't supposed to even tip the the dealers at the end of part of the winnings if we wanted to, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm aware so of that. So, yeah, that... None of this was part of the winnings. None of this is a rake. Um, the speculation's got to really stop, man, of people coming out and just speculating what's happening. I am on the very forefront of every bit of this. In fact, I have a meeting um, on Monday. Now, I am not employed by, I'm not, I've never been hired by, I've never took a dime from Watauga Social Lounge. But I know a lot of the players, that's why my nickname's the mayor, is because I, if I walk into a room and I don't know you, I'm going to know you by the end. That's how I knew a lot of the vice officers that were in there playing with us. Because I met everybody that's sitting at my table, I'm going to meet you. This game is a game of, it's a game, it's a social game as well, as much as you want it to be. And so the, I'm actually got a meeting. I got Watauga Social Lounge to agree that they are actually paying all the fines. Um, they are paying for the attorney to represent us 53 players or 49 citations that got written. And the owner of Watauga Social Lounge is paying for that. And he said, Jason, if you want to add that up, go for it. And so I got a meeting on Monday with an attorney that's going to represent all of us. Interesting. And uh, so you're saying that Watoga has agreed not only to pay for this attorney, but also to pay whatever they end up charging each of these 49 people ticketed, whatever that ends up yep. being, they'll, they'll pay that times 49. Yes, sir. Oh, well, that's, that's good. And the, and the, and the goal is, the goal is, is to get the, the, this isn't Watoga socials money that they compensated. This is the player's money that they compensated. This is $132,000 prize pool. Um, the goal is, and it's going to take time, but is to get that money back and to restart day two. I mean, we were only 20 minutes into day two, so let's get it restarted and go. And that's the goal is to, to, and it'll it may be hosted at another legal room because they went in there and they and they they confiscated everything tables chairs brand new chairs that were just put in there I mean it's and they were nice chairs three hundred and nine dollars a piece chair from what Joe told me that he had just bought for this tournament wow so. You know, I, I about yeah. this one hundred thirty-two thousand that was confiscated. That was the most surprising to me. It's one thing to shut it down and to seize stuff in the business, but to take player money because these players that show up, they see that it is a place where poker is running. This isn't something that's running in the back of a restaurant or some other business that purports to be something else. This is clearly you're entering a place where poker is played. So the person walking in and playing this is of the belief that it's legal, and a lot of them are not experts on this. 
and then they get their money confiscated, it isn't fair. It isn't fair to take the player money. And even if you think of the busts against the online poker rooms in 2011, even there, the government was looking to get everyone paid. Now, it turned out two of the sites had stolen all the money and they couldn't be paid. But like in PokerStars' case, who hadn't stolen the money, people got paid and the government was fine with that. The government wanted people to be paid. So they weren't looking to go after the people's money and for the Tarrant County Sheriff to take people's money here is bad, especially because a lot of these people probably had no idea that this was considered against the law. Oh, well, I mean, it's how the law is interpreted. It's not what we were doing was nothing against the law. And what's really funny to me um, is this right here. On Sunday, not a dime came out of my pocket whatsoever. Not a dime came out of all 49 players that got tickets on Sunday. Now, for my understanding, for me to be able to gamble, I have to take a dime out of my pocket and and stake a wager. That's my definition of gambling. I didn't pay anything on Sunday, and I got rid of a ticket for gambling? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that would be an interesting argument to to bring there. They they can say back that uh, this is just an extended session that you gambled on day one, and this is just extension of day one. Then on day two, you you didn't put any money, but it was money from the day before. So I don't know how they would play out legally, but I, I understand the argument there. And I don't know. I saw you speeding on Friday, but I'm writing you a ticket on Sunday. Yeah. Well. We'll have to see how this uh, plays out. You know, I'm I, I, I'm rooting. For, I hope you guys get the money back. I mean, that, that's the worst part of this whole thing is that they would take the player money. That's that's not the way it should be done here. And I've said right. with Texas no, the whole I... the whole way the, the whole way it's running right now is something that just can't exist long term because everyone is going to be constantly on edge that at any moment some local government can decide that this isn't legal and just shut down everything and take everything. And not only is this scary for the players, but also the businesses can't run with any kind of confidence that they don't just get completely shut down one day on the whim of a local official. So really this needs to be made explicitly legal or illegal. And another problem I've stated before, while it doesn't apply here as any kind of issue there's no gaming commission or anything involved because these are considered home games, which can be a problem if people do have an issue with one of these rooms and getting screwed in some way or they feel they're getting screwed. There's no one to go to. There's no laws and regulations as far as these games. So what they, if they really want to protect everybody, what they should do is they should make poker legal and then allow whatever county to make it illegal if they want you know, leave it up to the localities make it legal at the state level leave it up to the localities if they want it and any locality that does then it can exist and there's should be licensing and then there should be rules and laws and regulations and and a gambling control board that people can complain to if there's an issue that's the way to do it so so todd i'm glad you you just stated that and you said that um, I had one job my whole life. I worked for a company for 24 years. One company, I retired with them uh, a couple of years back. And now I own my own businesses. 
And that industry that I was in for 24 years, I got to see it uh, happen like no other. It was a very small industry that I was in for 24 years, and it was the indoor tanning industry. I sold tanning equipment. I, I worked for the largest tanning bed manufacturer in the world. And the funny thing is, this industry of the poker industry has so many parallels to the early days of the indoor tanning industry. We were unregulated, and next thing you know, we became regulated. But the one thing that we didn't do well was actually have an association that could hire lobbyists and put, you know, legislators in our back pocket. We didn't do that. And I'm glad you said what you just said because, yeah, there's two things that need to happen. One, in the poker industry throughout the United States, I firmly believe we need to have an a association that all are members of so that we can go and uh, – because this isn't, this isn't a – poker isn't gambling. Poker is a game of skill. Poker can be gambling, but it's actually a game of skill. That's why you see the same pros making it to the final days every time because they're doing it by skill and somebody like Chris Moneymaker gets lucky every now and again. Um, I don't mean that bad. I like Chris, but, <laughs> but we know how his run went. It, it got lucky, right? Um, but the reality is we need to have a, an actual association that is, that will step up and fight when there's challenges that we have. Um, because when it, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just listening. Did I lose? Oh, okay. I thought I lost you for a sec. Um, but I, I firmly believe we need to have the a poker association, uh, the poker association, the PA, I don't know, the TPA or whatever. But it's an association that will that can actually help hire lobbyists to go after this and, and make this happen. That's what's got to happen. Um, because the next step there is going to end up being, um, you know, regulations that come into play and I'm all for regulations, please do it. It'll, it'll make all the industry run better. Um, but it, it is what it is right now. And you're right. It's scary. in my if I go over to TCH tomorrow and play in, in the big event over there, you know, if I go, are they going to? Are they going to rate it? I mean, a tell-all and a telltale will be, you know, this this Watauga Social Lounge room, its tournament was the 100K. Right now, this week, we got going on up here. We got a 200K at the fort. Love that room. It's a beautiful room. Awesome owners, Wade and Brandon over there. But they're running a 200K, $600 buy-in, 200K event. The following week after that, we got Poker House. That was the one that Mattiso was looking at investing into. And, and you talked about that on here a little bit on the show early on. Um, they've got a 150K event the following week. And then the week after that, we've got a half a million dollar at TC. I think it's half a million. It's close to that and something. But at TCH, I mean, the tell-all is if, you know, if, they're going after money grabs, Tarrant County Sheriff Department. You know, the great thing about the fort, they're over in Parker County. Um, it's just 
a hot skip and a jump from Tarrant County. It's less than 20 minutes from Watauga Social Lounge. It's actually like 22-minute drive, but they're in a different county. So hopefully that it's not going to end up being a raid there. And then the next thing you know, that means that Dallas, they're going to raid over at Poker House. I mean, there's suspicion, stuff like that. But I, I don't think it's going to happen like that. Hope it doesn't. Um, but, I mean, it's just it's crazy what's went on. It really is, Todd. Yeah, you know, if it is something that Tarrant County is just trying to do to build their case against that one woman, it probably won't happen in the other counties because they won't care about that. Uh, we do have a co-host on here, Trey Daruski. He said he wants to ask you a question. So, uh, Trey Daruski, go ahead. Yes, sir. Hey, Mayor. Um, so, so when they came in, and you're going to continue day two, did they just leave the chips there so you were able to count and know what everybody had? We know exactly, yes. They left our chips there to know. I mean, I, I started day two with 356K in chips, and I uh, within 20 minutes I had it up to 402,000. But here's the deal. Bottom line, they walked straight in second they walked in and i thought this was as illegal as anything but they did what they did they went to the back room where the security cameras are and shut off all the cameras wow uh, <laughs> what would be the reason for that i mean, I mean that other was, than they, they don't want people seeing what they're doing that's very strange yeah i mean it's the second they walked in they shut off the cameras um so yes if you counted well, your good. chips, you know what you had. But the only fair way to restart day two is restart day two, as yeah, as it was even. I so, mean, we, then, that's um, what Watauga Social Lounge knows what our chip count was. Yeah, well, I guess that's okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it's only twenty minutes worth of play. So if you lose that twenty, 20 then minutes, exactly. If you if if and yeah, then, what's what's crazy in that twenty minutes though, there were two guys that busted out. They would just get to, and I asked Joe that. Joe's the owner of Watauga Social Lounge. I asked Joe, well, what about the two guys that cat that actually busted out? He goes, well, they get to restart because <laughs> that's what we know of what their chips were on day two. And you know, here's the deal. I don't care if they restart or not, and I don't think anybody else will care either. We're just getting to play for our money that's rightfully ours. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great if you guys could finish this off here. Uh, I got a question unrelated to this, but about Watauga. I'm sure you saw the whole controversy earlier this year with a guy who was thrown out, Ben Ross, but someone told me that he has since made up with Watauga Social Club and is playing there again. Is that true? <laughs> it was. What's funny is I could get Ben Ross on the phone, and, and, and I'm part of the cause of why Ben Ross uh, was back at Watauga. Uh, ben Ross and I were playing in the WPT together up at Choctaw. We, he and I final tabled. It was the WPT bounty tournament. He took first place. I took second. I had him covered 4-1 to in chip league, and he ended up beating me in that event but during the time that we're sitting there playing heads up we're both right here from the fort worth area and i'm like ben what really happened with you over at you know watauga and how all that went down you know that's so close to your house why don't we try to figure it out and get it right and get you back in there and ben goes man i i don't think that joe wants me in there nor do i want want to go back in there 
And I said, well, why don't I work on that and try to figure that out and get you back in there? For real. I'd love to be able to, I, I mean, you, you play with people that are a little bit, you know, of, of skill level, you increase your skill level. I want to play with good players. I, I much prefer playing with good players than playing with, with guys that are, that don't play that well because they don't know when to fold. Um, <laughs> So, right, right. You know, when you, play, when you play with bad players, it kind of leads you that way too, right? Exactly. You're exactly right, man. I mean, I can dunk off some chips like no other if I've got a, a freaking donkey at my table. Um, so I, I ended up talking to Joe. I called Joe and I said, man, I want to schedule a meeting for you and Ben to get all this worked out. One, it doesn't look good on the room. Two, it doesn't, you know it doesn't look good on, on Ben either. Let's get it all figured out. And yeah. Ben came back in there. Um, that's amazing. Back in there that, that sound, that sounded like a broken relationship. So you are the mayor. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, it, it's truly, I'm, I, my last name's loving. And so I'm truly, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. <laughs> and so, you know, I I really truly do want people to get along. But yeah, so they so, they worked it out. Now Ben didn't come in there much, and Ben now is actually dealing out at the court, the one that I I told you about. He deals out there. Wow. Well, now okay. two more questions. What when you saw when the vice when the vice cops had been playing, like did they know what they were doing? Were they just fishes in the game? Do you remember? I know you remember seeing them, but do you remember playing with them at all? I think they're a bunch of degenerates, um, total donkeys. But you know, I, yes, I remember very clearly one of them. I actually uh, asked his name, and there was a group. There's a group of us that all play together in there. In fact, I have my own that I Joe ended up giving me the ability to have my own game inside of there, to where it was an invite-only game. They called it the mayor's game, and it was on Tuesdays at 7. It was a round of each. We'd play Hold'em, and then we would play um, Congress for a round of each. And um, so I have a group of us that all play together during the regular week, besides Tuesday, that we're usually all at the table together. And when there's a new face at the table, I would, you know, (laughs) sit there and, um, you know, try to find out who they are, introduce myself and, and they're, you know, well, what kind of work you do? You know, what, what are you in? And there was a guy one night and he goes, I said, so what kind of work you do? And he goes, well, I kind of, I work for the fed, federal, but you know, and I was like, oh, well, what is it? What do you do? And he goes, well, I really can't talk about it. Like, really? What are you undercover or something? And we all started kind of laughing at the table because number one, we didn't think we're doing anything wrong. We're totally legal. You know, it's like, and we're not doing anything wrong. There's no rake at the table. There's none of that. And so, you know, what kind of work do you do? And he's like, well, you know, I, I really can't talk about it. Well, so you're undercover? And he goes, he, he actually goes, oh, you'll find out soon enough. Oh, my God. And I'm the whole like that old Cheech and got. Chong movie. <laughs> it, they all got what? <laughs> but, well, the whole table ended up kind of just laughing. I mean, it was, it was crazy to, to hear him say that because 
What are we doing wrong? Nothing. <laughs> but that's so crazy. And and I'm sure they had all these meetings about it beforehand of what they were gonna do. And, and meanwhile it's just a poker game. I didn't realize there was such little crime in Dallas Fort Worth. Yeah. They got time for this. And exactly. okay, so then my final my final question was, have you ever met Tan Mom? Uh, no, I have not. And, you know, horrible, horrible for our, for the indoor tanning industry. It was great for the tanning industry, which I met a lot of them because they were at our trade shows all the time and they did a great job for us was the Jersey Shore group. <laughs> I mean, the Jersey nice. Shore group did end up giving us a lot of, uh, publicity. Jim Tan and Laundry and our, our industry just shot up right during that time. But no, I never yeah, met Shannon sure Mom. Well. That's gross. Look at her. Oh, I want to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> she is funny on Howard Stern though. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but well, guys, if y'all have any questions for me, please don't hesitate. You know, Todd, save my number. If I can answer anything, let me know. Hope Hopefully, I gave you uh, a good interview here. Yeah, you did. It was very interesting, and you were very well connected to the whole thing, so it was good to get this perspective rather than just uh, going on what I read in articles and got from a few texts from people that were there. Uh, This was very helpful to hear the whole background here and why they probably did it, and I think the listeners probably have a much better picture of this whole thing. So thank you very much for coming on here. My goal, my goal, my goal seriously is as the poker community please guys quit and i'm saying this out to everybody please quit tearing everyone down and speculating and saying they were doing it because they were taking a rake and they were doing it no this is a time that we all need to come together we need to actually because if they take this legal room down they're going to have precedence to be able to go after others Right now, all of these legal rooms, including down in Houston, down in Austin, you know, Waco to, I mean, we've got them all over. Odessa, Texas, small West Texas, a little bitty town out there. We need to all come together right now. We need to strengthen to build one to to keep it from going down. And Joe has full plans. If he can get all this stuff back to open right back up. So, I mean... We need to. We need not the legal rooms to be shut down right now before it, it all gets started. Because I mean, I, Todd, I don't know if you've been down here to play in Texas yet, but it's phenomenal playing down here. I have it not really been there truly yet. Is. No, it's, I haven't. I haven't played in Texas. In fact, I I haven't been to Texas in quite some time. So I, I probably been. Well, my, you have an open invite that I will take you around. I'm being for real, and I'll take you take you around and I'd love for you to come in and play with us. I mean, we have some awesome events that are going on here that are, I mean, pretty sweet buy-ins, <laughs> you know, 600 bucks for $200,000. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. Maybe I will sometime. I, I am curious about the whole scene there and it's a bit pain in the ass to get there. I got to get on a flight and all that. And, but still, you know, I, I have been a little curious about these Texas rooms and it, it's been, 14 years since I've been to Texas. So maybe it's, yes, it's time to come back and, and take another visit there. So anyway, thank you for coming on the uh, show. I appreciate that. And you've given, uh, given us a lot of good info here. Yes, sir. Thank you guys. All right. Uh, bye. Trader. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good bye, morning. Man.
Uh, no. Mm. Well, I hope this hey, works hey, out. That was good, Druff, and he's right, because if they end up able for some legal loophole to keep that 130 k then they're going to be going to every room and confiscating. So yes, it would be good for the other ones to back this guy for sure, because if they set some type of precedent, the fuck knows, you know? Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's a good point too, and and I, I also got to take a break from talking here. You you took over at the end there, and we're uh, conducting the interview, so I got to finally uh, rest my voice for a second while that was going on. There, that was good too. So okay, well, I had to get the tan mom question. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The <laughs> that's right. You got to get the <laughs> important stuff out here. So, okay, now moving on to an even more grim topic. Accused murderer Jeffrey Morris, who was accused of, and let's face it, did murder Susie Zhao, who's a former L.A. poker player. And this occurred two years ago. And it occurred in the state of Michigan. And she had uh, returned to where her mom lived in Michigan after, I, I guess, things in L.A., didn't go well poker wise or whatever but she she went back to Michigan and somehow she got mixed up with this uh, Jeffrey Morris character who was uh, older than her he was in his early 60s and she was in her 30s but anyway while she did meet up with him voluntarily he didn't snatch her from anywhere uh, he committed a very uh, grisly murder against her and for a long time, the exact details weren't known. Uh, he burned her body after killing her. He, he bound her and burned her body. It wasn't originally known if she was alive when being burned. Obviously, it would be a lot worse if she was alive than already dead, though either way, it's terrible. And uh, it seemed like they had very strong evidence against him. He was also a career violent criminal and sex offender. Truthfully, he should have not been free. He had enough prior violations. This guy, uh, they, they should have put him away. I've always had a problem with the attempt to rehabilitate habitual sex offenders. Most of these guys, you simply can't rehabilitate, and they will keep committing these sex offenses over and over and over again. And often it will get worse and worse. So when you find guys who are committing serious sex offenses uh, and, and they're doing this multiple times in a, in a serial or multiple manner, uh, they just have to be put away for life. That's it. Otherwise, eventually something like this happens. So it, it's very sad that Susie was murdered in this way. And uh, this occurred in 2020. So... It's a bit surprising the trial took this long to finally happen. It was actually supposed to take place last year. It's not clear exactly what the delay was. But finally the trial started. And Jennifer Newell, who's a longtime poker reporter, she did a great job covering this. And, and she basically just volunteered to follow the trial very closely and to report on it every day as it was happening. And Jennifer Newell is very thorough with, with these type of things, so she was a good one to be doing it. And 
she was very passionate about this whole thing. She wasn't just covering it like a news story. She was very passionate. She wanted to see justice served. She, you know, it was very clear that this Morris guy did it. There was no mystery to that. It's just a matter of getting him convicted for it. And uh, really, Jennifer took the lead with watching every minute of this trial and bringing it to the poker community and letting everybody know what was happening. I know there's some people who don't like Jennifer Newell because of uh, her politics and, and the way she feels about some things. And, I, and I'll tell you, she and I have a lot of disagreements about politics and social issues. We're like completely opposite on most of it. But I, I respect her reporting. She did a great job reporting on the Postle thing. She's done a great job reporting on other poker issues. And this is one where she did a, a great job reporting. So uh, this is an example of uh, where there can be someone who thinks very differently from me. And we've had arguments before on Twitter about uh, political and social issues. She's gotten mad at me at some times, but you know, personally I've always shown her respect and and I respect very much what she did here. And uh, we're very much in agreement on this one that Jeffrey Bernard Morris is a piece of shit who shouldn't have been out of prison and definitely deserves to be there for the rest of his life. In fact, I, I feel he, it's too bad he can't get the death penalty because they they don't have that over there in Michigan. But the harshest sentence they can give him is life in prison without uh, parole. And, of course, being in his 60s already, any kind of very lengthy sentence would be a life sentence because uh, you know, there's only so long he can live from this point. Anyway, the murder occurred back in July 2020, and we reported that on this show. Uh, Susie Zhao was only 33 years old. She was bound, sexually assaulted, and her body was set on fire. Eventually, after examining the body, it was determined that she was set on fire while still alive, which is just terrible to think about. And they found a lot of strong evidence against Jeffrey Morris, and a lot of this came out in court. His cell phone records showed that he was with her before her death and where her body was found. His DNA was found on and inside her body. He did internet searches, which matched the way he sexually assaulted her. So he's actually searching things about what he ended up doing to her. And he was found on closed caption TV buying and stealing items that were used in the process of committing his crimes. So he was actually stealing some things that he was going to later use to bind her and to uh, assault her. So that's, that's pretty strong. They had him right on video doing these things, you know, buying the stuff that he used that same night. And that also shows premeditation. And that's a big difference that, it wasn't just that they were together and he freaked out and, and killed her into these awful things that before any of that happened, before he even saw her that night, he thought about, okay, tonight I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out and buy and then steal some things that I'm going to use to commit these heinous crimes against her. So this wasn't an at-the-moment thing. The guy planned it all, and he did it. What could his defense have said? Well... His defense attorney tried his best. I mean, there's not much that 
can be done for someone like Jeffrey Morris where there's such strong evidence against him. But uh, he claimed that uh, Morris was questioned in a police car and not taken to the station to question him. That a second DNA sample was found on Susie that was of another man. And that uh, Morris told the police the truth about a lot of things. So they're alleging lies that uh, it doesn't make sense that he would have lied about a lot of the things that they're claiming he lied about, which is a stupid argument because, yeah, he can tell the truth about some things that he thinks are not harmful to him, and he can lie about the things that he thinks are going to get him convicted. That's kind of a stupid argument. And then the prosecutor apparently rebutted that angrily, and he reminded the jury that there is a lot of evidence that tied the whole thing together and he and proved the testimony. He said the phones, the data, they all don't lie and that all of the evidence and data couldn't be a coincidence. And the prosecutor said, everyone's a liar except the defendant. He's the liar. He's the murderer. To him, sex is violence and cruelty. Do you think this guy spends any time savoring his kind of sex? He's a liar and killer. This really seemed like it was very close to 100% that he was going to be convicted. It didn't look like the police made any kind of significant procedural errors. The evidence was very, very strong. And, of course, Jeffrey Morris had priors that were uh, of a sexual nature, among other violent crimes. So that also was going to figure into it. So basically it was pretty likely there's going to be a guilty verdict. And then once there was a guilty verdict, it was pretty likely that whatever sentence he would get would be long enough to keep him in prison for the rest of his life. Because again, he's an older guy. So it's not like sentencing a 21 year old where they could eventually get out with good behavior and all that other stuff. Like the guy in his sixties is not going to live so much longer to where he's going to be able to get out with any kind of long sentence. So anyway, The good news was that Jeffrey Bernard Morris was judged guilty. And he was convicted of premeditated murder for both counts. That's what I expected, but it's good to see that this actually came through. He was convicted of premeditated murder and felony murder. He will not be getting out of prison ever. They are seeking life sentences without parole on both of them. So it's highly unlikely that he will ever see the outside of a prison cell. And it's good that they were able to get all this evidence. This was not a smart criminal. And a lot of the criminals aren't. The guy just seemed to have decided that he wants to do this and bought stuff to commit these crimes with and didn't even bother turning off his cell phone while he was with her or while he was dumping the body. Shows you how dummy he is. I mean, how hard is it to shut off your cell phone when you're going to dump a body that of someone you just murdered? He, he couldn't even do that. He leaves the cell phone on like a dummy. So they had loads of stuff against him. And I guess that's good. The problem is... If 
you keep allowing the sex offenders to, quote, rehabilitate and get back out into free society, eventually this is going to happen. And almost every sex offender, almost every violent sex offender is male. You have some female sex offenders that sleep with teenage boys, you know, those teen- the teachers you hear about. And there's the very rare female sex offender that exists and they get a lot of attention in media. But the truth is it's almost all men. Like, I think it's like 99% or something men. The crimes that tend to occur, the sex crimes that tend to occur, are committed by men, and they're either against women or girls, or underage boys. That tends to be who's the victim. Men are not very often the victim of sex crimes, except in prison. It happens occasionally, but it's not that common. So, really, there's a lot of this sexual violence against women could be avoided. It could be prevented by identifying who is likely to be committing these crimes and keeping them behind bars when there's a pattern that the person is going to keep doing it. And it it shouldn't take a staggering number of victims or some really, really heinous case like this to finally get them behind bars. By then, it's too late. By then, you've had innocent lives that are taken or ruined. And this is a good example of it. So I hope that legislators come to their senses one day. There's a lot of obsession some people have with rehabilitation, that everyone can be brought back to being a decent member of society, that everybody can learn right from wrong. That no person is truly bad. I don't believe that. There are some people who are truly bad and should not be walking in free society. And while some violent criminals, especially young ones, can sometimes grow up and improve themselves and not commit crime anymore and truly regret what they used to do, especially if they were under the influence by a bad crowd, sex offenders are a whole different matter. These people are driven by a pathological need to commit these sorts of crimes. And they have no care about the victims. They, they don't care who they hurt. And it's, it's always a recipe for disaster to leave them out there. And they're, they're so motivated to do it that even knowing the risk of getting caught, they do it anyway. And sometimes they need to do more and more extreme things to feel satisfaction. And that, of course, will create more and more extreme crimes against the innocent victims. So this is something that we should look at. And Jennifer Newell kept using this hashtag justice for Susie Q. And another woman on Twitter was talking about how justice for Susie Q is not just about this case. And you know what? I agree. It shouldn't just be about this case. For this case, they got justice. But The justice should be for women in the future who have not been assaulted yet, have not been murdered yet, but will be if you don't get some of these animals off the streets who've done it before. That's that's what this justice should be about, and that there should be pressure on legislators to make these changes to how sex offenders are handled. And I mean real sex offenders. I don't mean 
uh, an 18-year-old who had sex with a 17-year-old and technically is prosecuted for that, or even a little bit more than that. A 20-year-old has sex with a 17-year-old. I, I don't mean things like that. I, I don't mean guys who, when they're drunk, go off to a corner and whip their dick out to pee somewhere, and then a cop happens to see them and arrest them for indecent exposure, which in a lot of jurisdictions it's considered a sex crime. I don't mean lock those people away, because these are obviously not dangerous sex criminals. These are people who've uh, violated some statute, but, but it, for the most part it's really victimless. I'm talking about ones who are actually seeking out real victims. Ones who are molesting children, ones who are attacking women, those type of people. And it's very easy to differentiate who's really a danger and who isn't. But the ones that are a danger, especially that have done it multiple times, you've got to just lock them away permanently. And the ones that have committed murder, they should be put to death. And that's, that's really the only way these things should be handled. Otherwise, you just get more and more victims that should not have been victimized. Every time someone gets victimized by one of these sex offenders who should have been behind bars... You're, you're having additional innocent people harmed because of this obsession with trying to allow terrible people to rehabilitate who never will. So you've got to think about the potential victims much more than trying to help the bad people who are demonstrating over and over that they can't improve. That's my little editorial on this one. But I, I feel very strongly about it, and I, I hate reading about these cases. And here we had one that actually touched our community. And Susie was very well liked in L.A. poker. And people really liked being around her. And she was fun to have on some of these live streams like Life of the Bike. And it's really sad what happened to her just the age of 33. And I know she probably had some issues going on that would have led her to spend time with someone like this but that's not really relevant here as far as uh, what happened I will say that if you do know a woman who is spending time with men who seem like they're really bad news or really dangerous while you can't force them not to if you're their friends then you should try to really encourage them to stay away from men who appear to be very dangerous or unstable because then bad things will eventually happen if they don't. And I've done that before with women I've known over the years that are associating with guys that I think could do bad things one day. I, I've tried to strongly advise them to stay away from those people. So anyway, not to depress everybody here, but I just want to give you this update. I thought uh, Jennifer Newell did a very good job she wrote a lot of good articles about this, and you can just uh, Google it to find it. Her name is spelled uh, N-E-W-E-L-L, and you can Google that and Susie Zhao, and you'll find a ton of articles she wrote about it. And you can read about the whole trial if you're so inclined. Okay, so now I want to move on to something that is occurring basically right now because the fallout is still continuing. And I don't know how much traction it's going to get, but a lot of big names in poker are very angry right now, and rightfully so, 
because something kind of suspicious happened on WSOP.com, and it really has highlighted the way people have been feeling about that site for a long time. And there's a lot of people very suspicious about what happened at one of the recent tournaments on there. So Jeremy Osmus, who's really had a, a tremendous run in uh, recent years, he was originally known for making the main event, the WSOP main event final table some years ago. But after he did that, and I think he got a million dollars, he kind of went back to being a mid-stakes grinder, and he wasn't like a high-stakes player for a while, but then he really started to take off in recent years, and he has been just destroying the tournament scene, including the World Series of Poker, and he won the 50K PLO in November of 2021. He won the uh, $1,000 No Limit Hold'em, the uh, COVID-19 charity event, also in 2021. And he, he made various other final tables. He made some WBT final tables. It's just every time you look up, this guy is winning and at high stakes. So he's really running well here and playing very well. Jeremy Osmus is a nice guy. Everybody who meets him likes him. You don't have that many people in poker who really like is pretty much liked by everybody, but he's one of them. I, I don't know anybody who has a problem with this guy. He's someone who just always seems friendly and good-natured and just seems like a good guy. I don't know him really well, but in my interactions with him, both online and in person, I, I only have good thoughts about him. Anyway, he was in the Lucky Sevens High Roller event on WSP.com attempting to win a World Series of Poker bracelet. Now, I never liked that they gave out real bracelets for online events. And when I say real, I mean ones that are considered equivalent to live bracelets that we shoot for every summer. I don't like that online bracelets are equivalent to the bracelet I have. I think it should be a separate bracelet or some kind of other separate trophy-like thing you get for winning. They shouldn't equate it to other World Series bracelets. It's just a different thing and it should not be crammed together just because the WSOP wants more people participating. Because what everybody wants the most of anything in tournament poker is bracelets. That's thought to be more prestigious than WPT titles or EPT titles or really any other tournament series. People always talk about World Series of Poker bracelets. So the World Series has that going for it, and now they're trying to increase their online poker participation because they really haven't been doing well with WSOP.com. I'm guessing they're still losing money. I know for a while they were losing money. I found that out for sure. And I don't know how they've been doing recently, but from what I can see, it's pretty much a ghost town, and I'm guessing they're probably losing money still. So they're really trying to push these online events and the way they can attract people is by awarding bracelets for them. But it really cheapens the bracelet, and we've discussed it before. 
Now, one reason it cheapens the bracelet is because unlike the live events where nobody can play for one another or give advice during hands to others, that you really have to win it just with your own skill, and that's it. With online, who knows? And there's been a lot of allegations of ghosting and multi-accounting and people taking over accounts and all kinds of shenanigans. In fact, during the whole controversy with Bryn Kenny that uh, Martin Zamani brought forward, it was alleged that Mark Herm actually won a bracelet under somebody else's account, and it was even stated which event it was. And indeed, the guy who won the event was an unknown person, and it was said that it was really Mark Herm winning that as part of uh, Bryn Kenny's stable. So this was never proven, but it seemed kind of like a credible allegation. And there have been rumors about this for a long time, that there's a lot of good tournament players playing either on several accounts at once or taking over for accounts in the same stable where someone who isn't that good makes it to the late stages and then the good player takes over. Anyway, in this case, there is a player who won this particular event, beat Jeremy Osmus heads up, named Jared Strauss. Now, have you heard about Jared Strauss before? Do you know him? Is he a well-known high-stakes player? No, he is not. If you look at Jared Strauss's results on the Hinden Mob, it does look a little uh, suspect. So let's go through his history. In uh, February 2015 was his first result, and that was a $330 buy-in at Parks. And then his first WSOP result was a $1,500 event, the Millionaire Maker. And that was in 2016. And if you scroll through his results, it seems like he plays either low four-figure events, like 1,000 or 1,500, or plays three-figure events. Like, for example, he played the Goliath Poker Series, and he uh, only... There was only a $250 buy-in, and he cashed in that in June of 2019. And keep in mind, this was during the WSOP. And he did play some WSOP events that year, but the three he cashed in were buy-ins of $500, $600, $1,000, $1,000. I guess it was four caches, but these were no higher than 1000 And again, in uh, 2020, he played a uh, circuit event for $215, then an online event for 777, an online event for 500, an online event for 500, and an online event for 1,000. So you see a pattern here. Then he went down in buy-in. He was playing some South Point tournaments for as low as $60 in 2020 and early 2021. Then he went back to his usual 500, and then the only other uh, higher roller events I've seen him play were uh, a 5300 in June 2022, where he cashed uh, in 17th at uh, 5300 No Limit Hold'em High Roller Freeze Out Online. Then he went back to a $240 event, also in June 2022. So that's kind of strange to go from 5300 to 240. 
then he played a 777 or a 7777 high roller event that same lucky sevens that he played again recently he cashed in that in july then he went back to a lot of smaller events including a hundred dollar event in september of this year and then all of a sudden he's playing the five thousand dollar no limit hold'em on september 25th and cashed 158th on gg poker and then this controversial cash he won the bracelet for 181k in this one that uh, jeremy osmus finished second so that's what really had brought attention to the situation now some defense of this was that look he did play some other events such as that live 5k event and that's just the one he cashed in so maybe he played other live 5k type events and just didn't cash except that one so maybe there's nothing wrong with him playing an online 7777 event because obviously live he can't do any ghosting or multi-accounting so maybe this is much ado about nothing and this is just a guy who has moved up but this is a very odd pattern of events that he's entering how do you play a hundred dollar event on september 4th and then play a 777 or 7777 event on october 11th now you can say well the september 4th was also a bracelet event so maybe he's just bracelet chasing well okay but then how do you explain the non-bracelet $240 event he played in July of this year? Now, as a guy who plays events ranging from like $1,000 to $10,000, but I mostly keep them between 1000 and 3000 at the World Series, I can tell you that I basically have a minimum. And that minimum really is like around $800. And once we get less than $800, I really don't want to enter. In fact, anything less than 1000 I tend to not like to enter. I know I entered that big 50 three years ago, but that was kind of an exception. And the reason is because I'm playing poker at a certain price point, both cash and tournament, and I want whatever I win to mean something. And I want the time I spend chasing the victory to mean something so yeah if i could think i would win a bracelet i would play for any price point but i know that's very unlikely i know it's very hard to win bracelets so i'm not going okay well i don't care if the buy-in's 300 dollars. i could win a bracelet no because i'm probably not going to win a bracelet it's going to be like a huge field and the chance of winning a bracelet is tiny so the truth is if i play a 300 dollars event or a 500 dollars event at the world series there's going to be a very big field and I'm either going to not cash or min cash or cash something close to a min cash. And even if I get really, really deep, I still will only get a few thousand dollars out of it. And that's probably the best I'm going to do, aside from getting super lucky. So why bother? It's just, it's just uh, a lot of time playing poker to either not cash or cash pretty little. So I'm not trying to be arrogant here. I'm just saying that my time would be better spent playing other forms of poker which would generate more money. I'd rather play cash at the limit I usually play or play some higher limit tournaments. I don't mean nosebleed tournaments. I don't ever play those. But something that I deem worth the time I'm spending doing it. And everybody got their own level for that. But when you're playing events 
that are 5,000 or 8,000 in buy-ins, and then that same month you're entering $240 tournaments that aren't even winning anything prestigious, like at least the $100 bracelet event, which, by the way, shouldn't exist. That's insane. But even at least the $100 bracelet event, you're playing for a bracelet. But a $240 event with no bracelet, with no prestige to it, why? And he did this on July 18th. He did this on June 20th. I'm talking about in 2022. We're not going back to when he first started playing poker and he's just learning. We're talking about this year. So something's weird with this guy with what he's choosing to play. It's possible that he just enjoys playing tournaments and the price point doesn't matter and that maybe he's been doing well and he feels he can afford more. Maybe he found a backer. Maybe he just likes playing tournaments and doesn't really care about the money. That's possible. He's not the first one to do that. But it's a little suspicious because of all the allegations recently about multi-accounting and about ghosting. So maybe he is part of a stable and maybe others helped. Maybe they didn't, but maybe they did. The fact that everybody's paranoid about this sucks. Now, you can say, if you don't like it, then don't play these online events. And by the way, I have never played an online bracelet event. And that's the reason. Jeremy Osmus tweeted, came up short in second in the WSOP 777.7. Grats to Jared Strauss, meaning congrats, who I'd never heard of. He definitely played the best at the final table. I look forward to battling him in the live high rollers as it's obvious that's where he belongs, despite most of his live results being $60 in South Point. So he's obviously being sarcastic there. But okay, like, it's a good question, though. Why was Jared Strauss playing $60 events at South Point multiple times between the middle of the summer in 2020 through the beginning of 2021. This wasn't like he just stopped by and played one because some friends were there. It looks like he was playing this regularly. Very weird. Now you might ask, why was he playing a 5K event then that was live? And probably more than one. He just cashed one of them, but he could have been playing a lot more than that. He played the WBT Legends event at the bike and cash 64th on August 27th. So why is he doing that if he's really a $100 tournament player? But see, if he's part of a stable, let's say you're managing this guy as part of a stable, and you see he's doing well. You see he's getting some results. You may want to put him in events that you think he's positive EV to play. But that doesn't mean that if he gets very far in an online event that you may not want to bring in one of your heavier hitters. Because that's what's alleged that Bryn Kenny did when he was managing his stable. That's what Martin Zamani was saying he did. Now, there's no evidence that Jared Strauss has anything to do with Bryn Kenny, but it sucks now that in poker we have to worry about these things. And if you're going to have online tournaments of any kind, this is always possible. But I think a good start would be making these online bracelet events not the same bracelet. That would be a good start. 
Now, people in poker are calling for WSOP.com to investigate. And I understand their point, but the problem is there's not much they can do to investigate. Because unless they were switching off by one disconnecting and the other reconnecting, if they're doing this in the same location, let's say hypothetically that this Jared guy was being ghosted by a better player in the later stages here, it's very possible this ghosting happened the same way Martin Zamani claimed it was happening in Bryn Stable, just that someone physically came over to where Jared Strauss lived and either helped him play or gave him advice or played themselves, and there'd be no way to detect that. That's undetectable. Well, but couldn't there be, like, mapping drop with AI and styles of play and what he did in these situations kind of pre the switching of seats or whatever? There could be. I guess that wouldn't be 100%. Yeah, it's not 100%. That would be enough evidence. It depends how different the play style was. I will agree if in the middle of the tournament he just suddenly went from playing like a fish to just playing like an expert and there were wildly different numbers in his style of play, then yes, uh, a strong case could be made that he was being ghosted. But if it's not that stark of a difference, then he he could make excuses, say, look, I, I, I got some coaching on how to play in the later stages. That's why I changed my style. Or I changed my style to throw everybody off. I played this way for a while, and then once they got used to me this way, I, I abruptly changed this way they don't know what to expect of me. And it, it's hard... Yeah. These are regulated sites, so they can't just decide, okay, well, we don't believe you were taking your money. They, because he can go to gaming and complain. Or lie detector test. Yeah. Can <laughs> they force him to take one? Yeah, maybe, maybe they can uh, get the same PR firm that uh, Robbie's using, and he can take one with three questions. So, uh, yeah, I understand this is a problem, but there there's a greater problem above this, and that is WSP.com still does not have a visible manager. And that's insane. That's insane. They're trying to grow the brand. They're trying to get more people to play WSOP.com, but they have no visible manager. If I ask you, who is the manager of WSOP.com, your answer is probably going to be, I don't know. Or maybe it's that Danielle girl. (laughs) I think it is that Danielle girl, but like... She's not a visible manager. We only know this because we've been looking into it and we've been examining social media real closely. But there is no public-facing manager of WSP.com. And the reason I strongly believe that is the case is that Bill Reaney, who was the public-facing manager of WSP.com, who is no longer with them, he hated when people would criticize him or the site on social media and what he would do is either ignore people or block people. And he developed a terrible reputation for that, and eventually he quit. And I think he may have even moved to Thailand. But I think he went and told everybody else there in the office, you don't want to do this again. You, you don't want to take my job. If you take my job, don't do it the same way. Don't be the public-facing manager, because all these online guys want to do is troll and complain and be jerks and be disrespectful. And if you try to be helpful, they're just going to smack you for it. They're going to make you sorry you tried to help. They're going to constantly insult you. So the best thing you can do is just not make yourself available to these people because yeah, they're trolls anyway. They're assholes anyway. They have unrealistic expectations, he would say. I don't know this for sure, but that's what I am guessing he probably said, something along those lines. 
And so he probably spooked everybody in the office to not want to take on that type of role. So they're managing behind the scenes, but nobody's the public-facing manager. And I guess the strategy is, if there's no real person in charge that we know is in charge to criticize, then we can't really direct the criticism anywhere, except generally at the site. I think that's the strategy. And it's a stupid strategy. You can't grow like that. So what they should do, and I've said this for a long time, is they need to appoint a public-facing manager and someone who has a thick skin and can take it. Not someone who will be insulted if you complain about things on the site. Instead of saying, oh my God, how can you insult my work? How can you insult the thing I manage? Say, okay, I'm going to listen to these people. These people just want the site to be good. They're actually trying to be critical to improve things. Now, yes, some can be rude, some can be sarcastic, some can be overly critical, but that comes with a job. That can be said about any company that people have any kind of strong opinion about. I mean, look at the commissioner of baseball. Look at the commissioner of basketball. They get criticized all the time. People say awful things about them, but that comes with a job. So you didn't see the commissioners of these major sports quitting because people on Twitter are mean about them, do you? And by the way, the people who were bringing criticism to Bill Reaney, most of them were being respectful and they got blocked anyway. And most of them brought up very good and logical points that I agreed with and they got blocked and ignored. So it's not even like these were trolls. The people that Bill Reaney didn't like were not trolls. Unless you think that people like Ryan LaPlante are trolls. He wasn't the only one. He was one of many. But like, that was the type of person who was complaining about the way the site was run. Or Gobble Boy, he was another one. Like, these guys aren't trolls. These are just poker players who state their opinion. Because they want to see it better. But unfortunately, I, I think that everybody in the office there was convinced that Twitter is full of trolls who just want to make your life miserable. So just don't have a public-facing manager. What a dumb decision. Like, whatever process went into that decision, it was dumb. At first, when Reini left and no one immediately stepped up and said, I'm the new manager, I thought, okay, well, maybe they're still finding someone. But now it's been a long time. It's been years now. And there still is no public-facing manager. So obviously, this was a decision that was made on purpose. This was the plan after he left. And the problem with that and the way it relates to what's going on here is that there's no one that the respected players, people like Jeremy Osmus, who's incredibly respected, who won two bracelets recently, who has been really doing well at the table and who has a lot of respect off the table, that he can't go to somebody and say, hey, you know I'm not someone who's paranoid. You know I'm not a crazy person. You know I'm not someone who likes to troll or cause trouble. I'm the opposite, and you know that. Can you look into this for me? Can you look at Jared Strauss's play and see if anything jumps out at you? Can you try to address this ghosting issue? Can you guys start to really clamp down on this? And if they had someone like that, then they could listen to people like Jeremy Osmus, and then they could respectfully address the complaints and take action on them. I'm not saying that they could always keep everyone satisfied, but at least people would feel like they were listened to. By the way, we lost Troy Daruski. He 
had to go do something. Do you have any idea what he might have had to do? Yes, Tredorisky had to go to his men's group at 5.20 in the morning. Very dedicated to the men's group. So he just dropped off. He, he told me why he was leaving. And he went to the men's group. It's just not being run well. Not the men's group. I'm sure that's run very well. That's why Trey Drewski loves it so much. But WSB.com is not being run well. It has no visible leadership. And that makes no sense. By the way, if I was still living in Las Vegas, I'd volunteer for the job. Seriously. I'd say, make me the manager. Not only will I make good decisions, but I'm not going to cry when people on social media don't like my decisions. I'm not going to block people for criticizing the site or saying things that are bothering them there or addressing problems that truly exist. That, that wouldn't be the way I would manage. But it, it doesn't have to be me. Like, there's so many people who could do the same thing and do a good job, but they're not there. All right, well, let's see here. There's too many topics left, so I don't want to do all of them. I'll talk about one more thing. This goes back to last week, or I guess a week and a half ago when we had our last show and we just weren't able to do it because we used the whole show to cover the Robbie Jade Lou situation. But I've been meaning to talk about this one and I want to cover this and then we will end the show for the week and we'll get to the other stuff maybe next week. There is a poker player named Sasha Liu, S-A-S-H-A-L-I-U. Sasha Liu is her real name, and she goes by Poker Sasha. And for a little while, she was a GG Poker ambassador, but she is not anymore. And she posted some criticism about the way she was let go. So let's think about some of these poker ambassadors who have been let go over the years, not from GG, but from other sites. In 2018, PokerStars was firing a lot of their longtime ambassadors just because they didn't think they were providing value because these were Americans and PokerStars was not in the U.S. So it makes sense why they didn't want to continue to pay these people. They fired both Vanessa Selbst and Jason Mercier. Now, again, I don't blame either of them for why they got fired. It just was because they were American. But Vanessa Selbst took it very poorly and bashed poker stars on the way out, whereas Mercier had nothing but great things to say about poker stars, and they indicated the feeling was mutual and said very nice things about him as they agreed they were parting ways. I think Mercier was fired because he's an American, but he had a very good attitude about it and understood, well, Vanessa's help did not and was pissed off. That's an example of how there were two totally different reactions to similar firings from the same site. More recently, in early 2022, Vanessa Cade 
seems to have left ACR on her own. She was hired as a pro there shortly after she had her whole spat with Gigi Poker and their decision for hiring Dan Bilzerian to be an ambassador, citing that he was a misogynist and saying that it made them look bad. So she signed with ACR and she was constantly facing criticism because CEO and owner Phil Nagy of ACR was receiving his own allegations of sexual harassment and mistreatment of women. And so people were asking Vanessa Cade, how can you be an ACR ambassador if you're basically tying your whole personality and image in poker to being this great advocate for women and fighting against misogyny? How can you do that and then work for Phil Nagy? So I guess in early 2022, she decided that she's done with that and didn't need them anymore because when she signed with them, she was still kind of a player who hadn't really broken out yet. But very shortly after that, she won a large tournament on Poker Stars for $1.5 million, and then she's won some other big tournaments since then, so I guess she figured she didn't need ACR anymore and didn't want these allegations of hypocrisy, so it looked like she just kind of walked away from ACR and, in fact, uh, put out some pretty nasty things about them as, as she walked away. Then there was the weird situation where in 2015, Poker Stars abruptly terminated the 2010 WSOP main event champ, Jonathan Duhamel, after he faced his own set of allegations regarding uh, questionable behavior, so to speak, also involving women, by the way. And rather than beat around the bush, Poker Stars directly told Poker News, we won't be working together in the future. Wow. That's pretty strong. So some of these partnerships have ended amicably and others, there is bad blood on both sides. Sometimes when there's bad blood, the person held back, presumably wanting other sponsorship opportunities in the future and they could demonstrate that they keep a happy face even if they're not very happy. One of them was probably Daniel Negreanu. Daniel Negreanu, after being the face of Poker Stars for quite some time, was either fired or non-renewed or given a lowball offer rather abruptly by Poker Stars, and he actually had to take time out on his honeymoon to announce that he was no longer an ambassador there. So I'm sure that's not what he wanted to do with his honeymoon, to record awkward videos talking about how he's not with Stars anymore, but he did. So it seems like that whole thing was kind of abrupt, and it looked like he was unhappy about it. In fact, if you read between the lines, you could tell because he was talking about how he worked with all these great people there and cited all these people that he liked there, but he said nothing good about Poker Stars itself as he was leaving, and that was very telling. So he didn't directly criticize them, but you could look at what he didn't say and figure out what he meant. Anyway, he landed on his feet because he then moved on to a lucrative partnership with GG Poker, which is where he remains today. So this was a case where, yeah, he could have come out and bashed Poker Stars for whatever he was unhappy about with the way it ended between them, but he didn't want to do that because he wanted to have other ambassador jobs in the future. And if he was seen bashing his former company that he was partnering with, then no one's going to want to hire him in the future, fearing he's going to do the same thing 
when they eventually part ways. So by demonstrating that even if he's personally pissed off that he's not going to bash them on the way out, uh, this demonstrated to Gigi Poker that they can safely hire him and not worry about that happening. So they hired him and he's done a great job as the ambassador there and he's brought a lot of attention to Gigi and they're probably paying him a lot of money, but I, I think he's probably worth it. Anyway, poker players, both rich and not so rich, often will stay quiet when a partnership is terminated, even if they're pissed off, knowing that it'll look bad to bash their former sponsor if they want to get others in the future. However, sometimes they just can't stay silent. So Sasha Liu, let's get back to her, she's one of them. So she tweeted on September 26th, I am no longer on the GG Poker team. I was basically told that I am of little value now, and I also believed it. I mean, what can I bring to the table married with twin babies? That's not a poker ambassador. But then to think of the volumes I played during and after pregnancy and flew the entire family to play most PLO events during WSOP in Vegas because I won't let my fire dim no matter what my circumstances. I love poker. I love PLO. And if I can do it, others, not only women, can believe it too. Thanks for everything and best of luck, GG Poker. I could believe you or I could believe in myself. I think I like myself a little bit better. So you can see here that she believes that she got fired for simply being a married mom with twin boys. Now, before we analyze that, let's talk about who Sasha Liu is and what is her history. So she's a PLO specialist. And almost four years ago, on January 17, 2019, she posted on Twitter that she quit a job as a, quote, six-figure executive to become a poker pro. She wrote, Hi, I play poker not because I'm anyone's girlfriend and don't have a sugar daddy. I love the game and I've never been more passionate about anything else, so I quit my six-figure executive job to go all in on it. Now, this is before she was with GG Poker, long before. She wrote, I want to improve myself and see where my limits are, and if I fall flat on my face, then so be it. I'm not a sweetheart at the table, and I don't joke a lot, but I'm a good person. I don't have a husband or kids. She does now, but back in 2019, she didn't. And I'm not even that great at cooking, but it does not define me. It's kind of funny she mentions cooking. <laughs> As a woman, I can and will chase my dreams to the fullest. And if you don't take me seriously, that's okay, because I do. That's what she wrote. I looked at pictures of her, and she's an attractive woman. She's an attractive Asian woman. And I saw a picture of her with twin babies and standing with her husband. So I, I can see why poker sites would want to take a chance on sponsoring her. And I didn't really see anything objectionable. I haven't heard anything bad about her. She doesn't really have any baggage she doesn't inject herself into big controversies. So she's a pretty safe person to sign, and Gigi Poker did. It looked like to me that she was signed in March of 2022 and was fired after six months, but then she messaged me privately and said that she was with them for longer than that and that the article I'd read about that was wrong. So she's probably correct about that. I don't think she'd lie about this. Anyway, I was looking at what her potential value could be as a sponsored pro. She has $316,000 worth of tournament caches, according to her hand and mob results. 
and her best live cash was 38k so she hasn't had any really single big score she has about 10,000 followers on twitter about 11,000 on instagram my records show that she's 41 years old but she told me after i posted this because she saw my post that she's actually younger than 41 and that the info i received was uh, mistaken When I say received, it was info I looked up that I had access to, but it is occasionally wrong, so maybe she is younger than 41. doesn't really matter. I mean, she's not really young. Yeah, she's attractive. I can see why they would hire her as a sponsored pro. But why was she fired? That's the bigger question. Why would they fire her? She didn't do anything. Like, I, I don't see anything that she actually did wrong. So what was the real reason? Could it really be because she has twins and she's married? And Gigi Poker figured, hey, guys aren't going to really want to follow her because she's off the market. And it's very clear she's pretty committed to this marriage because she just had twin babies with a dude. She's probably going to stick with him. And that any guys who kind of have a fantasy of maybe getting to know her and date her, even if these aren't realistic fantasies, that maybe this is unappealing to men who see her as a sponsored pro and and know that she's really far off the market and has little babies and that might this ruin her value as a sponsored pro. Well, I don't think so because really when you hire a female as a sponsored pro, an attractive female, you're really just looking to have these girls be a combination of eye candy and just someone different. Because there's tons of dudes in poker. Dudes are a dime a dozen. But girls in poker are already kind of unusual, and pretty girls in poker who also are winning are even more unusual. So when poker sites see a girl who seems to be having some success, they'll often want to sign them, especially just in case they have a big score later, then they can already have them as a sponsored pro already and... At that point, they're kind of a bargain. Think of what Vanessa Cade did when she won that Poker Stars event for $1.5 million after she'd been signed to ACR for probably not very much money. Anyway, unlike Vanessa Cade, Sasha Liu isn't someone who's really outspoken or controversial on Twitter. Vanessa Cade is a big ball of drama. Sasha Liu really isn't. So it was kind of a low-risk signing. But while it was low-risk, There's also a question of how high the reward was with her. She doesn't have a giant following. She has a bigger following on Twitter than I do. I don't have 10,000 followers. I have like around 4,000. And I barely use my Instagram, so I barely have any followers there. And she has 11,000. But she doesn't have a massive number of followers. When they're signing someone and paying them to be a sponsored pro, they're hoping for more than that. And so far, she doesn't have any major caches yet. 38000 is her bigger cash, her biggest cash. So she has a lot of smaller and kind of mid-range caches, but she just hasn't broken through with the big score. And I guess they figured the bottom line is that she just isn't worth that much from a marketing standpoint, which isn't a put-down because, like, I'm not worth a whole lot from a marketing standpoint because... I'm not female. I'm not pretty. I'm just a dude. I'm not young. I'm a 50-year-old guy. So 
where is really the marketing value? I'm not some guy who's won uh, a ton of bracelets. I don't play that many tournaments. So where is the marketing value for me? So that's why I'm not a sponsored pro anywhere. So I'm not putting someone down by saying they don't have a lot of marketing value or I'd be putting myself down. I'm just saying that it looks like they kind of determined that she's not bringing a lot of people to the site because that's the ultimate goal is that she brings new players to the site. And I think they figured her following just isn't big enough. And they decided after taking a chance on her for a short time that it just wasn't translating into much and they let her go. I think it was that simple. I don't think it was about the twin babies. I don't think it was about the fact that she's married. And, you know, when you know you haven't done anything wrong and you get let go and you think you've been a good ambassador and you've You've promoted them, which he did. I I look at her Twitter. She was doing her part. She was promoting them. She was doing everything they asked. And she didn't get herself into any kind of controversy or anything that negative. She wasn't creating drama. And then she gets let go. So when you get let go, when you're doing everything they asked of you, then you have to start looking and go, okay, well, what's the reason they may have let me go? Oh, well, you know, I just got married. I just had twin babies. That's the thing that's changed. That's probably why they didn't want me anymore. I can see why she thinks that. I just don't think that's what happened. Jennifer Newell, who I mentioned earlier, also did an article about this, about both Gigi Poker signing another female player named Kina England. You may have heard of her. Uh, She signed with Club GG, which is a little different than Gigi Poker. In that same article, it was mentioned how Gigi Poker fired Sasha Liu and and Jennifer Newell put a copy of Sasha's tweets that I had read you about the situation. So Jennifer actually reached out to Gigi Poker and asked why was Sasha fired and is it the reason Sasha's saying? And Gigi Poker said this. Gigi Poker regularly reviews the operation of its Gigi team from a strategic and commercial viewpoint. We cannot comment on the terms for privacy reasons, we have the greatest respect for Ms. Liu and truly appreciate all she did while part of the GG team and wish her the very best of luck in the future. And then Jennifer asked if GG Poker had a problem with her being married or the, being the mom of twin boys. And they said back, no, Ms. Liu's role as a mother had zero impact on the decision taken and a person's personal circumstances are never a consideration when making such decisions. Many of us at GG Poker are mothers or fathers, and the organization strives to make sure we're valued and supported in this most important of roles. Okay, so these are very corporate, safe answers they're giving. You can't necessarily believe them. Like, if this was the reason, they wouldn't admit it. They're not going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we hate the fact that she has twin boys and is married. Like, all the horny dudes uh, following her on Twitter and Instagram aren't going to like that, so we fired her. Like, they're not going to say that, even if that's the reason. So... Well, I admire that Jennifer Newell tried to get the truth here. That's not going to ever be admitted to. But what was the real reason? And I think we can find that in their first answer, the first sentence of their first answer. GG Poker regularly reviews the operation of its GG team from a strategic and commercial viewpoint. Bang, right there, we got it. They just didn't feel like she was bringing people in. They didn't think her following was big enough. They didn't think what they were paying her was translating into real dollars. And that's all they care about because they're a business. That's the bottom line. So I don't think there's really anything sinister afoot here. Sasha did send me 
a bunch of things in PM, but they weren't for uh, public consumption, so I'm not going to read them. That's why she sent it to me privately and not publicly. There are some things that I can't say that she told me, but it doesn't really affect what my opinion was and still is, and that is just they didn't think her being an ambassador was really uh, making them enough money, and they just decided to be done. I really don't think that it was anything beyond that, and it's possible they made some mistakes in how they communicated with her, and that kind of led her to think this. Yeah, it could have been something like that. I'm not saying GG Poker was perfect. I just think this is one of those unfortunate things where someone gets hired as an ambassador and does everything that was asked of them, and then they get fired, and then they're left scratching their head. Kind of reminds me when I was a teenager and I had my first few relationships. I'm talking about dating relationships. And then just one day, I'd get dumped. And I would think I was doing everything right, and the girl dumping me had never told me she was unhappy with me or that I had done anything to piss her off, and she seemed like she was very into me one day, and then the next day she wakes up and breaks up with me. And it would be very depressing and very frustrating because I felt like I was fine. I felt like I wasn't doing anything wrong. I felt like I was trying to make the girl happy, and I wasn't trying too hard or being too clingy or too creepy or anything like that. And I thought everything is going along fine, and bang, I'm gone. And then I'm just left scratching my head going, what the hell did I do? Now, I found that as I got older, and therefore the girls I dated got older, this was happening less and less. And I found that this is more product of just young girls not being very reliable and that they can change their mind from minute to minute. That's what I realized as I got older. And I was glad that I could date adults that were less likely to do this because I was no longer a teenager myself. But I understand the feeling. And I think that's kind of how Sasha felt, not when she was broken up romantically, because she's not, but when she was broken up with by Gigi Poker. So anyway, best of luck to her. She seems like a a nice enough girl, and she seems very passionate about poker. And good luck to her poker career and balancing that with taking care of twins, which is very difficult. Kind of unfortunate that it went this way, but that's the way the poker business world is, and something I haven't had to deal with because I haven't been a sponsored player really ever. I've been temporarily sponsored for individual tournaments, but I've never been a full-on sponsored player, and I don't think I ever will be. Well, that's it. We will get to the other topics some other week. Just so much to talk about. I'm not going to do a 10-hour show Joey Ingram's been doing every day. I'm 13 years older than Joey Ingram. You know, I just don't have that energy. Also, he does less talking than I do. Like, my seven and a half hours is much tougher than his ten hours because there's a lot of other people talking. I gotta just talk, 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 talk. It's very hard. So, that's why I do this once a week. And he does it almost every day. But even he had to take a long break. I'm sure we'll have more on Robbie Jade Lou next week. I'm starting to get burnt out, though, on that story. I'll be honest. We'll get to the other stuff 
on the next show. I am thinking that this will probably be on Friday the 21st. That's my guess right now. Eight days from now. Thank you for having patience with the show's jumping around on the schedule and not being totally once a week. We've been doing eight days, ten days, eleven days, and just kind of when I can fit it in. Had a lot going on this week. I just didn't have time to do this. But look, I gave you a long show, and we had some interesting phone calls, and I covered other topics. It wasn't just Robbie Jade Lou tonight, so give me credit there. Well, that is it. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for coming on. And thank you to the mayor. Not the real mayor, but the poker mayor from Watauga, who gives a lot of good insight on that bust. That is all. You can text me if you like. Otherwise, see you next show. Shalom. Shalom.